Hey, wrestling fans, this is Blazing Bobby Blaze, and you're listening to the Insider's Edge podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. Great to be with you all once again, as per usual. Absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to a legend of the wrestling business. He is former Heartland Wrestling Heavyweight Champion, former two-time Cleveland All-Pro North American Heavyweight Champion. Former SSW Junior Heavyweight Champion, three-time Smoky Mountain Beat the Champ Television Champion, four-time Smoky Mountain United States Junior Heavyweight Champion, and former one-time Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Champion. The accolades speak for themselves. It's the one, it's the only, Bobby Blaze. How are you, my friend? Hey, man, what an introduction. You've done your homework, man. Yeah, I'm Double B. I'm also known as Arn Anderson's. Uh, most favorite talent enhancement out there, baby. I'm there to put the pin, have boost, will travel, man. Pin me, pay me. I'll take it all. It's nice to meet you, man. And it's a pleasure to be on your show. Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir. And I'm thrilled to talk to you today. And uh, before I get on with my questions, the first thing I want to say is, is I remember first seeing you uh, perform on WCW Saturday night. And I remember thinking, wow, who's this guy? I love that logo on his on his tights. Who is this guy? <laughs> so that was the first thought that came to my mind when I first saw you perform on Saturday night. But I want to bring it all the way, all the sure. way to the beginning, Bobby. I'm sure you've been asked this many times, but how did you become a fan of the rest of, of wrestling before you got into the business? I was I was a young fan, you know. Um, I was in Baltimore, Maryland. I was about six years old, and Big old four model TV, happened to be color, happened to be at my grandmother's house. And one of my aunts was always a big sports fan. And we walked in and she turned on the old WWF TV program and, and started watching it. And um, just enjoyed it, man. That and roller derby came on, uh, you know, on Saturdays. And I was about, give away my age, I was about six at that time. And this is the late 60s and um, about 69-ish. Well, we moved um about a couple years later and we picked up the uh, my mother my brother myself we uh we ended up in kentucky and we got um the old memphis tapes every saturday morning so i'd missed a couple years there so at about the age of 10 my brother comes running out of the house he says man you got to see this you got to see this and it's saturday oh 10 or 11 o'clock i'm out just shooting some basketball and um we run back in, and it's the ending credits of the old Memphis wrestling. Well, of course, there's no playback back then. But he starts <laughs> to tell me about this move that superstar Bill Dundee did. So um, we're sitting there, and I'm like, you're, you're watching this pro wrestling. I could tell that much, you know. So we had to wait a whole nother week, and we knew approximately – we knew the channel, and we knew approximately about what time it came on. And so the following week, it was Jerry the King Lawler, Superstar Bill Dundee, guys like that, and it was the old Memphis tapes, and we we start, started watching it, and just never stopped really. So it was those old, um, you know, that was getting broadcast live. We were getting on tape delay where we were at about an hour after it ran, and 
just got hooked on the old Memphis style wrestling because uh, my brother, it was a connection for us, a bond for us. And like I said, I missed a couple of years there, but I knew exactly what it was. And we figured out what that move was because he'd done it once again that week. And it was uh, the sunset flip. Bill Dundee had pinned someone sunset flip. Right. So my brother was a little bit shorter. So he, um, he always wanted to be Bill Dundee when we, when we were much younger. And then, um, uh, you know, just, we just had fun with it, man. Just loved it, uh, you know, as a fan. And I was about 15. So fast forward about five years, I'd grown a little bit, matured a little bit, of course. And again, once again, it's uh, uh, I, I got a chapter in my book. Not it's just a story. The chapter is called "Remembering When." And um, I, we got up. I got up one Saturday morning to go to a basketball practice. Uh, snowy, cold day, and uh, my dad, my friend's dad, went out to warm his truck up. Well, <clears throat> we passed the TV once again. You know, just a big floor model console. And now we're in the seventies, and. Um, uh, handsome Jimmy Valiant. He wasn't boogie woogie. He was still handsome. Jimmy had yeah. come in from New York city to beat, you know, Jerry to King Lawler and handsome Jimmy was cutting this big promo about coming to Mofo town and taking care of Jerry to Queen Lawler and Kingfish and all <laughs> that. And, um, I looked at my, one of my best friends at that time, his dad was coming in from warming the truck up, as I said, and I said, that's what I, and I was about 15. I said, that's what I want to be when I grow up right there. And his dad just shook his head and he said, you know, man you're you're crazy and we gotta get to practice you know and the whole way to practice uh uh about two mile ride in the snow it wasn't a big deal or anything but the whole time my buddy and i were just talking about pro wrestling you know we both playing basketball and football with good sports you know but uh just funny that's so i just kind of kept that in and then all through next few years i just kept my eye on it, kept my eye on it watched it went to a lot of shows you know uh, that's how just always a fan Love it. Excellent, excellent. There's always a charm to it uh, when you when you're a youngin and you you become a fan of wrestling and you've been bit by the bug. And it, so many times on this show, I've had guys say that I, they said at a young age, I, "That's what I'm going to do when I grow up," yeah. and ended up doing it. So it's uh, it's quite prevalent. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I love hearing that. And uh, at some point, there there is a point where you 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 find a way to start getting training under Boris and Dean Malenko from my research. Uh, please tell me uh, about uh, how that came to be and 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 what your experience was like with them. Yeah, so I, I um, started sending out um, some letters. Uh, there was a, one of the old Pro Wrestling Illustrated, I think, had some different addresses in it. And I had made some contacts and, and sent out a few letters, uh, the one being to um, the Monster Factory in New Jersey. Um, I saw a picture of Larry Sharp and Bam Bam Bigelow, and it had a number in the background, just a little caption picture in Sports Illustrated way back when. And I called them, and uh, they said, yeah, sure, come up. You know, so they gave me a little tryout, just went up there and stayed in the ring for a few minutes. And I, I just was like, it was about 500-mile trip for me. And I was like, uh, okay, that's, I was in the ring. So I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is not the place I want to be, but this is what I want to do. And so um, again, I had sent out those letters and just, you know, old snail mail, uh, get some responses here and there. Well, I'd met a guy, another guy from Kentucky who had, a, had several matches and um, had a connection to uh, an old NWA promoter. And uh, they would run a shows about every, well, at least once a month, if not two or three times a month, just depending on, on which month it was. And so he he tried to train me a little bit. He he was a, a bodybuilder and a martial artist, and but he um, 
he, he never smartened me up that, you know, it's a, it's a work, you know, he just kind of like, let me show you some things. And, you know, you, I was in really good shape at the time. And so I did a couple of shows with, with them and I did about 10 or 12 matches. What, I don't know if you call them matches, but I always worked with him or I went to managed or I refereed or done something. But, um, I was in Pikeville, Kentucky and some, and it was an NWA show, a Christmas show. And I worked the third match, like what you, you wouldn't call it a hardcore match now, but we basically beat up each other and, um, you know, had a, had a little street fight match, if you will. And then someone no-showed, so they needed someone to go out, Buddy Landell, to main event. Well, Buddy was scheduled, and I stood us down who no-showed, but it was Hector Guerrero as Lasertron and uh, handsome Jimmy Valiant. And uh, he was boogie-woogie then. They were just off TV. So well, I got up to ring apron there. Now I've been a fan all these years. I've sat ringside all these years. I thought I knew what I was doing because I was in a dressing room with the guys. And I looked at this and I watched and I saw Buddy and Hector work. And I said, oh, they make it look so easy. This, this, this is the business. I caught on. And so <laughs> um, during, and that was in December. And, and uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, a letter came in from Minnesota. I owed a lot of credit to a guy named... Um, uh, Marvin, uh, Rubin and, uh, Marv Rubin, he's from Minnesota. He was friends with Malenko's and he had put me some flyers together and their information packet. He said, if you really want to learn professional wrestling, the Malenko's are the best craftsmen in the business. So I, and they had Tampa, Florida. So I made a call and I had two friends that lived in Orlando and I knew it was about an hour and a half drive. And I made up my mind that that summer when the school year ended, um, I was going to had made it made arrangements to go live with these two guys and come down to the wrestling camp on the weekends. So that's how, so I went down one Saturday. Uh, it was like May of 89. So I had a first match on September 11th, 1988. Like I said, I had about 10 or 12 matches during that time from September till about January, February. But I, again, I wouldn't count them as matches, <laughs> but um, so I got down Malenko's and um, he put me in a ring and we started talking and he, took me out back there and said, uh, so here's the deal. I want you to uh, forget everything you think you know about professional wrestling. He said, those guys up in Kentucky and West Virginia, I'm in a, the mountain region of the Appalachian mountains and stuff. He said, God bless them. He said, they just want to punch and kick and kill each other. He said, I'm going to teach you how to be a professional wrestler. And I said, yes, sir. Um, we shook hands on it. And at that point I was driving down, that was in May, I was driving down for um, June, July, and August, about at least three weekends out of the month and, and training every Saturday and Sunday. But then on um, Labor Day, about September uh, of that year, one of the boys was moving out of the, the uh, apartment where some of the guys stayed at, and I moved in. And at that point, I started wrestling four days a week at the camp, just intense training under Malenko. That's also about the time Dean had finished up over in Japan. So he had about next three months off. He worked me, worked with me for like the next three months, just him, myself, and another guy because we were getting pretty advanced. And I started picking up more shows. And then about once a month, Joe Malenko would come over to the camp because he'd done shoot style and he had trained under Carl Gotch. So I had all these great influences around me and I took advantage of it, man, because they were so good to me. And um, like I said, Malenko took me under his wing. And man, I learned so much. And I started getting booking out, of course, all around the Florida area and getting to know people. Um, end up going to um, uh, 
Canada for a season up in Canada, a 16 week season up in the Maritimes area, up in New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia area. Worked up there seven nights a week, learn, learn, learn. Wow. Um, you know, came home and went back to Malenko's again and, and still kept learning. You know, you're always learning in this business. It's one thing you have to do as a professional wrestler, learn. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of, we'll go from there. I kind of answered how I got from Malenko's and worked out of their camp. That's also how I got to come to Australia eventually is through their camp, so. Wonderful. Yeah. I, as I was doing my research, there was this, I mean, it would have helped if I read your book, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to have all the great stories spoiled for me before going into the interview. I like hearing it for the first time in the interview, but uh, this was like a, a, a blank spot for me. I couldn't find out what had happened between, you know, your, your training and when you would eventually start doing some stuff with the WWF in uh, October of 1991. So now I know you, you went to Canada, you did some stuff. You worked a lot with Dean. Yeah. You worked a lot, a lot with Joe. That's some great stuff there. Uh, so I wanted to get to uh, this, uh, from what I can tell is your WWF debut, 1st of October, 1991, mm -hmm. uh, in Huntington, mm -hmm. West Virginia. Uh, I yeah. believe you worked two matches at this taping. I may be wrong. My research can be wrong nope. sometimes. Um, yep. you You've with done your homework well. Excellent, excellent. The Berserker, John Nord. And obviously... Uh, <laughs> Another interesting thing that I saw, and I watched the match back uh, earlier tonight, working with the legendary Roddy Piper for a wrestling challenge taping. You get laid out with a chair afterward for good measure. Um, I was thoroughly entertained by that. Even at one stage, you, it appeared that you spat in his face, which uh, yes. certainly <laughs> got uh, Roddy Piper all fired up. Please tell me how the opportunity came about to go to the WWF. And, excellent, and, excellent. And, yeah. and, and about this day. While, while I was in Canada, several of the guys at Malenko's camp, they would do TV for either uh, WCW or WWE. And the second tour that I went up to Canada, they do a season up there, usually uh, sometimes late May, early June, um, through the beginning of October, end of September, when hockey season kicks in. Because uh, you wrestle up there mostly in a lot of hockey arenas. The ring is actually on the you know, boards over top the ice. Nice. So um, anyway, that season had just ended. Uh, my wrestling season up there had just in my bookings and um, I had some independent days around Kentucky, Tennessee, et cetera. And I had planned on going back to Florida at the first of the year, as I mentioned, back to Malenko's. Well, in the meantime, I was talking to my friends in Florida and they said, man, just call up there and um, ask for JJ. He's putting, he's the ones getting us together on TVs and um, they'll, they'll probably use you, man, especially if they're in your area. Cause they was using guys in the Florida area. So they were coming to Huntington, which is about 20 miles from my house. I'm in a, Eastern part of Kentucky, Southern West Virginia, Southern Ohio. Well, I live in a tri-state area and I'm probably 15, 20 minutes from the arena at the Civic Center. And so I rode up there and my brother and I did and knocked on the door and talked around. I said, well, can I speak to JJ? Well, JJ had worked that area I had just finished up at years ago in his rookie seasons. So he was well aware when I dropped names, I said, you know, here's some people I've been working with. So he knew I wasn't full of shit. Right. You know, I'd actually been somewhere. And, and I, you know, who, who, had, who had trained me also. So he said, come on in, you know, we'll see what we got. And so uh, I went in and uh, I signed the paper just to, just to make sure I could be on a card. And I'm sitting on a table and I had hair. You saw my hair, it was really bleached blonde during yeah. the video. And here comes Roddy Piper, just dragging a bag. And he's walking right in front of me. 
and he, he gets, he gets past me and he looks back and he goes, Hey kid, who you working tonight? And I said, <laughs> sir, I have no idea. I'm just, the, the board hadn't went up, you know, I said, I'm, I'm just here to, you know, do whatever they need me. He said, can you come with me for a minute? I've got an idea. And I said, yes, sir. I'm thinking this Roddy Piper, you know, I, I'm, you know, we're speaking. I never had met the man. So we go in the back of the arena and then we go further into a, to a bathroom area. And um, he's been very polite. And he goes, can you stay here for just a minute? I'm, I, I, and I know guys do ribs and stuff, but I've been around and you know, I was a grown ass man too. I'm like, I don't think he's going to fuck with me. You know, so I sit there going, he goes, man, I got an idea for something. If you, if you care, you know, maybe we can pull us off. And I said, okay. So he left. He's gone probably five minutes at the most. He comes back in. Who's he got with him? Ric Flair. <laughs> so I'm in a bathroom with Ric Flair and Roddy Piper. And uh, I introduced myself as, as Bobby Blaze Medley. And um, I told him where I'd been working at and stuff. And he goes, man, here's what we're looking at. And Roddy goes, Rick, what do you think about this? He goes, uh, we're doing it. They was doing a just chairs for Flair. They was doing a chair for Flair uh, matches. And he said, um, Kid, can you go up there and do a little bit of a Ric Flair kind of, you know, thing and just, you know, come at me, get mad at me, whatever. And uh, I'll get on you for the chair. What do you think? And so uh, I'm sitting there going, well, I'm in the bathroom with these guys. And and uh, so I go, uh, I can do whatever you want me to do. It's no problem whatsoever. Be glad to do it. And I, I go, uh, I go, woo! I go, I'm a kid stealing, wheeling, dealing, jet flying, son of a gun. You know, I start cutting a couple of Ric Flair promos and he started laughing and Ric Flair goes, that's pretty good kid, but you're, you're no Ric Flair. And then he goes, <laughs> remember one thing. And I said, yes, sir. And I thought he looked something serious. He goes, he pointed to his nose. He goes, don't forget to turn your head. <laughs> his nose went off crooked, you know. I go, yes, sir. So Piper goes, uh, so he left and he thanked me and I thanked him. And uh, so Piper goes, um, let's go get you on the board, man. We'll see where they fit us in on the, on the segments. going to have different segments. So um, I said, okay. And I went back out there and sat down to put the board up. And uh, right before we went out, Piper just said, you know what I want you to do? He said, you, you be in the ring, you be real aggressive, reach out, try to swat at me, swing at me, whatever you want to do. And he goes, and he goes, spit in my face. And I go, no, I can't do it. He goes, no, Bobby, listen to me. I'm telling you, spit in my face. I go, man, are you sure? I go, and this is what I said, and it's true. I said, I'm a pretty good spitter. If I spit at something, I'm pretty accurate at hitting something. <laughs> he goes, did you spit right in my eye? And I go, all right, man. <laughs> so as you saw, we go out there, and I'm just, you know, I have to do the Bobby Smedley gimmick. I couldn't do the blaze, couldn't wear anything, had my flames and stuff on it. Uh, so I spit in his face, and he comes through, and I'm on him, I'm on him, and I called a spot. I said, you know, turnbuckle, turnbuckle, and I knew his finish, and soon I took the second second or third turnbuckle. I was trying to do a Terry Funk thing, just let him swing me around back and forth so I could bump for him. I said, turnbuckle, turnbuckle, and coming out of turnbuckle, he said, bulldog, and I knew it, so I just hit the finish, and then I had to wait for him to get the chair and, um, you know, sell that. Then he comes at me, and he said, I don't want to, I don't want to kill you with the chair, so you'd be diving out and I'll just braze you yeah, and go yeah. over for me. And I said, yes, sir. That makes it even easier. I said, I've been in Canada getting fucking swatted every night with metal <laughs> chairs, you know, I said, uh, yeah, that's easy. So, um, he thanked me, got in the back and stuff. And, you know, probably the best thing is, uh, you know, never say never. And, um, uh, Tony Gurria or JJ, one of them come to me and they said, Hey, you care. We got this other guy. You care to have a match with him and, 
I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't know who it was. Then it's fucking John Nord, and he's just a big barbarian gimmick, what he was doing. And um, I went back out and got, you know, got extra pay. I said, hell, that's what I'm here for, make money. Is that I'll be home by midnight, you know. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't as fun as the Piper match. But uh, Nord, and I eventually found out, because I worked with the son of WCW, he's just big, strong, cock, strong guy, and just threw people everywhere, you know. So that match, we just got in. I, I can't remember what he'd done, but he picked me up and dropped me in one, two, three, and um, went to the back, and they said, hey, we're going to be in Indiana and Ohio in the next couple, excuse me, next couple months. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm in this area until January when I'm going to Tampa. And um, they used me over in Ohio and Indiana, wrestled Tito Santana, and uh, he was El Matador. And then I wrestled uh, uh, Terry Von Eric, Texas Tornado. Yep. Well, then I went to Florida, and when I went to Florida to TVs, uh, and this is going somewhere, I went to Florida, I did um, uh, Mike Rotundo, IRS, uh, uh, and uh, Virgil, you know, yep. was there. And um, anyway, uh, I was like, okay, um, I see where this TV thing's going. This is not necessarily where I want my career to go, mm-hmm. but it was good enough to keep me on the road and keep my dream alive. So I was back in Tampa in January of that year, and uh, man, I was down. I had some bookings, but I was like, I might have to get get a real job here if something don't change. So I'm only working right. a couple of nights. My brother was kind enough to put me up. We were rooming together, living a time of our life, man, and and having a good time, training, eating good. And so, uh, some guy, I, I went down to the uh, home shopping network and took a typing test. This was on a Tuesday morning, <laughs> and I was going to be booked that night at the Sportatorium. Uh, in Tampa, but I passed the test. I had about eight bucks in my wallet. You hear that story all the time. And then uh, they were offering like eight or nine dollars an hour at the time to, to come down there and just take orders on the on the you know when people call in to order on the Home Shopping Network. So I get home to my apartment with my brother, and uh, <laughs> the phone rings after I'm laying there about ten minutes, just just kind of laying down, chilling out. And I'm thinking, well, that's awful damn fast you know, for that to happen. <laughs> and I pick it up and it was Ron Starr who had been up in Canada with me the first summer. And um, he was in Atlanta and he said, I've got a, a trip lined up for South Africa. Okay. And so in the meantime, I had already talked to three other guys that I was going to ride with up to, to the panhandle for WWF TV. I'd already done the South. I'd done uh, what was like I said, uh, Fort Myers in Orlando, something like that, Daytona Beach, maybe. And uh, so the TV, you know, a couple more times ready to film again. They asked me if I want to come back up there, and I, I'd said yes. So they, I ended up calling the WWF office and telling them, I said, I can't, I cannot make these next two bookings. Uh, will you keep me in mind? I'm, I'm going to be doing something overseas. And the late secretary, like, yes, of course, you don't know who you are. I think they just had a name yeah. there. Yep. And uh, next thing I know, the next day, um, I'm at Tampa International Airport in line waiting to go to uh, uh, South Africa for a 30-day tour. <laughs> so that's just how things happen, you know. End up going to South Africa for three weeks. I, 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 we left a week early for some whole bunch of domestic shit over there. Crazy. Uh, with the apartheid ending, it's still crazy, though, you know. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's kind of how I did all the WWF stuff right there, you know in a nutshell. So started awesome. in October and was finished by January, but uh, actually was going to take a couple more bookings uh, in January, you know, for them. But again, something else came up, you know? Yeah. 
and uh, I did. Yep, in my research, saw that you you did you also did a tour uh, for a, a, a tour called Wrestling Down Under. Uh, yes. And I'm just going to list off a few dates and matches here. Uh, you uh, work with Rico Red Rico uh, on the 25th of February 1993 in Brisbane, a rematch Brisbane. the following day in Melbourne. Then you wrestled AJ Freely in Adelaide on March 2nd, and then against mm-hmm. Aussie wrestling le- legend Mark Mercedes on March 4th in Sydney. Um, although I think Mark was probably quite a bit younger at that point. But yes. uh, please tell me a little bit about your time in our country. Yeah, well, it's called uh, Wrestle Riot 93 was the first tour. Had right. uh, Jake Roberts, Junkyard Dog, Don Morocco, Luce, uh Liger, Benoit, the Malenko brothers. Uh, the way it came about, um, after I had finished up, you know, the second tour of Canada and had been to um, South Africa and I had been trying to get in with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, who that was just opening up at the time. I was in talk with Jim Cornette, but he didn't have anything for me at that particular time. But right. um, when I was in Tampa, uh, Dean happened to go back, happened to be going back to Larry was getting Professor Boris Blanco. Larry was getting a little bit older, um, as we all do, but he was uh, having a little bit of health issue. And Dean had uh, just went over to Japan for three weeks. So myself and Rico, Federico, there, we went and picked up Mark Mercedes and Greg Smith, uh, radioactive Greg Smith. I don't think he's been around much anymore. He does some shoot style in Japan way back when. But that's nonetheless, we picked him up and took him to the Malenko's camp and started. They wanted to come over and train, and we right. started training with them. And Rico and myself just, you know, we we worked one-on-one with them, two-on-two with them a lot for the first three weeks while they were here. And they both have been good amateur wrestlers, from my understanding, so that made it easier to help them, you know, some. And um, we did that until Dean came back. And then once Dean came back, he just kept, he kept Rico and myself with them because we had already – you know, he fed him some younger guys, but but also, you know, we were the most over at that time at the camp. And then we'd bring a couple of different guys in. So uh, they they kept saying, we're going to go back home. When we do, we're going to have a tour. We're going to have a tour, you know. And uh, in the meantime, um, they finished their training, went home. They found some sponsors and they had a, you know, pretty big tour. Dean booked it. And uh, therefore, Dean, um, you know, Malenko had agreed that, uh, if something never come out of, our, out of our stable, you know, we'd, we'd get guys, you'll get first choice. So Rico and myself, we went over, we had been tag team tam- champions up in Canada a, a couple winters before, and uh, we worked all around Florida. And plus we'd worked with these two Australian guys, you know, and they knew we could work. So um, uh, Dean had, you know, like I said, he had Liger and uh, Benoit to work with and with his brother, Joe. And then of course they had the WWE guys there I mentioned. And mm-hmm. then they had guys like Mark and Greg and, and AJ and, and some guys like myself and Rico um, doing the undercard matches. And it was blasting. As far as your country goes, I'd come back in a heartbeat, man. I loved it. Uh, here it was March of 93 and you are, you're hitting your stride for um, uh, wintertime, I guess, you, or summertime rather. You're hitting your stride in summer. We're just kind of at that time we're in, we're in winter, you know, and, um, I had been over there. I stayed back. I changed my ticket. The company we worked for, there was a, a, a rock promoter involved and a, a travel agent involved with the booking and promotion of it. So it was a really good, good gig. And I really loved the gig. Um, stayed at the Ritz Carlton and stayed up on, you know, stayed at the Hilton, stayed at the Hilton, stayed at the Ritz Carlton, but we was at the Ritz Carlton, um, 
and sun tanning up on the roof, you know, and I, when the tour ended, like I said, I changed my ticket. So I stayed back a couple extra days to hang out with Mark and stuff. And um, so when I came home, I flew into LA and had a layover there. And so I'm still kind of messed up on my time, you know, jet lag, what have you. But I, I, I hang out in LA, party a little bit, um, half-ass get some sleep and get caught up. But then I'm to fly out the next day to Kentucky, which is like another six hour flight. So by the time I'm flown from Sydney to LA and LA to a couple stops in the mid states over here to home, I'm worn out, man. So I went from your weather over there, approximately maybe 30 degrees. I guess it's, it's like yeah. 90, 95, you know, somewhere yeah. here. Uh, and uh, I come home, of course, it's cold as a horse heart here, you know, <laughs> but because uh, it's winter. But what happened was um, I went to sleep. I, I had, a, had a room at my mom and dad's house still. One of my brother and myself, we were we were always hanging out together, and we, we were just the ones that were doing had some responsible brothers and some that, you know, worry wouldn't settle down yet. And my younger, one younger brother and myself, there's a big gap in a rage, but so he's like still in high school, 18, 19 year old kid. And I'm, you know, 30 years old. We're still just, you know, partying it up, having a good time, whatever. Uh, it eventually catches up with you. So, but anyway, point being, so I went to bed, man. And uh, I guess my mom got nervous for me because I hadn't woken up for a while. And she come and I'd slept for like two fucking days, but I was jet lagged, you know? <laughs> yeah. She goes, you're not going to believe it. She goes, like 48 inches of snow outside. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and it was the blizzard of 93. And that's a straight <laughs> shoot. I woke up and there's like three foot of snow, you know, 36 inches in some area, 48 inches in some, three or four foot snow off in a two hour radius of my home. And, and everything is locked down. It's just crazy. So it was a blizzard of 93. And uh, we had to stay in for like another week. And it was driving my brother and myself crazy, as you can imagine, you know. So um, my wife, again, it's another brother. But um, that's what I came home to with a blizzard of 93. But during that time, that's when um, I talked to Cornette again, told him I was back from that tour. And then I met with Bobby Fulton. And uh, when things cleared up, he asked me to come to a show, Bobby Fortner, the Fantastics, um, asked me to come to a show. We, we talked it out. I, I, I did two matches for him. And the following week, Cornette called me and he said, hey, how would you like to have a tryout match? And Bobby oh, had spoken real highly of me, you know. And yeah. um, Robert Gibson had twisted his ankle. And um, they needed someone to fill in a card that could work. And uh, Cornette put me on a three- or four-day loop. And uh, he put opening matches each night with Dr. Tom Pritchard. And I was like, how can you get any better than that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cornette's managing them. It's opening match, but it's with the company I want to work for. So Cornette got to see me work straight up, up front in front of him with, you know, one of the better wrestlers in the company, you know, and uh, it's still him and um, uh, uh, so anyway, I did that. And then the fourth night, um, referee mark curtis came into the locker room and this is down in southern kentucky so it's um uh, not too far from my home but the last the last the fourth fourth day we were in a town called paintsville kentucky which is only about an hour from my house plus i have relatives there and um the referee comes in he goes bobby what's your finish tonight and i said same as every night put tom pritchard over and he goes <laughs> no no he goes jimmy brought you someone we want you to work with and he said, it's Mike Sampson. And I said, oh, I, I knew Mike from the independence and I knew he was good. And he said, no, we brought Mike Sampson and he's going to put you over. 
we want to see you go over tonight. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, this, <laughs> this is cool. You know, I've worked with Tom three nights, done a couple battle royals. And I said, just tell Mike, um, have fun in the ring, and I'll do a drop kick off the top rope. And uh, I said, okay. And then after that, Cornette said, you know, you want to come in for some TVs? I did that. He said, I was using black and red gear in honor of my of Malenko. That's what they did to red and black. And I said, some shooter boots and black trunks, red lace, not lace, red trimmings. And uh, he said, you got anything more flashy for TV? I've, I've got some ideas for you. And that's how I started Smoky Mountain Man. But it took me nine months to get in there from the time I made the phone calls in Florida to going on another tour in uh, Canada to another tour in uh, to another tour in Australia to finally get on. And when I did, I didn't I did look back. I, you know, I fit in really good. That's one thing he told me. Uh, I had went to a show uh, that I wasn't booked on to, to talk to him and tell him, here's where I'm at on my schedule and uh, looking forward to doing business with you kind of thing. And um, he said, you know, look around to nice card and see how you feel like you can fit in here. Well, I, I knew Brian Lee, Robert Gibson, and, and uh, Scotty Armstrong already on a babyface side, and that's where I was sitting. And they were like, Bob, you'd fit in here so good. You know, you just just good attitudes here. It's, it's good, you know, good loops. And I was like, yeah, I can see myself working here, you know. And um, it worked out all right, man. <laughs> Certainly did, because you ended up becoming quite the legend of Smoky Mountain. And I just wanted to just kind of dip back into what you've been saying just before this. What a whirlwind. To go, you yeah. know, you, you you were trying out for the Home Shopping Network at one stage. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> South Africa, Australia, you're here, it's hot weather. There's probably a lot of nice, good-looking Australian women around the place. Beautiful women, beautiful and then, country. And then not long after that, you're stuck in your house with snow around the house, <laughs> stuck in the house with your mum. That's just that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, there's no internet, you know, because I'd have been a, I'd been one of them boys in the basement, been a keyboard warrior maybe or something, you know. <laughs> but I was never a gamer or anything. I always played sports. But, yeah, stuck at my mom's house. Hell, we couldn't even get out. My brother and I couldn't even get out and get beer, you know. We were like, oh, damn, nice. man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we – I I, I used to – uh, we have a Greyhound track not too far from here. Of course, they simulcast horse racing. And being from Kentucky, the closest race track for me is a couple of hours away in Lexington or Louisville at Churchill Downs. But right over in West Virginia, they simulcast everything. Um, so we'd go to the Greyhound races. Hell, the Greyhound races were shut down. and We couldn't get off the highway to even go, you know, play some dogs just, just to have something to do. It was just, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah. It was, it was, uh, we went. We end up getting out. They started opening things back up, and they ran a week behind on all the high school basketball, and that's a big thing in Kentucky is basketball. Mm. So they got behind on the state tournament. So they opened things up. The regional regional tournament was happening, and so we got out, and our first big night went to a damn high school basketball game because <laughs> he had just graduated like a year before, so he knew a bunch of them. And I, I, I you know, I followed the team uh, anyway. So uh, we we end up going to a regional basketball game and then going to the state tournament that year and watching a couple of games that are just to have something to do, you know, <laughs> until until Cornette got a hold of me. And, Wonderful. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, like just doing my research, I just can't believe the list of uh, uh, of legends that you you work with just out of the gate. I mean, Bobby Eaton, one of the best right oh, hands yeah. in the business, right there. You, you got yeah, Dirty absolutely. Boy who uh, with Dirty White Boy, I'm sure we'll be talking a bit about him coming up. The Tasmaniac, uh, Chris Candido, yeah. Tim Horner, uh, you know, obviously uh, rock and roll were there as well. So 
yeah. man, Smoky Mountain really is uh, underrated as far as you look at that locker room. That is something yeah. to be reckoned with yeah. right there. Um, I wanted to bring up this matchup that you had uh, is for the vacant Beat the Champ television title. I'm sure you've been asked about this many times. June 7th, 93 at the Cumberland High School in Cumberland, Kentucky. Uh, you defeat Dirty White Boy to become the first, well, for, for the first time, winning your first championship. You you, you win this, with, uh, I guess it's the end of a tournament. Tell me how that felt. You know, you wanted to be in this company for so long. And now within, geez, March, April, May, June, yeah, four months or so, yeah. you've now won one of their championships. You're now like a total mainstay in the company right out of the gate. Tell me how this felt to be uh, bestowed this thing by Jim and, you know, this is him saying he believes in you. Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, Jim always treated me professional. Every time I spoke to him a couple of times on the phone, like I said, I went to that one house show and uh, then when he finally called me up the very first night for my tryout, he came over, we spoke, you know, just two gentlemen discussing business. And, um, you know, he's like, hey, Bobby, you know, here's what we got going on, blah, blah, blah. I told you kind of there what happened with the, uh, um, working a loop there. So yeah, the first TV, um, they bring it, uh, you know, put me a Bobby Eaton and I've known Bobby. I've known Bobby a long time. I knew him before I was really in a business because I'd always talked to him before the matches. I was a fan of his and, um, he'd come out and actually talk to me before the matches when it's in Huntington. So, um, that's kind of a kayfabe thing. And, and we just always got along and, uh, and I love Bobby Eaton, man. Get, I, I dare you want to ever find a bad thing to say about Bobby Eaton. He's one of the nicest guys you could ever meet in professional wrestling. Best right punch hand, like you said, but he could punch you just, but, uh, so he put me in a match with him. I'm like, Bobby's like, well, you know, what can you do? And cause I knew what he could do. He said, what can you do? And I, I told him, I said, I got a couple of things I'd like to do. If it's all right, he goes, go, go think about it. I'll get back with you in about five or 10 minutes. And he come back and he said, uh, what do you want to do? And I said, I've got a couple arm drags and some different kind of sunset flips and stuff. And, and then you're finished. He goes, all right. And it's just, you know, go in there and work a match. It's like, you know, you, easy because you're professional, you know, but, but a new cornet, I could see, you know, the gears turning because he'd tell me, there's a reason you're with these guys and you're, you may be getting beat on TV, but you're not getting killed. Yeah. And, uh, so then, uh, he came to me with that idea. He said, you know, I've got this idea for you for his TV title and, and run a program with white boy with Anthony. And I was like, yes, sir. You know, and, uh, uh, Anthony and Horner come up to me because Tim, uh, Chris can't do it on myself. Chris was new in a company as well. Mm -hmm. And they said, Hey, you, you, you young guys, man, here's your good chance. Now he was a little bit envious or, you know, cause they were afraid about be taking our spots or something, but that wasn't the case, but they was also professional. So, Hey, you guys got a good chance here, you know? And so working with Tony, um, he's just like, kid, I'm just going to get on you and stay on you and uh just whatever you do don't quit and keep kicking out you know don't quit keep i said okay and so um the very first rat tv title there what we did um he had he had beat me like put me on the ground one two but he pulled me up and didn't let me take the third count right so he thought he's going to punish me so as he pulled me up i just fell straight back down the referee was checking on me well tony had went up to the second rope and was going to drop a big form across my throat or something, you know? So 
when he did that, at the last second, when he's airborne, that actually be a flying headbutt. He comes in for the headbutt. I set up just enough, kind of like a dead man set up like Undertaker. I just kind of set up and Tony, you know, takes the face bump and then flops over on his back. And I just so happen to fall back across them. And <laughs> right. you know, I'm still out of it, you know. And uh, the referee goes one, two, three, and jumps up and starts pulling me off the mat to raise my hand. And uh, of course, Anthony jumps right back up. He's madder than hell now because he lost his match. And the commentator is picking over, putting over. So Mark Curtis goes and gives me the check. And then um, White Boy kicks me in the stomach and DDTs me. And then he gets his chain out that he comes to the ring with put it down in the middle of the ring, DDTs me again. I get the juice, start getting the sympathy of this little baby face out there that just got upset, but I just got the snot beat out of me too. I'm bleeding, you know, and then I do my promo, man. I'm just, I'm happy to be here. I can't believe, you know, I won a, a match. I'm your TV champion. I'm just kind of really playing down, you know, the, the baby face that I'm just, oh, shucks, you know, how'd I win that thing? And um, yeah, so that's so I started a program with Tony, and through the first loops, it was um, uh, as long as I didn't quit, I could win the matches, 15 minute matches. Um, but he, if he pinned me, it didn't count. I just had to pin him one time. But if he pinned me, he might pin me three times in a match or four, but it wouldn't count. And um, the only thing that happened was after a couple of nights, he was kind of taking advantage of me, but I wasn't. Um, not not hurt me not like like not giving me enough to to right. as a good opponent and so Robert Gibson said Bobby he said Tony needs to give you a little bit more because you're really just dying out there uh, and then you're doing a spot and so uh, he said I'll say something I said okay and so I guess Robert spoke to Cornette and Rob, or Tony and and Tony come to me during the match as soon as we locked up he goes you're gonna get some more tonight just just fight me I said okay. You know, because so instead of just beat me, beat me to try to pin me, I do something a little bit more each night so that he started having confidence in who he's working with, too. He knew, well, if the boss told me to give his kids some more, I better. And so we'd do a thing, and um, then somewhere in there, I'd cut him off and I'd go for the pin or be going for the pin and the time would expire or whatever. But it was right, a good yeah. little challenge, you know, and it got me on TV every week and it got me of all course. the bookings following those three or four towns after the TV every week, you know? So yeah, that's how that came about, man. All right. That's and, uh, awesome. And I love that. Uh, I love that finish that you told me about. It's such a, an interesting way for a match to uh, come to a conclusion. And um, you know, this angle between the two of you, 21 days later after that match, uh, you, you face a masked wrestler known as the mighty Yankee, uh, <laughs> which is dirty white boy pulling a trick on you to, to win the championship. Uh, then also the 13th of August, uh, white boy must win by submission uh, and he defeats you by referee's decision at uh, Smoky Mountain Hot Night in Morristown at the East High School Gymnasium in Morristown, Tennessee. Uh, so this is like your first proper angle that you, you participate right. in in wrestling. So this is like an important part of your career. And how do you feel, you know, you were coming along uh, as a, as a wrestler at this stage and um, as you're learning to work with these guys? Uh, it felt great. I mean, cause that's what I had wanted to do. And um, even though I had worked territories before, you know, uh, Canada, like I said, and, and done that a couple of summers in a row, uh, even Bill Acker had contacted me to put introducing Bobby Blaze. So I was in some magazines and uh, it, 
not to be a mark for myself, you know, because, but that was a big deal to, to, you know, be in magazine, local newspaper in a couple of towns, you know, like, Hey, we want to interview you, you know, your local Kentucky boy, you know, what your work by these guys, the rock and roll express, you know, and uh, they started putting over the name guys, even though I wasn't work, excuse me, working them. I'm with them, you know, and from Louisville, Kentucky, you know, the, 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 Jimmy Cornette, you know, the evil manager, you know, and you're with these guys now, you know, kind of what you're asking me there. And it just uh, felt like a schoolboy living a dream, really. I mean, I was older, of course, but um, just felt really good to be a part of something. And I have to say, uh, the morale in a locker room was really, really good. You know, um, you come in, you know, not a lot of stress. Uh, there were some things going on and eventually did happen. But, but as far as, you know, work environment, you showed up, did your job. Um, got paid and went home, you know, went, we're back to the hotel or what have you. Uh, it's a good territory to work. It felt good. Um, felt good to be respected amongst your peers. Like I said, maybe Robert Gibson saying, you know, Hey Bobby, uh, uh, you know, he needs to give you a little bit more, take care of it. And Ricky Morton pulled me to the side. This is, this is what happened also, um, was at the selling, um, uh, Tracy Smothers, bless his heart, rest in peace. Uh, he come to me, we was in Johnson City, Tennessee. And he said, uh, Bobby, you got any pictures to sell? And I said, no. He goes, it's a gimmick board out there, man. Here's where you make your money as a baby face. So Tracy's, I had about seven pictures that I had shot up in Canada. And, and Tracy said, come to the gimmick table with me tonight. So I said, okay. So I went up there and there's Ricky and Robert and there's lines of people. And there's Tracy, lines of people. And Tracy said, just stand by me. I had these little black and white pictures. <laughs> and uh, he said, sell them for $2 each. Well, I sold seven of them for $2. I said, $14. I said, well, <laughs> I really, he said, go home and get new photos made. He said, this is the deal right here. So he smarted me up to that. So then I started, you know, getting even the little TV deal, you know, they see every week. And then white boy says, Bobby, you're the closest thing to a TV or a movie star these people ever see. They want to buy that stuff from you, you know, go out there and sell your gimmick kid. But then one night I was out there and Ricky Morton pulled me to the side. So everyone's talking to me, giving me, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, I fit in here pretty good. And Ricky Morton said, Bobby, he said, um, I've been watching your matches and the way you sell. He said, watch me. He said, watch me. I'm going to show you how to get that sympathy fuck. He said, you, you come back, you come back, you come back. And um, I knew then I was like, he wouldn't be telling me this if Cornette didn't say you know, mm. so between the little things the guys were telling me, I knew I was fitting in because Jimmy didn't have to babysit me um, and come to me and say, Bobby, this is what I need you to do. Yeah. You know, he said, here's the idea of what I want you to do. And then I'd get word back from the older guys if I just followed their lead, you know. So, yeah, it felt great. It was a, it was a good time, you know, good time for sure. Excellent, bro. And uh, I, I believe that the next guy you, you – you work quite a bit with is Chris Candido. Uh, there's a yes. tournament for the inaugural uh, Smoky Mountain United States Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, you 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 uh, you held the belt for 21 days before Candido won it back from you, uh, and then it led to a series of matches between you two. Go on tip for tat yes, sir. at the Parade of Champions 1993. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, working with uh, with Chris. And another thing I wanted to bring up was. Uh, these these tarred and feather <laughs> matches. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Chris came on the came off on the losing end quite a bit. That must have been a bit of a nightmare to clean off for himself after the match. Well, yeah. So while I was working my program, White Boy, uh, Candido actually was still over in Memphis, but was coming in in about two weeks. He didn't have an actual starting date yet, and he came to Knoxville on his off day and uh, 
came in the back and talked to the boys and he introduced himself to me and, and Corny had told me about him. So I've got this kid coming in. I want you to work with you. I've got some ideas for you. So Chris came over and I just interviewed Johnny Candido last week uh, oh, cool. on our podcast, on a bell to bell Bobby blaze podcast. Johnny came on cause he's got a book, um, uh, no gimmicks needed about his brother. So, um, and of course I thought, um, I've talked to Johnny before through the years. I said, they can't tell his story without telling mine because we were together at Smoky Mountain. So there is actually, they, they did it justice. They, they put it in there very historical the way he put it in the, the gentleman that did it. Um, uh, he got mad and draw a blank on the main author's name right now. John, I can see his name, but anyway, I won't look it up on air. But anyway, long story short, um, so Chris and I start doing these. We hit it off. We're both young, we're athletic. And uh, we just hit it off like uh, him showing that maturity and respect to come over, introduce himself to everyone on a day off, know he's going to start soon. Uh, like I said, we just clicked on the tar and feather matches. <laughs> what happened most of the time, um, I was the one that got tarred and feathered. Oh, See, right. it, it was a swerve. It was a oh, swerve. Okay. So <laughs> even though I might win the match, he would always do something like glom me with the bottle of the, the molasses that was the oil or the, you know, the tar. <laughs> so I would be the one getting it. But, but what would happen was, so if I won the match, I stayed strong. If he got a little bit of heat on me after the match and he didn't have, now he got tarred and feathered just in one of them. Okay. But um, if he got, if, if, if he got the heat again afterwards, because he was such a sissy, you know, that he didn't want to get tarred. He was a, you know, baby, you know, he had had a bonnet match and bottle match and all this with uh, uh, Tim Warner before that. So he was playing that whole sissy role. So if he could get on me and he'd still try to stay strong because he was still scared of, he didn't want to be tarred and feathered. But what would happen is when I take my beat down and get tarred and feathered, even though I won the match, he would stay in a ring that extra minute or two minutes celebrating. Right. And of course, by that time I recover <laughs> and I get up and every time I go and I grab him and I love on him, you know, I just rub all, I just rub his back, whatever I can. And I get as much tar and feather with him. So both every night we were getting tarred and feathered. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how it worked out. And then the last night of it, um, he really, he really got me good. And, uh, uh, he stayed in the ring and Sandy Scott, he was, he had extra bottles that day too. That was a two pillows and maybe two bottles and Sandy <laughs> Scott, who was the road agent and also one of the office people for, for Smoky Mountain, you know, he comes out and grabs a microphone and tells Candido, if he doesn't get out of the ring, he's going to find him. So I took, took the butt whooping in the ring, but the whole time Sandy's talking, I'm coming up and I've got the other extra bottle of the oil. I'm already covered, but this time I glom him poor, you know, and we, we have just, there's just molasses and feathers all over that ring. Yeah, like <laughs> 10 minute intermission after that, but yeah, yeah. you go in the back, that stuff, it's, it, you're already hardening when you get in the back for the shower. It's already sticky and hardened feathers everywhere. Hell, I find feathers in my shoes, in my uh, gym bag. I mean, for like three weeks after, you know, it, it's just a lot, but it was fun, man. It was really fun. And the people were into it, you know, and I thought the finishes went really good because even though, so the loser gets tarred and feathered, but I was winning the matches and still got tarred and feathered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then in the end, you know, the heel ultimately, 
you know, got, got it again too. So yeah, it was, it was good stuff. And I, I, to this day, I think Jim Cornette's one of the smartest men in the business, the wrestling business. I love his brain, uh, for, for finishes and stuff. So that's that we just went with it, man. We made it work. He said, here's the idea. Here's the blueprint. You guys do it, you know? So. Excellent. And, uh, I believe the, the co-author's name for Johnny Candido's book is John Cosper. Yes, yes. And I speak to him on uh, social media only because he saw one of my students wrestle last week. I've got a young girl doing really good. And uh, he put her over in a, a, a girl fight uh, match uh, last week. And we texted each other. I couldn't remember his name. Thanks for bringing that up for me. Um, seemed like a very, very nice gentleman. Has several good books out there. He, he's the co-author with that, No Gimmicks Needed. And also he's got a uh, Tracy Smothers book out there, among some other things. So, yeah. Um, John Cosper, yes, sir. Thank you. No I hate problem. when I forget someone's name. We got to get you. Got to give props where props are due. You know, so of course, so, yeah, of course. Yeah, and yeah. as soon as someone can't remember something, I get straight on Google so you can. Yeah, make sure. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing worse than when you can't remember something and it's on the tip of your Yeah, <laughs> and I'm looking at my phone. I'm looking this way. My phone's right there. I'm going. I know that's a top email I've got on there where we spoke just the other day. And like I. I, I can't do this though. Get on the keyboard and be talking to you or grab my phone and cause I'll be, I'll get distracted. So <laughs> yeah. Same thing on our podcast of Jeremy, uh, shout out to Jeremy Vilmer, the professor, uh, on our podcast, because I can hear him clicking away and I'm just going like, I'm going <laughs> off my notes. I, I, I got, I got bullet points and I've got the story I'm going to tell with each one, but I'm not going to start researching. I'll just be lost. You know, I just leave it up to you. Leave it to the profession, which like yourself. <laughs> oh, thank you for that, sir. Um, uh, again, another big moment in your career, 26th of February, 95. You're at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum in Knoxville, Tennessee, Tennessee, excuse me, at Smoky Mountain Sunday, Bloody Sunday 2. You defeat Jerry Lawler to become the Smoky Mountain heavyweight champion. Come on, man. That's that's huge. <laughs> you're working with Lawler and you're beating him for the championship. That is huge. And this yeah. is in 95. So, you know, uh, it's a couple of years now into being in, in Smoky Mountain. But this is such a, a, an important moment for you. Oh, absolutely, man. Um, so Jimmy had given me a couple months off and I was working a lot of independence. I was running a couple of my own shows. Um, I ran a couple of smaller shows. And then I, again, where I was on TV in that, that area, I could get booked in Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, uh, some, some areas, you know, that weren't too far to drive. And I was still getting, I could get paid. I was getting paid more for those than what Jimmy was giving me because, you know, you're an independent contractor. But, uh, but the idea was I wasn't on TV, but Jimmy wanted me off TV for a couple months and um, everything was cool. Well, it was a Friday afternoon. I had been dealing with some people up in West Virginia, radio people, about some upcoming shows. We had some shows at, a, uh, at, at some bars. We had agreed to do some bar shows, you know, for entertainment. Um, and I had just signed some contracts. Oh, we'll do these months for you, blah, blah, blah. Something told me, and again, it's pre-cell phone, uh, but uh, something told me to stop by my home on the way to Tennessee. I was booked in Tennessee that night. And... Um, but not for Smoky Mountain. I was going down on a Friday and a Saturday. And I walked in my house and um, I'll be damn if Cornette didn't call me about three o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, we had caller ID back then. So I, I, I said who it was. And he goes, hey, Bobby, this Jimmy, you got a minute? I'm like, yes, yeah. And he goes, I got an idea running by you. 
And so we, we talked for a few minutes. I said, actually, I'm on my way to Tennessee. And he said, yeah, we're in Morristown or where they're at. And I said, oh, I'm working down a road there in uh, Greenville or somewhere, you know. And I said, I'll be around the area. I said, um, I'm staying busy like you told me to. He goes, yeah, yeah. So we caught up. We had spoken for a couple months, really. Um, no need to at that point. And um, he said, I got this idea for you. He said, um, I want to put the title on you. And I was like holding the phone and I sit in the edge of the bed and I went, did I hear you right? Do you want to put the title on me? He said, yeah, I just flopped straight back in my bed like a schoolgirl. You know, so I just laid straight back like the fucking dream date just came through, you know. And so I'm like, I, I'm just sitting there like fucking Marsha Brady or something. You know, I'm sitting like, I just laid back in my bed like, uh, so I sit back up and I go, you know, I'm sitting there and I go, yes, sir, I'm interested. He goes, well. He goes, as you know, you know, Jerry Lawler's the Lawler's our champion right now. And he goes, uh, I'd like to bring you back. And um, if everything works out, Lawler, Lawler dropped the title to you. Um, he said, here's all I'm asking. He said, I won't know until Monday for sure. I'll be speaking to him this weekend. And he said, um, whatever you do, and this is about six weeks out. Okay, it's about six weeks away. And he said, whatever you do, don't say anything to anyone that's independent circuit. I don't want any word back to this. He said, you're you're only one of about three or four people that know who this is this is happening if Lawler agrees to it. But this is what we're kicking around. So I knew it was Brian, uh, I knew it was Bob Armstrong, Mark Curtis, you know, Brian Hildebrand, and probably Sandy Scott and Jimmy, and that's it, you know. No one really knew until he's gonna to talk to Lawler that, you know. So I was like, oh shit. So um, I got my car to go to ten, and I'm kicking around going, holy fuck, I'm going to be back on Smoky Mountain TV, and I'm going to go over Jerry Lawler if this thing comes through. Come Monday night, Jimmy Cornette called me back up. He goes, hey, Bobby, it's a go. I said, okay, man. He goes, just uh, stay in the gym, stay tan, keep working any dates, don't say a thing to anyone, and um, I'll have you a date. And uh, uh, he didn't tell me at night and then a couple more days went by and he said, Hey, here's the date, you know, uh, what are February 26, whatever it was there in, in, uh, Knoxville, Civic College. I like, okay, man, that sounds good. He goes, that's what we're shooting for. So they started shooting their angles, you know, and I still wasn't even on TV at that time. I was going to come back that night. My brother, the one that lived in Florida, he had moved all the way down to the Florida Keys. Now this is my brother. I'm really close to, uh, my real biological brother. Um, and then my mother, bless her heart, she was still alive at this time, and she didn't care to go to some of these wrestling. Now, she went to all my sporting events when I was a young kid and stuff, but, but she's scared about this professional wrestling. She didn't, no concept of, hey, mom, it's a work, you know, because you couldn't tell her it's your kid out there, you know. So, <laughs> so anyway, long story short, she was going to drive to Knoxville with me. Now, I'm not about four hours from Knoxville, but my brother, uh, was going to be coming up from the Keys, driving all the way up, him and his wife. And I thought, wow. man, that's just that's just really true love. You know, so I had fan, brother of the love, you know, family with me that night. And that's one of the few that I really wanted, you know, once your family with you. So, um, yeah, I was just scheduled to wrestle like the opening match. And um, uh, Brian Keys or Brian Logan, uh, they introduced me and it was just a five minute match to, you know, curtain jerker match as they call it. Um, as Lawler eventually caught it that evening too. And I come over and I knew Brian, he's a good worker. He put me over in about five minutes and, you know, I was back as a baby face, you know? So, uh, they had some other matches in between cause it was one of the bigger shows. And then they did the deal where white boy hits, gets, uh, gets whacked, buddy Landell whacks white boy and he can't participate. And, 
He, the winner, <laughs> the idea was the winner of that match between those three guys got to wrestle Jerry Lawler for the title. Right. And uh, so um, I'm in the back. I've got one, one boot like halfway laced, one knee pad pulled down, um, you know, got a towel like I'm getting ready to hit the showers kind of thing, just wait for my spot. And then, of course, Boyle Armstrong uh, cuts Buddy Landell off and says, Landell, you know, um, the stipulation was you have to win a match, win the match in order to get the title shot. And since Dirty White Boy can't participate and everyone in here saw what you did to him, I'm going to go in the back and get the very first wrestler I can find. <laughs> and if, you, if you beat him, then, you know, you get a chance at Lawler. And um, we're anyway how it worked there so i come out there and of course people are like what 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 you know and um I, i'm i'm playing dumb to bullet as we're going through the curtain like what what's going on you know i'm trying to get ready to leave yeah. and um <laughs> people are kind of in between right i get up in the ring of flawler and he goes now buddy you'll fight the winner of this match for the title you know obviously white boy can't participate and right here's Bobby Blaze. He's just as capable of anyone else behind Bounder in our roster. And he said, Bobby, here's your shot, kid. Well, Lawler gets up there and he's goofing on me. You know, he goes, take a picture. You know, he, he ripped me, <laughs> you know, take a pen, you know, mastermind, mastermind, you know, he goes, this is the only chance, uh, you know, stand beside the king and he goes i saw you earlier you're the curtain jerker he goes i don't want you out here clapping i don't want the fans to get behind you he said just let me take care of all this you know he's just really kind of buried me you know how he is he's great you know jerry yeah. king lawler you know the guy that i'll <laughs> tell you full circle back to you know 1973 or four and my brother's running out and we start watching from that point you know yeah uh, 10 year old me <laughs> like that's Jerry the King Lawler, 15 year old me going, that's what I want to do. And 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 Jimmy Valiant's cutting a promo on Lawyer Lawler to to here I am, and Lawler's cutting a promo on me in the ring, you know. <laughs> and so um, we have the match. And if you don't follow the storyline, um, it looks like he just kills me. But there's a reason for that, you know. So I don't have to get a lot. He's just trying to get me over to get the whole gimmick. It's, it's the whole angle over. Yeah. That's what some people don't understand in professional wrestling, especially nowadays. They've kind of gotten away from it. But when you've got an angle and you work it for all those weeks, and then there's a payoff. And this is going to pay off, be the payoff. So at the end of the match, um, I get a little bit of offense on Lawler. And at the end of it, um, He's, I give us, he gives me a swerve where I grab a headlock, but Landell jumps up on the turnbuckle. I shoot Lawler off. They do the double headbutt. Lawler just rolls back. I roll him up. Uh, Schoolboy, one, two, three. Landell's outside the ring selling his head. Lawler jumps up like, what the hell just happened? I'm getting my hand raised, you know, because he'd beat me up most of the match. And so yeah. Lawler pretty much just – exit at that point you know he, he did his deal he knows when to talk when not to just you know true professional so landell he's selling the headbutt like you know and he looks up and he sees me and he grabs a house microphone he goes well bobby i guess it's you and me and so he slides in and starts dominating me boom you know beat me up beat me up beat yeah. me up and earlier in the card i said he had whacked dirty white boy with this a shea case you know boom so uh Anthony comes out. He's got the gimmick around his head, got some blood on it because he'd been juicing. It is Sunday, bloody Sunday. Um, although people did bleed on the show, 
this is the main event. So, um, and I, you know, we're asking who's going to bleed the most. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, um, Landell's beating on beating on him. I'm trying to make a comeback, blah, blah, blah. Well, white boy is mad at Landell, of course, because he should be the one getting a title shot. Yeah. He reaches through the ropes and grabs Landell. And as he does, Landell had just shot me off and I hit him with a tackle and knocked him into the ropes. So he's staggering. But I, got, I sell to this corner right here and turnbuckle rather. And uh, white boy's trying to pull Landell because he wants his chance. And as he's doing that, I'm just, I'm kind of out of it. I fall over and I schoolboy him one, two, three. And of course, yeah. And they, so now I'm, I'm the new heavyweight champion for beating Lawler and still Smoky Mountain heavyweight champion, Bobby Blaze. Well, of course that just pissed off Landell to no end. And he just starts calling me tables, the bell. I mean, I'm a bloody fucking mess, you know, and that's, that's the way it ends right there to, to, you know, start setting angles up with, with Landell until, you know, I'm going to drop the title again, I think in April of that year, uh, six, seven weeks later, whatever it was, but yeah, the, but it's a thrill and a half, man. And, um, to walk around that title and uh, still follows me to this day. You know, the, uh, the thing about it was I kind of wrote about it. Uh, I did write that kind of wrote about it in, in one of my books. And the way I put it is like, uh, even though it's not um, a bigger territory, you're the champion, you have to carry that and you're the one to target on your back. And so everyone's coming for you, man. And that's a good feeling because you got to be ready and you know, you're going to be on every card because now, you know, they're going to have the title on every card. So you can get all yep. the bookings, uh, personal appearances and things like that. So it was, it was a cool time, man. And I appreciate, um, you know, Jimmy Cornette and Sandy Scott and Mark Curtis having enough faith in me, mostly Jimmy, telling them this is what we do. Sandy believed in me. Uh, he had seen me enough. Sandy and I, we developed a really good relationship. He he knew I was a real go-getter and going to bust my ass every night in that ring. And then um, uh, Lawler for being professional enough to uh, to do the deal, you know, just to, to work yeah. with me and do the deal. Now, um, real quickly, August 7th of this year, over in Beckley, West Virginia, at the uh, Bash at Beckley, uh, at the Raleigh County National Guard Armory, Jerry Lawler is going to be wrestling a friend of mine, Shane Storm. And so uh, I'm going to be up involved. I'm going to manage Shane Storm um, against Jerry Lawler. And then Lawler has brought in an enforcer, and it's going to be Dennis Condry. So that's, uh, <laughs> this, this is going to be a big show coming up uh, for ASW, which is a couple hours from me up in West Virginia. So it's kind of coming full circle. They usually run Charleston, but they're running Beckley, and Beckley hasn't been ran for a while. And here it is. I'm going to be involved where I tried out for Smoky Mountain way back in 93 that I tried out for them, wrestled there numerous times through the years. Now I'm going to go back there one more time to manage a young guy I've helped train against Jerry Lawler. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll just see, you know, so it's, it's come full circle, you know. But um, what hopefully it'll be a good match and hopefully fans will enjoy it and hopefully it'll be um, I'll enjoy it, you know, just to be a part of something like that. Um, you know, but yeah, the Smoky Mountain deal, that was, um, I appreciate that, you know, and I appreciate when people remember, remember that I've helped young people, you know, through the years, like doing some training and, and stuff like that. And, you know, once in a while, some smart asshole. So what, then this is just 
off the cuff, just so I said, well, what title did you held? And and I tell them, or, you know, I said, I heard you were the champion there, or, you know, something like that. And, and they're doubting, they may say, well, what's your credential? I'm like, I've been around the world. I'm not just, you know, here. And I'm telling them like, um, they don't just, it's not like your local promotion. They don't just put a title on you because someone has a little bit of money and they run a show once a month and yeah. you get paid. You get paid with a hot dog and a coke, and you're <laughs> running around for you know a black belt one. Yeah, I'm the uh, you know such and such. And like it, it's not your buddy's backyard wrestling federation. I said this this is prestigious. You know, it was recognized. You know, and uh, so that gives me great pride. You know, to to, to know that so. Absolutely, bro. Um, and <clears throat> thank you for sharing all of that. It's it's wonderful to hear uh, people talk about very cherished memories of theirs. And uh, another thing that I noticed in my research, and this happened on two occasions, you had the opportunity to challenge for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship against Dan the Beast Seven. Uh, firstly, on the twentieth of May '95 for Smoky Mountains Charlotte Memories in at the Grady Cole Center in Charlotte, and also uh, at the Smoky Mountain Super Bowl of Wrestling in Knoxville at the Civic Coliseum again on August fourth, '95. <clears throat> you don't get to win the championship, obviously, but this still means a lot to be able to say that you challenged for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Yes. How did that go? Um, well, back up one second. Chris Candido actually was the NWA champion before Dan Severn was. Right. And he was, fin- he was finishing up some bookings, and I had booked my hometown of Ashland, Kentucky for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um, I had picked up, up a couple of towns. That was the other thing that was really good with Jimmy. If you could pick up towns and make the company money, you could be a part of it. You know, that was a good thing too. So Chris was actually finishing up his bookings for Smoky Mountain Wrestling and for the NWA title. So I actually wrestled Chris in my hometown about a month before I wrestled uh, Dan Severn. Right. Okay. So that, that was just something, just, it was just small crowd, but it's something that happened, you know, and, I didn't really think too much of the NWA title at that point. I mean, I knew it, I'm not, I mean, like, I didn't think of me having an NWA title shot in my hometown at that point. Okay. So I knew of the NWA title. That's the title I thought that's the best title in the world when I was growing up. You know, that's, yeah. So I knew that part. So I don't want to miscommunicate that. Of so, course. But, but that happened. But then to go to Charlotte and then saying Dan Severn wearing it. Um, and there's a really good piece on YouTube. It's called A Gentleman's Agreement. It's on the uh, Bell to Bell Blaze uh, podcast on there. It's a, they broke both matches down um, uh, from, from Charlotte and from Knoxville, but also Dan and I are talking through it. Uh, we had an interview together for the Wide Men Can't Jump uh, podcast. They put us together and we had a gentleman's agreement. So we talked over the match, they recorded it. And it's a, both matches were really good. The first one in Charlotte, man, I was, um, I was like, I, I basically asked you, I said, he, he knows this is a work, right? So I was in, uh, I was, I tell this story that's in my book and Cornette loves telling this story. I'll, I'll tell you this because Cornette loves repeating it. So we're in Johnson City, Tennessee. And um, just the night before uh, the, the uh, this is a Sunday afternoon, the night before Dan Severn had won the UFC for the first time. Okay. <laughs> so I knew who he was. And, and also I knew Al Snow and Phyllis Lee, some of the people involved with Severn at that time. So I'm in a bathroom pissing 
And I don't know if you're trying to stop pissing midstream because it's kind of tough. Yeah. I'm in the bathroom pissing. Of course, there's a stall here and sink and stuff. And um, Cornette comes in and I'm like, you know, I look at it. He goes, hey, Bobby, you got a minute? Well, I'm just standing there pissing my dick in my hand, basically. I'm like, <laughs> what else am I going to be doing, Jimmy? You know, to my body, you know, just humored up there. I'm like, he goes, hey, Bobby, I got your book. And I'm like thinking, oh, okay. I, you could have waited till I got outside, whatever. Again, my mind's like, what? I'm just trying to piss here. So uh, he goes, yeah, I got you booked. Um, got you booked next month in Charlotte. Well, I always wanted to, you know, wrestle in Charlotte. Who wouldn't, you know, wrestling. That's player country, you know. So I, I go, okay. And I'm still pissing, you know. And so I'm speeding it up a little bit because, you know, I'm obviously not a 20-minute piss because I haven't been drinking any beer. I'm just a normal piss. Got a show that day, you know. And so he goes, yeah, I got you uh, wrestling against Dan to be Severn. And I go, <laughs> cut off my piss right there i'm gonna stop and i look because he's right there by the sink i'm look i go what i go jimmy do i owe you money or something that piss as far as my, i just stopped pissing just like that you know and, and i'm looking at him he's he's by the sink right there and i just step out from behind the urinal and i just kind of go in his way and I start washing my hands i go are you fucking serious? Man? He goes, yeah. He goes, oh, it'll be a good match. He goes, I've really thought about this. He goes, you're, 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 you're one of the wrestlers. You're one of the only three wrestlers here that can actually wrestle, wrestle with them. And I'm like, going, and I go, he knows it's a work, right? And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be okay. You'll be okay. He goes, there'll be something extra in your envelope at night too. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I don't tell anyone. I just go back and sit down. I'm sitting at the bench going like, what the fuck, man? Finally, <laughs> later, later on, because uh, some of the guys start hearing different things, you know, because we're, we're at the building an hour, hour and a half early uh, for a big afternoon show. And uh, I don't forget Steve Armstrong uh, come over and he goes, hey, Bobby, what's wrong, man? I go, because <laughs> they knew who they was wrestling, Armstrong Reunion. They had some things going on. You look at the card there and see who was on it. But uh, I looked at Stevie. I said, fuck, I got wrestled. <laughs> Dan Severn next month, man. And he goes, what? And he goes, does he know it's a work? And I go, I, I said, I guess, man. That's what they tell me, you know? And so uh, so we went to, to uh, Charlotte, and I trained really hard, man. And I took it, you know, like like you should. Like, you're going to be competitive in this and that. And that match, you know, um, I, I met him just uh, uh, briefly uh, backstage. And I knew Al Snow had been working with him on pro style a little bit. And Cornette was standing there and um, he made the introductions. And I was like, you know, nice to meet you. And I said, um, just, uh, you, you do realize this is an agreement, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. He goes, just when, I'm, when, the, when, when the bell rings, he goes, I turn into a beast. Just, you know, protect yourself and I will too. And we'll have a good match. And I was like, okay. So we... We turned it on. It was pretty good, you know. It wasn't wasn't a five star match per se, but it was pretty damn good. And we we worked a shoot match. I mean, we, we looked pretty legit. It was really hard to pull off. And then um, of course he won. I, I uh, we made a lot of sense. He did a, a Japanese arm bar, but I was close enough that when I rolled through, I could block it the first time and also got my feet to the ropes. And then. The second time that he got it on, I was right in the middle of the ring. I had no option but to tap out. And it was really, you know, it worked out really cool. We went out to afterwards. The Japanese magazine were there, so they're stacking pictures. We're having dinner together, having a beer together. We're holding the belt together. Oh, so that's some good publicity, you know. So sometimes you Absolutely. lose and you still get the good publicity, you know. <laughs> and then um, the following, well, the August uh, at the uh, Super Bowl professional wrestling, um, 
Severn actually came up, um, and we we had, we had spoken a couple times since then. But Jimmy had booked us for that Super Bowl, and we really wanted to do something special. So he had come up. He had to come through my hometown in order to go to Knoxville, the, high, the way the highway system runs. And um, so he stayed overnight. We went to the YMCA. Uh, we weren't on TV in this area. Uh, the closest TV we got around here was like 30 miles the different cable companies just didn't pick it up the, right. the county did but the city the city cable didn't but the county did so i figured it's pretty safe to be around here you know so dan and i went to the ymca we you know worked out together we went went there was a mat room over there for like all wise used to have like gymnastics and stuff so we went to a mat room just him and i just worked on some things some kicks and anyway we rode to knoxville together um, the next day and uh, I'm not trying to take any piss out of the match at all. I'll just let you know. Yeah. Uh, but we, but we had a better idea and I was like, Dan, I, you know, and, and also the first match, every time I'd go to do something, I was playing checkers, man. He was playing chess. He was, he was three and four moves ahead of me. So when I try to get behind him, he was already countering. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, I know, legitimately i can't get behind you but if you let me behind you it means so much more you know yeah. so uh, anyway we get the <laughs> and I, so we're on the knoxville deal um i told him i said look i've been here three years now i've been the tv champion i've been heavyweight champion i said i'm over with these fans they're all gonna know who you are because you're over as usc and nwa i said you've got to let me put the move on you where when i'm attempting get give me about three fourths of it before you start countering it. And it'll mean that much more. And I said, and we'll have a much better match. Uh, again, a gentleman's agreement. And so uh, we agreed pretty much to, um, no, I'm not gonna kick you in the face. Don't don't hit me in the face, whatever. But, but when I kick you, you're gonna take it. And when you kick me, I'm gonna take it. And we're, again, in safe, safe spots, you know, not bashing his face. And uh, we went out there, had a super stiff match, but very good competitive match. And um, um, I got hit his leg. I hit him on a ring post, done something, come back in, um, just gave him a really stiff, a couple of stiff kicks and a really stiff uh, Hanson-like clothesline. Yeah. But then, um, and then of course he sold it, just, just, everything was just enough. And it looked really competitive. And the second time I, I set up that clothesline, I came at him and he did a, he took me straight down into a Fuji war arm bar tap out and everyone was very, very pleased. And I walked through the curtain. I held it. I put the belt around his waist, held his arms up, did all that baby face stuff. Um, really good match. And I walked through the curtain and there was Jim Cornette and Buddy Landell watching the monitor. And they, as soon as I walked in, Jim was already looking at me. He started clapping for me, made me feel real good that your boss, you know, he booked that match. And then um, Buddy was looked at the monitor and he heard that. And he turned around, and he goes, Bobby. And he started taking us, you and Buddy and I had, we had, we had a love-hate relationship. We, nothing but love. But when I say, I mean, like sometimes we'd be up and sometimes we'd be down. We never got on each other, like shoot, nothing like that. Just, uh, Sometimes we got along, sometimes we didn't. He did his thing, I did my thing, but we are professional to each other. Uh, not, nothing like that, no disrespect for, for Buddy whatsoever. Uh, but but also there's another video out there, I speak on my podcast about that. It's just, we call it a love-hate relationship, but it was, it was all love, honestly. Uh, but sometimes two guys, you just gotta, you gotta pick the other guy up and they don't wanna come up and you're vice versa, you know? So uh, anyway, 
Uh, he turns around and he goes, man, Bobby, you need to send that tape to Japan. Get that on tape and send it. He says, that was a hell right. of a match, man. You know, so they're putting me over and I'm like, yes. And once again, Sever and I went to dinner afterwards and had breakfast the next day before we departed for our travels. But because he had to go somewhere else and I wasn't booked, I came home. But anyway, long story short, like, yeah, those two matches really, I'm, I just watched them. I guess that interview took place maybe a year and a half ago. Um, and, uh, Tex Johnson, who's no longer with us, put it on YouTube. And again, it's called a gentleman's agreement. And it's just about 30 minutes and it's both matches with Sever and I speaking about our agreement, but they're really good matches. And I hardly ever say, well, this was a really good match for me, but I loved those matches. I really did. Um, so yeah, appreciate you bringing those up, man. Of course. And I'm just going to write that down now in my notes, just to make sure that we put a link to that youtube video in the description down there when this interview comes out on youtube uh but thank you for sharing that it's so interesting to see uh um how it was wrestling somebody like dan the b7 uh obviously very different from many other people yeah. uh i wanted to i guess fast forward a little bit to you finding out that smoky mountain was now going to no longer be in operation and how that made you feel Oh man. Um, I was booked right up to the end and I had, I had some time off there for a short while. I went back to TV and I was booked right up to the end. But the way it happened was, uh, Jimmy gave me a call. I, we knew a lot. We knew something was going on. I had been, we had did, let me rephrase that proper English here. We, we had, we had a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday loop. Friday and Saturday were close enough to my home that I could come home after the, the matches, like, excuse me, one of us about an hour, hour and a half away. Same thing with the, the Friday and the Saturday, uh, in, in Kentucky, uh, Sunday was a spot show somewhere. I think it was more in the mountains of, of more towards central Kentucky. And then the, the Monday night was a TV taping. Well, Monday night was payday. So, um, cause you're going to finish up your loop. The first night we drew about 2000 people up to this, uh, in Pike County where we had, we had an annual show up there, uh, called hillbilly days. Well, even when we didn't do the hillbilly days at one of the smaller buildings, we still could do about 12 to 2000 people, you know, 1200, 2000 people. Yeah. But this show was just stacked. We was all, we was all going to go TV. So we actually had, you know, whatever, five or six really good matches, all guys from TV, no job matches, you know, for a house show. So we get there and, um, like I said, I'm close enough to come home, but, uh, I can't remember if it's Tracy or Robert, one of them, one of them asked for a draw and cause we had a really good crowd. They want to give up the money for the road. You know, you can draw off your count. And, uh, they said, we can't give you a draw. And I was like, Ooh, that's weird. I said, I'm glad I'm going home. I'm just an hour and a half away, you know, whatever. So the next night we had a pretty good crowd again. And, um, I heard some moaning, like, man, they're not giving out any draws tonight, you know, um, got around this gimmick money, whatever, you know? And, uh, I'm like, man, two good crowds in a row. That's pretty good. But a guy surely can get $50 if he needs $50, you know, off his pay. And, um, of course, again, I didn't ask that's just things I were hearing, you know? So Sunday we go to this show. Um, it is, it's average. It's a house show. It's, I'm mean, excuse me. It's a spot show uh, that we do, didn't go to very often. So it's maybe two or 300 people, you know, just, yeah. average, just a little, spot show so i go and get a hotel because it's already closer to where i have to be at the next day for tv 
we do TV and um, I do, I work with Robert Gibson because Ricky had gone for a short while there and done this, done that. And uh, I see everyone getting lined up to get paid. And Tommy Rich was there, Terry Gordy was there. Uh, you know, some of these guys that were in with our regular crew and they start coming out bitching that they're not getting paid. And I'm standing in line just waiting to go into this, this little office area that they at a, at a high school gym, you know, like coach's office or something. And um, I thought, ah, these guys are trying to rib us. As you know, I remember talking to Killer Kyle. I was like, they're just ribbing, man. They they got paid, didn't they? And um, he goes, I, I don't know. So Robert Gibson was in front of me. And I said, and I've known Robert a long time. I said, Robert Gibson don't get paid. I know I'm not getting paid. <laughs> Robert always got paid. And so he go in the office and Robert comes out and he's just looking, he shakes his head. And I go, oh man, it, I, they're not ribbing. So I go in and Jimmy's sitting there. Like I said, Jimmy's been nothing but courteous and professional me and straight up with me. And that's the way I like to be. And he goes, hey, Bobby, have a seat. He explained a couple things to me. He said, give me your real name, social security number, address. He goes, man, here's what's happening. Some things are going on. He said, you will be paid. He goes, I have you down for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I got you four bookings. And uh, he goes, I'm going to put you on the next four. He goes, but you will be paid. And I go, okay, yes. You know, I was like, what are you going to do, right? And um, I, I took his word for it because he never had ever not paid me before. Yeah. And so I knew something was going on. But then the middle of the week, um, like maybe on a, had to be on like a, that was on a Monday. So yeah, probably on Wednesday, he called me and he, he said, hey, Bobby, you know, I got you on these next, I think it's three shows out towards the middle of Tennessee. And I hadn't been out there a whole lot, but that's actually closer for Terry Gordy and uh, Tommy Rich. And then one of the Armstrong brothers was up. But anyway, he said, would you care if I just kept you off those shows and go with the crew that's already over in that area? And he said, because you know, I owe you some. And he goes, this would just be so much easier for the office. And I don't have to owe you anymore. And I said, yeah, that's fine. So he canceled those bookings. So I knew then something, you know, he, he just, he used as small crew as he could. And he knew he owed me for like four payoffs, you know, and um, we, so it shut down and we stayed in touch. And uh, he actually, you know, was working in New York. Uh, I was already caught in Atlanta. Uh, I had been offered something there. Wasn't a contract yet, but uh, I've been offered some work for TV, but I really wasn't sure that's where I wanted to go for the TV. Jimmy calls me, and I, I was talking to Paul Orndorff, by the way, on that. So Jimmy calls me and said, hey, Bobby, we're going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a couple hours from my house, and Huntington, West Virginia, like I said, maybe 20 miles from my house. He said, I can get you on both of these shows and get you a decent little payoff, um, probably about 300 bucks per, per show. And he goes, the only thing I can't guarantee is who they'll put you with. He said, you know, um, you could be out there and have a five-star match with Val Snow, or they could put you somewhere like Sid, you know, he goes, and they just squash you. He goes, that's the only, and I said, well, Jimmy, I said, uh, as much as I needed the money thinking $600 for two nights work, you know, I said, Jimmy, um, um, just want to let you know, I'm talking to Atlanta. And he, he goes, who are you talking to? I go, Paul. And he goes, what's Paul tell you? I said, Paul, just tell me, hang on there. They got something for me. And I said, I don't think it'd be a good idea to go on your TV and get smashed. And he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, Bobby, unless you really need this money, talk, keep talking to Paul because he's a straight shooter. And he goes, uh, if you're in the area, stop by, which I did. I went to Huntington when they came by that, that next month. Now, Grant, keep this mind, Jimmy still owed me money. 
from before, right. you know, but, but, um, that was all cool, but he's still trying to get me to make money up there, you know? So I did the right thing because, um, again, I went up there and I saw Al Snow, Chris, I saw Tammy, the regular people I knew, and also some guys there doing TV that I would have been doing, but I just opted out to not do them. I spoke to Jimmy and, uh, man of his word, it took a couple more weeks, but that my money came, we, you know, what he's he he paid me exactly what he said he's gonna pay me. Um, no hard feelings whatsoever. He had already told me here here's what I owe you. Here's a projection date. You're probably gonna get it, and it showed up, you know. And he called to make sure I got it and cashed it. You know, was going to cash it. And I yeah, so that's that's a lot of respect there. But like I said, that's the only reason I didn't do a couple more WWF at the time TVs because I was already talking to Atlanta. All right. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to get a huge push there, but I knew I was going to be able to do business there. Um, so that's why that happened. Right. Like I said, Jimmy paid me every dime, man. And every guy, to my knowledge, because I've talked to him over the years, everyone that was in that locker room at night that worked that four-day loop got paid. You know, they, they, they paid, man, it was word. So I respect that. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, and Bobby, at this time... Is it okay if I just take like a two-minute break to go to the toilet? Yeah, <laughs> man. Go right ahead. I'll be back in a second. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thanks, I'll take brother. one as well. Excellent. Perfect timing. Yes. <laughs> very good. Very good. So I hope you're enjoying this. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. This is so interesting for me. I'm, I'm loving uh, all of this. So thank you for sharing um, all these great stories. Um, all right, we'll get back into it now, Bobby. Uh, 1996. I... I'm really I'm itching to get towards talking about WCW, but there's other things that I still want to ask you about. Uh, 1996, you go to Les Thatcher's Heartland Wrestling. You become uh, champion as you work there, working with D'Lo Brown. Was there any interest in you sticking around there for a bit longer? Or was this just like a few shots um, for Les Thatcher? A uh, few shots for Les Thatcher because we were helping each other out. 
Um, at that time, I was running championship professional wrestling, which was CPA. And it was basically, um, I picked up a couple uh, Smoky Mountain towns where they weren't running anymore. Um, I had a connection in, in my hometown and a town about an hour from here. And I was using some of Les's students. He was opening up a school at that time. Um, and then I was also getting booked on his shows, you know, up in the greater Cincinnati, greater Northern Kentucky area. So it was just an agreement, a business deal that where uh, myself and a guy that refereed some could travel together, go up there and make some money, get to work with someone like D'Lo, um, work with some of the under talent, and then bring him back to, to the shows that we did two nights in a row. Here we'd do when I did them and, and I'd bring in, you know, D'Lo and uh, you know, a couple less of students and, and a referee from his area, you know, just kind of a, a businessman's agreement. And um, uh, we that's what it was about. Yeah. So Fair enough. I just thought it was important to bring that up. Uh, yeah. Noticing that you'd won the championship for a brief period of time there. But uh, Michinoku Pro, 1997. Yeah. This must have been a hell of an experience. You work, you work with uh, Jinsei Shinzaki, a.k.a. Hakushi, for those out there. Mm. Uh, you work with him a lot during your time there. Just please tell me about your experience working in Japan because this must have been something, uh, you know, completely different for you. And, and, yeah. and it must have been I, uh, I, when I was at Malenko's camp, there was a lot of Japanese boys that came over. Excuse me one second. Um, there was a lot of those Japanese boys that come over to train. There was a lot of connections uh, with the Japanese officers through Malenko's. And... I had always wanted to go to Japan and wrestle because I knew, you know, you have to be really good when you go to Japan. In order to get booked there, you had to be good. And um, so that's early on one of my one of my first goals too was to uh, to see as much of the world as I could. Obviously, yeah. Um, not not just wrestle in my hometown, you know, once a month or something. I wanted to actually, you know, wrestle, wrestle. You know, it goes back to that guy I told you tried to help me a little bit with those ten or twelve matches before I. Um, uh, went to Malenko's camp. That was, uh, you know, I spoke to him and he said, you know, this is, this is kind of what I do locally. And he had done some TV and stuff. He goes, but he goes, you're, you're, you're bigger than this. You're wanting more than this. So if I were you and you got a chance to go to this camp, go, you know, he encouraged me. He said, man, cause you're wanting to make, you're wanting to make it big. He said, I'm happy doing these local shows. And, and he had a full-time job and a family and stuff. I completely understand it, you know? So I was like, uh, but he encouraged me. So, uh, yeah, so early on, one of my goals was to go to Japan, and here it is. I get a chance to Willie Wilkinson Jr., who had been over there working for them, a uh, former Linko student, uh, between um, him and Phyllis Lee helped me get booked over there. And, you know, when I get there, Willie, Willie lived there for five years, and when I get to Japan, Willie had decided to come back to the United States and take about a three-week vacation <laughs> on the three-week tour I'm on. But he left, yeah, but he left word with a young boy, a young Mexican boy from California known as Superboy, uh, Sergio, very talented young guy. And he said, uh, so when I got off the got off the train over there, the train from the airport, and I read a, down to the businessman, uh, so the businessman hotel district, uh, he said, uh, look for Superboy. And I, we had spoken on the phone. I said, okay. And there was a young Mexican guy sitting there waiting on me. And he spoke very good English, of course, um, uh, and, and Spanish and a little bit of Japanese. And so that first night, I was in like at four o'clock in the morning, or whatever. He said, here we do. We stay here for a night. And then tomorrow morning or later tomorrow, this morning, uh, we go over here, we catch a bus or the train will be waiting for us, one or the other. And so it depends on which, 
where you were going. So you got a little businessman's hotel. I had a little room. Uh, you know, you stay there for a couple hours. Bed was barely enough to hold me. I can't imagine someone bigger than me going there. <laughs> I had enough room for a lamp, a little TV that you could drop tokens into it and a toilet, you know. I'm like, okay, I sit there. I think I watched porn all night, dropping tokens. <laughs> in the, you know? I couldn't sleep, man. Next thing I know, the sun's up, you know, and I'm dragging my bag over to the station. And there was a, the first time I was there, um, the, the bus was there. Cause I don't know which direction you're fucking heading, you know. I yeah. just know I'm following, going where I'm going to go. <laughs> I get on the bus and I start meeting people. You know, everyone's, ah, you know, ah, you know, just really nice and um, meet the bosses and stuff like that, take off during the tour. And you just go, if you get on a bullet train, get on a bullet train. You get on a bus, you get on a bus, you know. <laughs> but uh, um, Jensei was, uh, he spoke, you know, a little English and um, uh, sometimes more if you needed more, sometimes less if he didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you know how that goes. Uh, yeah. Or I assume you do when someone doesn't understand you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. Uh, easy to work with. Just uh, fun. Hard matches. You know, we worked hard. You know, I loved it because I love the grind because you get up uh, after that first day. Uh, you do your match wherever. Um, you get up. You eat. You get on a bus, you go to the gym, or they have the weights on the bus that they, you know, and the, the ring crew brings weights with them. Um, you work out, you um, you take a shower, so you're still good and clean for your opponent. You go out there and you work your ass off, and you get back on the bus, and you watch baseball or TV. On a, I watch Japanese baseball, or they have a comedy show that you can understand, even though you don't understand language. You know this is, this is a comedy bit, you know. Yeah. Um, and you drink a few beers and you go to the hotel and you do it all again. And so you get in great shape. Um, you work hard um, and you have good matches. Everyone over there was very, very talented. I worked with uh, from, from young boys that I, that I, the way it would work, I'd, you know, have a match with someone for like five or seven minutes, maybe eight. And they say, you know, tell me, give them one thing. Or if the guy looked more experienced, they say, give them three things. And okay. otherwise you eat them up, you know, because, what that does, it establishes, first off, the young boys get the experience. And it, you may just give him a drop kick. Even though he can do a lot more than that, you just let him do one thing to you so you stay strong. Because after two or three days of those wins, you're wrestling someone like Jensei, and he's, you know, one of the top guys. Mm -hmm. So either semi-main with Jensei or a main event with Sasuke or Hamada or one of the other yep. top guys. So you, you stay strong. And then when I wrestle Jensei, the first series through and he was one of the bigger and stronger guys too. We were both about the same size because a lot of smaller guys there can do just a fuckload of stuff. I mean, they could tremendous talent over there. Anyway, uh, Jensei would fight even match. And then he would catch me with uh, a power bomb one, two, three. And, um, once we did that through, um, you know, just extending, telling a story about when I stay with Jensei, once he got to the power bomb, I figured out how to kick out of it. You know, obviously, you know how to kick out because, you know, you're working together. So I would kick out of it on two, but what would happen is he'd roll me over and get me in like, sit on my back and do like revert, almost like a camel clutch, but grabbing my hands, right. know, pulling me back. So I'd take the power bomb, be on my back, and I'd kick out. And then as I kick it out, I just keep on rolling. He's on my back and he, you know, snatches the hold. And then I have to submit. So it just takes it further, you know, right. every time. 
So yeah, it was really, you know, pretty good stuff like that, man. And then I would go back to um, different tours too. But that first tour, I worked with Jensei a lot. But uh, even worked with, um, uh, we had a, uh, shit, FMW came over. Some of their guys came over a couple of times. They interchanged talent sometimes and uh, got to work, work with uh, Ricky Fuji and uh, Ishibon Kid and uh, uh, Sasuke at a tag match and stuff. And um, got to work with uh, um, uh, Funaki, uh, Sean Funaki, um, and then um, work with uh, uh, the young boy Michinoku, uh, Michinoki. He, he was a very, very talented guy. Um, and then work with Sasuke though, him and Hamada, that was a night off. They were so over and so easy. And if you did a main event with them, it was less like, it was just, they were so over. All you had to do is they would just tell you, beat me up, beat me up, stay on me, you know, stay on me. And they would sell all around the building until come time for the finish. And like I said, they'd build up, like maybe if I was there for that three weeks or whatever, that first two or three nights, I'm beating someone up. So you can see he's establishing himself and then you're wrestling one of the top guys again and you make, you know, you beat them up and make them look good on their comebacks and take their finish or their submission or what have you, man. Um, it's just a lot of, I really love being in Japan. I like that. Um, I like the food. I was only, we went to this one place. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure where we're at, but we were really far out in the country uh, no international calls. Um, you couldn't even get an international call from there, but they had a traditional style Japanese breakfast only, which I, you know, I don't like the greasy looking fish with the eyeball sticking out and I could handle the rice yeah. or some other stuff, but, but, the the, this, and I just, the boys, the, the Americans and the Mexicans, we got ticket meal ticket. You know, we ate at the hotels everywhere. You know, we ate our, our we was accommodated, but the boys that, wrestled there for them they had to pay so i just give them you know two or three times i give them my meal ticket you know uh, go yeah, enjoy yeah. Get traditional japanese breakfast and i'd wait around i eat protein bar or something in my room you know kind of like that's you know i might take a bowl of rice with me you know back to my room or something but i but that didn't happen very often they usually had a western breakfast where you had a wide selection of uh you know eggs and pork and uh bacon and some bread items and and i the noodles, I love the Sobe noodles with the wasabi and um, all the different stuff. You're making me, you're making me hungry, bro. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any lunch yet. It's lunchtime here, about 15 minutes. So I just, uh, yeah, um, I usually eat about this time actually. So I'm making myself hungry. <laughs> Shit. Well, yeah, you know, I liked it over in Japan a lot. I did. That's yeah. cool. Um, okay, so WCW. Uh, you've been speaking to Paul Orndorff, who I'm hearing is not doing very well lately. So my thoughts are with uh, right now. Um, absolutely. Uh, you have a dark match, uh, a victory before Nitro at the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina on the 15th of September, 97, against the one and only Louis Spicoli. May he rest in peace. Um, yeah. How did you feel? You know, I mean, uh, this is a dark match. This is before a Monday Nitro. I'm, I'm assuming it's it's a, a nice house there. Mm -hmm. How was this experience? Oh, well, first of all, when I came back from Japan um, after that tour, I had, I like I said, I talked to Paul and uh, I'd actually went to Knoxville and I had spoken to Kevin Sullivan in person as well as Terry Taylor. And the, so Ter Kevin, 
he put his arm in my chest and he said, Bobby, if you want a job, you've got one. Call Paul on Monday. That's where that started off at. And then that didn't work out. And I showed up up in Ohio. And again, I went to Kevin. He said, Bobby, why aren't you booked yet? And I said, some things came up. And I said, just wasn't a time. Um, he said, was it Paul? And I said, no, it wasn't anything. I, I said, we just, it was a miscommunication. They thought I lived closer to Atlanta. They thought I still lived in Knoxville is what it was. Right. And I had, I had moved back home. So I'm eight hours from Atlanta. They thought I was, they thought I was four hours from Atlanta, which would put me in a really good area to work all those towns. You know, that was the kind of the mess up there. And um, so I said, no, it just it didn't work out. He said, you got a job if you want it. So with all that said, um, I came back and I had a couple messages from Terry Taylor from WCW. I thought it was a fucking rib. I said, that's not, that's not Terry Taylor. I spoke to Terry Taylor. So I said, I, I'm not fucking calling him back. So I went on like a vacation <laughs> with my family and uh, someone said, uh, so I was talking to a couple guys while I was on vacation, people I stayed in touch with and stuff that I've been in Japan with. They said, um, uh, this boy named George, he said, uh, hey man, I, I got a contract out in Charleston, West Virginia at a dark match. He said, you better call Terry. And I said, what? He goes, Terry Taylor is the one calling. And I said, oh fuck, <laughs> I fucked up, man. And so like two weeks passed, I called Terry back and he goes, Hey, you want a job or not? And I go, yeah. He goes, do you need to be in Charlotte? And he gave me the date. And um, I go like, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know exactly what's going on. Cause I'm like thinking at first I thought it was a rib. Now the guy probably thought I disrespected him or something. But anyway, I go, man, I'm about 350 miles from Charlotte. I said, what? He goes, Bobby, Bobby, whoa, whoa, hang on. He goes, we're flying you in. He goes, you're getting a tryout match. Just relax, you know. <laughs> he goes, this is not just, you know, we're just not calling you come in and do a TV job. I go, okay, because that was the holdup, you know. And he goes, I go, okay, okay. So he goes, soon he goes, soon we get off here. He goes, call this number. I never forget. He goes, call Debbie and travel. And he goes, it's all arranged. I was like, oh, okay. Duh. <laughs> so um anyway, I go to Charlotte. I go to Charlotte and I hang out and um they, they, they have three dark matches up on the board there. And uh, I knew Louie from, uh, he'd come into Smoky Mountain a couple of times with Chris Candido. So I knew him. I didn't, I don't, I don't think we worked together um, while he was there, but uh, they spoke to him, just professional courtesy, you know, kind of thing. But um, we go, we go to the, uh, he does that Death Valley Diver, uh, driver rather, Death Valley Diver. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Terry says, you know, hey, Bob, you have any problem putting um, everyone get a tryout? There's three tryouts. He said, um, you pretty much have the job, but you have to show me some attitude and show me some uh, that you can do this. Do you want to be here? Blah, blah, blah. And I want you to bust your ass, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, uh, you, you have a problem taking Louis finish? And I go, of course not. It's no no big deal for me. I, I already know what it is. So, yeah. Um, so, about five minutes before we go out there, he pulls me aside. He goes, Bobby, you go over, you do his finish on him. I want to check his attitude out. Oh, I know where shit. you stand. So I'm like, okay. So about three minutes to go, Terry walks up to the curtain and he goes, Louie, Bobby's going over Death Valley driver. Um, everything I told you before about trying to impress anyone else impressed me. So I don't know what happened between him and Louie, but I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we went out there and we had a match and blah, 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 you know, boom. And um, I, I 
finally picked him up for death by driver and one, two, three, and that was that, you know. I thought, well, that's pretty fucking good, getting a dark match and getting to go over. Something's going yeah. on, you know. And so I uh, come through, and uh, uh, Jimmy Hart said, hey, Bobby, uh, uh, good match. Uh, Terry's wanting to find you. Find Terry Taylor. And I go, okay. And um, so I went around, you know, made sure I found him. He said, Bobby, I'm authorized to give you a job. I'm authorizing this amount of money for this amount of dates. Um, you interested? And I'm like, yeah. Let me think about it. Cause I, I, I was dumbass. I was like, <laughs> it was way more than what I was making, but I was like, okay. And I know what that came down to per night. And I was like, fuck, that's pretty good. But you know, I did, I went and found Dean Malenko and um, I found Dean. I say Dean, uh, and he's on nitro and uh, he'd already worked. Uh, Cause by the time all this took place, I'm there for like three hours. And I said, Dean, this is uh, and they're not dealing with just me. They got other one else. Terry can't just spend three hours with me. You know, we're talking to five minute increments here and there. And I go, uh, Dean, I go, this is what they're offering. And uh, he goes, you know, that sounds pretty good to me. He goes, what would dad tell you? He goes, he goes, he goes, Bobby, how much money are you making right now? Approximately. And I told him, and uh, he's, well, what would dad tell you? He said, he'd tell you to go with who's making the most fucking money. He said, you better go out there and tell me you want it. I said, okay, man, thanks. So by the time I got back over there, some time passed again. So next time I see Terry, he's talking to Sean Watman, X-Pac. Well, he and I had roomed together at Malenko's, so we knew each other. And we had wrestled on a, on a WWE Smoky Mountain show in Marietta, Georgia, uh, a collaboration show, if you will. Um, so I, we'd kept in touch with each other. And so there's Terry and, and Sean talking, and he'd already been there. Um, so I come up to him, and I just got to ease into the conversation. And so Terry says, so what do you think? Because I didn't give him an answer yet. And uh, – and I'd already, I kind of mentioned to Sean, you know, they offered a tryout or offered the contract. And um, so Terry goes, let me just make this easy for you, Bobby. He goes, his matches are fake. My matches are fake. Your matches are fake. The money I'm offering is real. And I said, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I said, what do you want me to do? He goes, put your name, your address, social number on. <laughs> piece of paper and go to the war room and turn it in so you can get your contract written up. I said, yes, sir. Cause now it catches on, you know, uh, so I, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so I went, you know, I went to what they had marked off, you know, backstage, they do a lot of different places, you know, and I walked into a room that was, you know, they turned into an office and wrote down my name, number, social security number, address and all that. And, uh, been a couple of days, big fat contract came from, you know, Turner broadcasting. So I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll take that. You know, I'll take that. Fantastic. Fantastic. What a great story. Uh, <laughs> I was going to list off a few matches here before I get to one that I think is important to bring up. Um, the 10th of October, 97, your TV debut in WCW pro against Adrian bird in Orlando. Then the 14th, you work Saturday night for your debut on that show in Fort Myers, Florida against Alex Wright. I watched that match a little bit earlier tonight. Uh, and then of course you make your pay-per-view debut on the 23rd of November, 97 for the world war three, three ring battle Royal. Before I get to the match that I'm really interested in talking about, I'm just going to ask you a little bit about this World War III Battle Royal because not many people I've had on the show have been in one of these matches. What did you think of this concept, and do you have any stories of that night at all? Yeah, well, um, it's just it was <laughs> mind-blowing to be there because actually we got there and they, you had 
so much to do. They start taking new guys' pictures. I was treated really good being a contract guy. You know, I was like, wow. And, and also knowing you're going to be working in front of close to 20,000 people plus being yeah. a review. You know, it's all exciting. It's all adrenaline, you know, um, catering, great catering. And just, you know, so you have to get there very early in the day. And the, the things I remember, uh, just to tell you some, a couple of funny stories the way things work. Um, so, you know, you go in one of these big buildings, they've got, and I, they, you know, three rings, 20 men, 20 men in each ring, then eventually, you know, two men are going to meet in the, the middle, what have you. All that's fine. Uh, they have some other matches. We're in the back, like catering's fine. Well, those big, and this is in Detroit in November, and it's cold, cold. And, um, <laughs> They have to open up those back doors some. You know, you got to bring trucks in and out, and there's a lot of movement backstage, you know. The, and so the one thing I remember when I got there, obviously got there early, get your parking spot, come into the building, no problem whatsoever. Well, while we're in line, I think I was number 54 in the first year, and Booker T was number 55 in line. And, you know, you're going through. They open up one of them big gates for a truck to come in, right? And this big gush of air. We've been, you know, it's, it's not overly <laughs> cold back there and it's not overly high. It's just right that you can get a little bit of sweat going, you know, all that. Well, when they open that up, it's just cold. It's just automatically freezing there coming through there, right? Well, someone, and to this day, I wish I could tell you who it was. I don't remember. There wasn't a person in front of me, but like one or two people ahead of me they start bitching. I'm not just saying, oh, that's cold or, you know, who opened the fucking door or something like that. They start literally bitching about, well, someone shut that door, you know, and, and this and that. Anyway, they was, doing, <laughs> they was doing their work. Whoever they were, were doing their work to, to get trucks in and out, whatever they was doing. Um, so Booker T's behind me. And, man, he just, he lights up. It's really good. He goes, he goes hey, man, you think you're fucking cold? He just cuss a promo. And he's standing like right off my, he's pulling him, you know, just killing him. And he goes, think about this. You think you're cold? What about those policemen out there? People trying to park cars, people out there taking tickets. You, you know, he starts, just goes off about, he goes, what about these people working a concession stand, making minimum wage? And you're here, you got a fucking contract, man. You need to put your stuff in perspective. No matter where you came from, you, you're asking about your parking the cars, you know, and I can't remember word verbatim, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but, but, but when he does it, everyone's, it's like EF Hutton, you know, everyone fucking listens, you know, and, um, the, 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 he put the dude in this place. There was no argument. The guy, Booker T was right. You have no right to say you're cold and you're going to be going <laughs> in the ring in two or three minutes anyway. And you'll get a fat fucking paycheck, you know, yeah. and be seen on worldwide TV. What do you have the fucking bitch about? You know? And uh, when he's done cutting his promo, cause we're not moving, we're just standing there getting lined up. And I go, man, damn, I guess you're exactly right. Booker. I said, man, I've been out in that cold before. And I said, uh, man, I'd much rather be here no matter what they're fucking paying me. I'm glad to be right here and I'll take the cold. And he goes, man, that just ain't right. People just don't realize. You know, he just started talking to me. And so we yeah, had and I spoken, cool. spoken to him before, but but we just started talking. So every time, I, every show I saw him, uh, we spoke. We, we ate together a lot. Me, him, and his brother would eat with uh, Pez Watley. Um, oh, cool. And yeah, I loved Pez. Pez, was, I loved him. Um but uh, anyway, so that, that was the one part of the pay-per-view I remember. And then going <laughs> in the ring, um, you know, they told me, you know, go five or six minutes, pick a spot, you know, 
and uh, I knew Benoit was in my ring. And so I went to Chris and uh, I said, I've got to get out, you know, at some point will you take care of it. And he said, I've got you. And uh, Chris to me was very professional to work with. Um, but uh, yeah, so I knew I wasn't going to change rings. I knew, you know, those other people eliminated before me. I knew an idea when they say, you know, five minutes gone, 55 minutes left, the rest or whatever, you know. Um, it's probably about time to get ready to get out of there. And I, Chris was over probably chopping someone or whatever <laughs> he was doing. And uh, I finally just, you know, worked around some guys and, and got over there and got, got dumped out, you know. And uh, went in the back and that was that really. The, the next year, uh, when I was on the second one, just kind of fast forward to tell you. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm back there, know what number I am, but I know I'm supposed to go about five to seven minutes and Glacier was supposed to throw me out. Okay. So <laughs> I'd already had a spot with Glacier too. Now you can't do a lot of spots with 20 fucking people in your ring, but yeah. you can work around with some stuff. So I'd already worked with them, bop, 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 whatever, come back to a spot and I'm thinking, okay, I've got a couple more minutes to get through this thing. Let me find someone else to, to do something with before uh, Ray comes over and throws me out. Right. So I turn around looking for someone and I'm opened up to the hard camera side there. And I'm not trying to be, you know, glory hound get on TV. I'm just trying to find someone that, that happens to be right there. The next thing I know, I feel this hand on the back of my head and this hand on the back of my trunks and they're not just hands. They're like fucking palming my head and palming my ass. <laughs> and I can't look back till they've got my head here. And he goes, time for you to go, big man. And it was fucking uh, Paul White, big show. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a giant then, of course, you know. Of course. And man, he, he lifted me right up like I was nothing. And I weighed about 220, 230. He picked me right up and he goes, time for you to go, big man. And he just took me in this gently, and he tossed me, but enough that I could land on my feet. And uh, I was only about four minutes, you know, but he was just eliminating fuckers. Oh, <laughs> and was, and he, he was literally just going around throwing people out of his ring. Like, I don't know if he was mad. I don't know if he was just like, I got, I'm going to get hurt with too many people in here because of my knees or whatever. He was throwing fuckers left and right, and he just tossed me out like that. And I thought, well, that was a quick four minutes, but at least I got paid, you know. And I couldn't <laughs> argue with him. You're up in the air before you – when you felt someone grab you like that, and you're up in the air before you know it, like, you know. But uh, I wasn't mad about it. I stood there and laughed, and I was going like this, like, you know what, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, good experiences, both of them. You know, I enjoyed them. Uh, the pay-per-views excellent sure excellent. did sure did um yeah i uh i wanted to bring it to uh toledo ohio uh yeah. it's on the 25th of uh excuse me which month are we in here the 25th of november uh you take on chris benoit in a barn burner of a match on saturday yeah. night um i need to bring this one up because i remember it so I figured I should ask you about it, and and you know you you've already mentioned Chris and yep. tell me about this match. Very important match. I tell you what happened. This is a straight shoot. Um, so a year after that match, we're walking to the same building. Or Norman Smiley says to me, "Hey Bobby, this is the same building you had that great match with Chris Benoit with." And I turned to Norman. I said, "You remember that?" He said. I remember every 
the best match of every show. And he said that night was the best match of that show. And and I, I, I knew he was telling me the truth because I knew how much the match, how good it was. So what happened was um, the uh, the board hadn't come out yet. And um, I went to catering, whatever. And I know I'm there. It's just TV taping. So it's going to be about, you know, 24 matches. So if, you, if you're in the yeah. first 12 matches, you're going to be on this week's program. The second 12 matches, you're going to be on program two weeks away. You know, yeah. just kind of how it works. So um, I'm standing there. I'm about halfway dressed. And Chris Benoit comes up to me. goes, Bobby, I was talking to you. And he get he he was like real intense, like, Bobby, I talked to you. And he's like right here in my face, right? I mean, I'm like bent over and I stand up and I go, yeah, yeah, what's up, man? And he goes, listen, and he's, Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero are staying right over to my right and maybe Jericho uh, is over there as well. We're standing right here and Chris is right here on me and he goes, I want you to listen. And I want you to listen good. He goes, we're going out there tonight and I want you to have the best fucking match you can have. He said, we're going to go at it. We'll go at it hard. He said, I want you to think about some things you can do. I'll tell you some things I'm going to do. And we're going to put together a match and I want it to be good. You know, and I was like, uh, okay, I, I didn't, you know, well, it wasn't disrespectful, not like that. It was just real intense. Mm. I go, okay. He goes, finish getting dressed. I'll come back. I, I really was close to getting dressed. So I just had to lace my boots a little bit. And I threw, I threw a hoodie on because my jacket was on a seat. I remember that. Uh, so a whole nother story about that. But um, I just threw like a hoodie on. I was standing there and Chris comes back over and he goes, Lock up. So we lock up. He goes, no, lock up. And so again, Eddie and Dean, I don't know if they was working together. They was definitely, you know, hanging together. And we're still got probably 45 minutes for the show to even start. Um, you know, and he's lock up. We lock up and he goes, mm, and he goes, this is what I'm gonna do. And he goes, blah, blah, blah. You know, my finish is a cross face. He said, put yourself in a position to take the cross face. He goes, the only thing I want to do. Um, he said, uh, when I, when I bend you over, he said, I'll say knees, put your hands in front of your face. Cause I'll be grabbing you by the back of the head and throwing knees at you. He said, other than that, he said, just go to war with me. And, and he said, if you get on me, stay on me, I'll cut you off. And I said, well, I like to do this one thing where I'll get you underneath the ropes and clip your head. I said, I'll come across. Man, that didn't sound very good. Did it with Chris Benoit. Sorry about that. <laughs> clip your head. But right. no, I said, I like to do that. And then I'll follow up before I'm on the edge of the ring. I said, I'll come back in. I'll put the boots to you. I said, I'd do a spin kick. I do. And I said, he said, you put them in there wherever you want. He goes, you better fucking lay it in, blah, blah, blah. So we're sitting there doing these things. And Dean and Eddie walk over and go, hey, you guys know this is a work, don't you? You, you guys all right? And, and Chris like, yeah, yeah, we're fine. And I go, Dean looked at me and I go, there's no heat, man. It's all good. It's all good. They thought we was fighting. Not really. <laughs> we're, we're talking. We're talking very quiet, just in a little, you know, five by five space. You know, we're in front of my chair and we're talking quiet, but we're like, you know, and yeah. talking like, look, if you looked at us, you would think them guys are fucking getting ready to fight. Right. So, so anyway, again, I don't know anything at this time other than what Chris wants. So I'm like, okay, well, when they, when they put the board up, I'm number 23 out of 24 matches, which means we're on a whole fucking set of tapes and oh, second right. tapes. So we got a lot of time, man, a lot of time. So uh, what started off being around probably 4,500 people is probably down by the time we get out there, maybe 
you know, it was close to 11 o'clock, probably 3,000 people still in a building for the team, you know. But um, so we'd go out there. And uh, well, before we go out there, first of all, um, Dean said, hey, man, watch yourself for Chris. He, you know, he, he works a bit snug. Don't, don't take it. I said, we've already talked it. you know, uh, I'm good. I said, we're just going to work. We're going to work snug. That's it. And uh, Scott Armstrong come up to me. He goes, hey, Bobby, I, I see, I had met Chris over in Australia too. So we yeah. knew each other before that. I lifted weights with him probably three or four days out of the days I was in Australia. I worked out Joe Malenko a couple of times, Chris Benoit several times. So we got to know each other, you know. So uh, uh, matter of fact, we were in um, that first night up there in Brisbane. He um, he had already tried out for WCW, had one. He We were talking. He said, you thought about going to WCW? And uh, I said, uh, this is kind of how we met. I said, I said actually, I said, um, I've been – I've been speaking to uh, Jim Cornette. I'm trying to get a Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He goes, uh, man, I saw your match. Why not WCW? And I said, well, I probably just ended up going there and doing jobs. And he, he looked at me dead serious, and he goes, and he had his tooth missing. He goes, you too good to do a job? And I was like, oh, fuck. I done pissed this guy off. I said, oh, no, no, sir. That's not what I meant. I, I just want – I was I, – I, that, that, and he goes – he started laughing. <laughs> and I, go, oh, I go, you fucker. I go, you fucker. I said, I just put the guy over in the first match of the tour. I said, I think I get a better shot with my body type, my talk, because that's in my area. I do better off right now in Smoky Mountain. And he said, so he got me, you know. So he said, this thing he said, you want to work out with me tomorrow? I'm doing chest. I go, yeah, I'd love to, Chris. And he goes, cool. And we just start, you know, so that's kind of how we started talking. So, <laughs> Anyway, back to the show you were talking about there, Scott Armstrong come to me. He said, hey, Bobby, I've talked to Chris. And he goes, I told him that you, this Bobby Blaze is not just some job guy. He he worked, He can work. He's working smoky, and he, he'll do it. And Chris goes, Scott, don't worry about my matches. Worry about your own. Just, you know, just kind of cut them off. He goes, I know, I know, Bobby. I'm going to take care of him. So Scott come and told me that before the match, and I was like, well, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it because, you know, for what it looked like, we're going to fight, you know. Yeah. So go to the match. We do the match. Boom, boom, boom. It comes off. I feel like it come off really good. I was very, very pleased with it. Um, but it, like I said, at the end of the match, uh, someone's on last, like Hall and whoever, whatever. Uh, so all the locker rooms pretty much emptied out, you know, people in the war rooms in there and stuff. That's it. And then Scott and Steve are there because they're riding with me. And uh, Norma Smiley's still there. Um, just a few people. I'm taking my boots off, man. And uh, Mongo McMichael comes over to me. You know, he's a big, imposing guy. And bless his heart, if you've seen him lately, you know, who yeah. he's dealing with. Uh, my thoughts go out to him, too. I know thoughts don't do too much, but send him positive vibes. You know what I'm saying, man? Of course, of course. Yeah, not to be a cold-hearted bastard. I'm sending positive vibes, I, you know. But uh, so he comes up to me, and, and we had spoken several times. Not, I always talk to people like, you know, we're professionals. We talked about football. I, I, I saw some picture of Dick Buckus's knees, and I said, Mongo, this is a couple weeks before. I, it was a magazine article. I said, how fucked up are your knees compared to his playing 15 years in the NFL? And he goes, not much better, Bobby. You know, just, you know, bullshit talk, men talking, you know. So I'm sitting there untying my boots, and Mongo comes up. He goes, hey, Bobby, you got a minute? I look up, like sitting there, and he put his hand out. So I put my hand out to shake, and he goes, 
man, he goes, that's a hell of a match. He goes, I didn't know you could fly around like that and wrestle like that. He goes, that was a hell of a match. And I go, thanks, man. I got appreciate it. And he goes, uh, maybe one day you and I can have a match like that. And I said, yeah, maybe, you know, I wasn't being asked. So I just said, yeah, maybe that's cool. And uh, he goes, I just want to tell you what a good match it was. He goes, I'm okay. So he, he leaves. Someone come over and they said, what was that all about? And I said, he just told me I had a good match and stuff. And um, they go, you don't know what happened, do you? And I go, no. And they go, why do you think you wrestled Chris tonight? I go, I don't know. So and Chris and I had already complimented each other, hugged each other, told each other, whatever. And uh, they said, man, in the war room tonight, your name was against Mongo Michael um, in one of the earlier matches. And um, he was going to go over and um, he spoke up. And if you remember this one, Chris was one of the horsemen, him and Benoit. And okay. So yeah. they said, um, they said, Mongo said, uh, don't, don't put me a fat Bobby Blaze kid. I don't even know who he is. He probably can't do anything anyway. So don't, I, I'd rather have the night off. And Mongo was there. He already multimillionaire from he's there for fun he's he's just yeah. taking the money because he's got a big fucking you know acres of land out in texas you know he, he ain't needing the money he's just you know and um so uh apparently he said it and, and chris benoit said put my name in there i, I i'll wrestle oh, i'll wrestle wow. chris took it how disrespectful my yeah. thing in the world it pissed chris off because he was wait it was explained to me i'm more than one person <laughs> Mongo was very disrespectful that he wasn't even going to fucking wrestle if he had to wrestle me. Okay. Wow. So Chris got so pissed off because he was so serious. He said, put me at Bobby blaze. And of course there's Dean and Arn and, uh, Arn always talked to me, you know, and Kevin and t the, the road agents, you know, Terry, Kevin and Arn is like, yeah, that just, you know, it takes care of it. Cause if he don't want to fucking, he, he, Chris just answered his problem to the solution to the problem right there. That's when Chris immediately come to me and got my face and Bobby. Wow. Come here. You know, we stood up. So anyway, after that, um, I get in the car. We got to go back to Detroit because we're staying up there. It was in Toledo. And so I, I ride with Scotty and Steve and we're riding back. And, uh, I can't remember. The, anyway, either there at the hotel one as like Scotty told me the story back. He said, man, did you hear? He said, you're supposed to wrestle Mongo. And Chris has stepped up. That's why you had that match. Well, next day at the airport, because this is the week of Thanksgiving, you know, you finish up at loop or whatever. So we're going home on that Wednesday at the airport the next day. Everyone's talking about that match. Like Bobby and Chris tore it up. You know, that's all I'm hearing. I'm going, oh, fuck, that's pretty good. So uh, I get home and uh, celebrate, you know, Thanksgiving. I'm talk, people call you, whatever. I just had a family at the time, so I'm, I'm just doing a couple family things. I'm not going seeing every fucking body, you know, but a couple of my buddies called check on me. I said, excuse me. And I said, um, all I can tell you is they were all happy. I was on a pay-per-view and all that. And, uh, they'd seen it and stuff that I said, all I can tell you is watch this Saturday night. I said, uh, if not this Saturday, the following, I said, something good's going to happen. So, uh, so we're off for that week until I fly back to Nitro the following Monday, but I'm not used on it at that particular time, but, but TV's still scheduled. So uh, I get the Nitro, man, people's just coming up, just really putting it over, putting Chris over. Of course, I go to Chris as soon as I see him and I pull him to the side. I shake his hand, I hug him, I 
tell him, you know, man to man, you know, hey, thanks for what you did for me. And, and he just basically like, fuck that asshole, fuck them people. They they don't have any idea who's talented, who's not. He just he he, he was still hot at almost, you know what I'm saying? He was <laughs> he was still stewed a little bit. But um, but yeah, that's what happened, man. And um one of my better matches and dusty i was just telling some students at the school over here um i, I helped some young people out for, for that's trying to learn the art of grappling you know and um uh, someone put that match on a few weeks back and i just telling him i'm like uh you know business only um but dusty is is on there and he's really put me over on commentary and he's like, Bobby Blaze, remind me of a young Dickie Slater. You know, yeah, he's beating up yeah. Chris Benoit. And he goes, and he goes, uh, I, I'm a Bobby Blaze fan. He goes, wait a minute, I'm a, I'm a Chris Benoit fan. He, he don't know who he He goes, one of these days, Bobby Blaze is going to get to the pay window, you know. So even the commentary matches, you know, a lot of times, if you watch that Saturday night, two guys are wrestling and they're talking about fucking something going to happen this Saturday at the yeah. Netherlands or something, yeah. you know. But they were actually, him and Tony were like, on that match saying Bobby Blaze is making a show. They, they stayed on the match instead of talking. I'm, they talked about some things, but mostly that match got a lot of commentary for that match. Right. Um, and I, I'm proud of it, you know. And with that said, and I wrote about uh, some of that in my first book. Uh, let me just plug my books real quickly. Uh, sure. You can get my books on Amazon. My first book's called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boostful Travel. I speak at the, about Chris because uh, I got a little section called Those That Pass Through. And I just kept it to uh, as as hideous as that act is, and what he'd done. I tried to separate that from the person I knew as a professional. So yeah, of I just course. honored I honored the professionalism and the match I had, and the respect he had for the business. And and fuck what he did. That's you know I'm not here to judge him or those actions. I just know how I was treated, and I kept it that when I said you know guys that have passed through and him being one of them. So um, that's why I can speak about that uh, because I had that experience with this man. Of course, yeah. But, uh, but I'm not glorifying anything outside of the wrestling not. business by any means, you know, just to clarify that. And I make that very clear. And then my second book is called I Kicked Out on Two, The Education of a Wrestler. And those are available on Amazon. And so, um, you know, head on over and order you a copy of it. Um, I've had several people from Australia buy copies when I look on my uh, gimmick thing there from Amazon. Yep. Um, you know, I imagine Mark Mercedes might have bought one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, I just spoke to Mark, uh, believe it or not, two or three weeks ago. Um, I woke up one morning and I had several missed calls from Australia. And I was like, I wonder, you know, is it Mark or I know Rob Matrix also. And I'm like, I'm wondering who tried to call me because I, I was, I slept through it. I had my silencer on or whatever. But the next day I was up and I had my phone on and I looked and it was a FaceTime with Mark Mercedes. And I was like, because <laughs> right. we hadn't spoken for several years. We'd lost contract, contact with each other. And uh, so that's pretty cool, you know. That is cool. And it's cool talking to you too, you know. And then uh, my brother and I, we bring up Rob Matrix son, because Rob came over and stayed with me and my family for about two months at one time, uh, way back when he was training. So yeah, ah, very cool, bro. Well, a lot yeah. to unpack for me there before I get on to the next thing. I want to say yeah. 
I love the way that you told the story because you didn't give it away immediately. You told me about Chris all of a sudden being right in your face, yeah. all intense, and then Dude, you find out afterward because he was pissed off about what Mongo had said. And not yes. only that, I've been trying to contact Mark Mercedes now for about five, six months because, uh, you know, there's not many Australians that were uh, working over in the US during the mid-90s and he does some stuff over here in Australia now. So I want to get him on the show. Yeah. So if you speak to him, tell him that California from the Insider's Edge podcast is trying to track him down. I uh, certainly will. <laughs> I heard I heard from him just out of the blue, honestly, and I hadn't spoken to him for years. And I was so happy, you know, because because when he came to Florida, uh, hell, I remember while he was there and we were training him, he had his 21st birthday. And it was wow. in May because I spoke, well, it's been, been over three weeks ago because his birthday's in May and uh, he was getting ready to celebrate a birthday. And, right. and so, so we were laughing back about that. Like, oh man, we're, we're getting old, Mark, because uh, I said, I remember you've been 21 years old in, in Tampa, Florida, and he got a little bit pissed, you know, and, and um, uh, he was staying at Malenko's and I guess he like pissed in a closet or something. I don't know, you know, <laughs> you know so, um, but yeah. Yeah, and we he had come and stayed at my home also uh, a couple of different times. He spent a Christmas with me, I think Christmas of 98. Uh, really? I think that was 97, 97 or 91 because, um, and then he got to go to um, Georgia. He was in Georgia at the um, Dome. He got to wrestle someone there on, on, on uh, Nitro. I okay. Yeah, I can't remember uh, – to Tom Zink or so I don't remember honestly, but he got to wrestle someone in the in the dome packed out, you know, thirty thousand yeah. people. I was happy for Mark, you know. When you help when you have such a uh I just say I have a small part helping someone, you may have a larger part than what you think, but but um, I had something to do with him breaking in, you know, getting in a business and and uh, to see someone do good, that's what I like to do. I try to keep it on positive vibes that, you know, um and uh, I'm happy that, you know. He went back home and ran shows and stuff and, you know, stayed involved with the business. And, yeah, he's uh, he's doing quite well over uh, – He's it's on the other side of the country to me, but yeah. he's doing okay. quite well over there, I believe. Yeah, so. good um, deal. I wanted to bring up another match. Uh, December 9th uh, on Saturday night, you're in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's not long after you match with Chris. You're working yeah. for the Cruiserweight title against Eddie Guerrero. I see yeah. someone's work with Eddie Guerrero. I've got to ask him about it because I'm not sure if there's ever been anyone as good as he was. It's it's a tough damn. conversation when you start thinking about that, but damn. So I fly into Buffalo for a, a Nitro, and um, of course, not not used, just you're in there. And then the next night's TV in Erie, Pennsylvania. Fucking snow banks on the side of the road, you know, over your car, basically making that trip. I was like, who the fuck, but why don't they book Florida in December? You know, who fucking books Buffalo? A football team, maybe, you know. But <laughs> anyway, um, no, we, we get to the building and uh, uh, my name's on a board with uh, Eddie Guerrero, you know. And um, Eddie is just such a talented, talented person. Him and Dean and Chris, the way I put them is when you, if I could touch you, touching Eddie is just like a touch, just like Dean is like just a little bit of a grip, if you can see this. Then Chris is like this. He's on you, you know, he, he's right on you like we just talked about. 
you almost don't know you're in the ring with Eddie because he's so smooth and he's thinking and he's putting himself in positions. So when we have that match, I wrestled him twice, but this is the first time I wrestled him. And um, the, uh, we're in the back and he just says, uh, hey, Bobby, you know, he knows I know Dean. He's seen me work with Chris. And when that, when that stuff like that happens, a guy just feels more confident when he's who, who he's in the ring with, you know. He goes, um, so uh, if I beat you tonight, he just kind of gave me a history lesson. He says, if I beat you tonight and you don't do anything to me, I beat a nobody. And he said, my dad always taught me, if you're going to win, beat somebody. He said, when yeah. you're in the ring with me, when you're in a ring with me tonight, be somebody. He said, you come at me. He said, I'll, I'll cut you off. You just keep coming. Every, you know, he said, I don't really want to call a whole lot. We'll call out there. We'll have fun. I want you to work hard, but I want you to be somebody. So when I win, it'll mean that much more. So give me everything you got. And I said, yes, sir. You know, no worries. No worries. I got you. I said, you want me to do anything special? You, you know, he goes, um, no, uh, just do whatever you want to do. I'll be there for you. And he said, uh, just, um, you know, to finish the frog, frog flash and um, we'll go from there. I'm like, okay. So, uh, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes goes by, you know, get ready, go up to gorilla position. And he's like, um, remember what I told you, be somebody tonight. We get out there, get on me, get on me good. I'll cut you off when I want it. I go, okay. And, um, went out there, had a pretty good match. The only thing, um, and he was very pleased with it. I was very pleased with it. A lot of people told me they thought I was going to fucking win it. I said, well, hell, I thought I was going to win it. That's what I was out there for. You know, <laughs> uh, the only thing he told me afterwards, and, and I don't know, I haven't watched it recently, but, um, and I, I don't know if you've caught it or if you've seen it, but, um, I gave him a quick snap suplex. And he said, uh, in the back, he said, Bobby, he said, you're a lot bigger than me and taller than me. He said, when I, when I tell you suplex, he said, you pick me up like a big right. man you are. He goes, I'll sell it for you. I go, okay. I, I'll just protect them though. Cause they worked him and Chris and Dean, they all doing a little storage snap suplex. I was bringing myself down a little bit just to, you know, work that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't doing disrespectful to me to bring myself down to saying I tried to work the same way they did, but I'm a big taller guy. And, and that's why he said, he said, man, you're a big tall guy. He goes, pick me up and hold me up there. And he goes, I'll sell it. And I go, anything else? He goes, no, he goes, stay on me. Anytime we work, just stay on me. He goes, good, good man. He was happy with it. I was happy with it. Um, the only tip he gave me is like, when you're that big, pick a fucking guy up and make him take the suplex, you know, uh, <laughs> he goes, I know you was taking care of me. And I said, yeah, but you know, I appreciate it. Yeah, so it's a good match, and um, I, I've still had people come up to that match and say um, I had a couple of friends from Pennsylvania, and um, I'd see them on some independent shows after it. They said, "We thought you were going to win that night." I said, "Yeah, so did I." <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> yeah. But as Excellent. far as in ring talent, uh, dude, I get to be in a ring with Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, and Eddie, and all these great fucking people. I, I wrestled Dean in Florida and uh, trained with them, hung out with them and all that, you know, my heart's there because he, <clears throat> we as Australia, give me a drink. Uh, the, in Sydney, one, one, of the, one of the last nights of the tour, Frankie Reyes was one of the referees and we were watching out the window of the bird crow's nest or whatever there. And uh, this was 93 and Frankie was like, um, 
man, Dean is one of the most underrated people in the world. I'm like, yeah, don't, you know, in Japan, he's over, but no one in the U.S. even knew about him at that time. You know what I'm saying? And I'd wrestle during that time, 92 and 93, and I'm like, fuck, I'm in here of greatness, you know. And then to tell you the Benoit deal, you know, to be in there of him, worked out with them, trained some, and then have that kind of match. But then Eddie, you know, is just uh, in a class all by himself, the way he could smooth. He was so smooth and the way he moved, you just, you just had to keep going and do something and do something. And like I said, when he wanted it, he would just stop me and take back over. Well, I knew enough to not just keep beating a piss out of him. I knew if he wanted something, he's going to take it. So I did the same thing. I took from him, you know, and um, he gave to me. And then when he wanted it, he took from me and I gave to him. And it was just, uh, it was very easy and uh, a pleasure. And um, to know that you was in a ring with someone that great, you know, yeah. I wish I could have done a, I wish I could have done a house show with them for a 20 minute match, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, man, Eddie is just pure greatness in a ring. Uh, so smooth around your body. You'd just be like, am I supposed to sell this or what? He'd be up, be around your head, around your arm, and then wrap your legs up. And you're taking a face bump and he's got you, you know, you got your leg. I can't show you here, but got your legs crossed up to your butt, you know, and you're flat yeah. out of your stuff. And like, how the fuck did he go from here to there? And I'm like, <laughs> it, it didn't feel it. You know, I, I mean, I felt it enough that, you know, you're like, whoa, he wants to be on a mat. I'm on the mat. What's next, right. you know? And then he like, uh, uh, like bow and arrows you, grab your feet, grab your neck and bring you up. You're like arching, you know, your bridge is like this. And he's going, how are you, kid? All right, I'm going to let you go. Let's go. You come back a little bit. You know, nice and easy stuff. I probably even said too much there because he, he let me go and come back to something else. You're like, well, how the fuck do we get here? You know? <laughs> and I'm over in the turnbuckle, you know, chopping him or something. You know, it's just one of those things like, just the flow of it was so, so easy, man. And, and again, Excellent. one of the guys doing two and three moves ahead. So when he bow and arrows you, you're like, okay, where, where's he going with this? I can only do so much. I can lay here and sell it. Luckily, I was, had a good bridge at that time going, what the fuck's next? You know, lets my chin go, rolls, and I roll to the turnbuckle. And he's like, stop me. So I know to stop him. So I turn him around, you know, punch him or I chopped him or whatever I did. You know, like, okay, when he wants it back, <laughs> he'll take it again. So it's, it's good. It's good. That's, those are the kind of days that those kind of memories does my heart good to share them with you. You know, of course, band. of yeah. course. Uh, and, absolutely. And memories of him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I don't mean to skim through too much because I feel like I've taken uh, up so much of your time so far, but I really, I am really interested in your <clears throat> tenure with WCW because this is what I saw of you. I've seen I've seen every single match from WCW Saturday Night until uh, they ended the show in uh, April of 2000 before it became Saturday Morning and it was a clip show. But I've seen everything from start to finish, at least from '95 uh, until <clears throat> excuse me 2000. But I just wanted to right, skim well, through a few things here before I get to some other opponents that I'm interested in hearing about. But I need to mention it because I'm I'm nerdy about this and it just I, this is what I do. This follows with matches on January 6th against Prince Ikea, then on the 20th with Glacier. You get your second victory in WCW over Barry Horowitz on the 3rd of February on Saturday night in Corpus Christi. It's followed by your worldwide debut on the 14th with a win over the Renegade, which I watched earlier tonight. You work Eddie again before beating Mark Starr on Worldwide on March 28th, the 3rd of March, 1998. 
this is where I wanted to get to because I'm assuming this is a weekend of worldwide tapings. You work Goldberg, Fit Finley in the same day, and then I believe the next day you, on the complete other side of the coin, you wrestled Tokyo Magnum, uh, which I just think is uh, <laughs> you, you're working with two of the you know hardest hitting guys, and then you got Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, but please tell me about this these tapings here and these three matches goldberg fit finley tokyo magnum that's okay it. so i've got a story for each uh just so goldberg <laughs> at, at universal studios there there's a there's a half an hour in between each show and then also their union employees in there so like an hour lunch so the way they space the day out they start like at 9 30 or 10 in the morning right go to six in the evening so uh, anyway with goldberg it was on the hour break for the hour lunch and um so and, and bill nothing but respect for bill goldberg i'm really happy for what he's done with his career at this point He's very professional in the locker room, uh, no ego whatsoever. We spoke at one of those pay-per-views, the, the World War III. He's up there telling stories about trying out for the NFL, and he slipped, you know, uh, on the 41 time. Just he's really getting along with all the guys, and, you know, and he's got this win streak. And uh, he's like, um, you know, hey, very um, modest. Hey, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be in this position. I understand right. I'm the one to boss they're pushing and I'm gonna work my ass off to stay here, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, he asked me, he says, you want to, um, you want to go out to the ring and do a couple of things and, um, just have an idea about a match. So I'm like, he's going to beat me in just a, a couple minutes anyway, but, um, fuck, he's asked me if I want to, you know, roll around or whatever. So, Again, I'm no tough guy. I know, like, uh, I'll, I'll use Chopper, your your guy over there, like uh, uh, Chopper Reed used to say, T- uh, jails and cemeteries are full of tough guys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, I don't know if that's a good reference for you all or not to uh, represent Australia, but I love Chopper. I've read Me all too. his books. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, so, but we get in the ring. There's a couple of guys watching, and, and Bill and I get in the ring. And so he said, what if I do this and just be a modest, you know? And um, he goes, what about if you do? And so I said, well, if, if being realistic, if I do it, I have to do it because, um, and I was trying to explain to him because it was, if you're going to work, I'd have to really, I'd have to shoot in to, to do this. And he goes, well, what well, won't you show me? And I go, and we're just messing around. We're slapping, you know, just kind of locking up and slapping around. And I go, because if I go behind you, Bill, I'm going to take you down. And he goes, I don't, I don't think so. And I go, I'm telling you, Bill. And I'm being nice, not a smart ass. We're being a big fucking guy, you know. And I'm like, I'm telling you, if I get behind you, I'll take you down. And he's like, I don't think so. I'm like, well, if I put you in this position, I'm pretty sure I will. So this goes on for like two to three minutes. We're just talking and I'm trying to tell them, you know, I know what my job is, but I know what I'm capable of too. Right. So I'm, I'm just being nice and being professional. No one's in the building. Nothing like that. There's a couple people around some people, you know, back in the back guys dragging around, but we're in the ring. It's me and him, and like two other guys there. And, um, so, and this is straight shoot. 
And, and, and Bill has met people at the airport at six o'clock in the morning from my hometown. And they said, hey, do you know Bobby Blake? And he puts me over. Uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, one of my friends, a good bartender, been all around for Hard Rock Cafe stuff. He struck up a conversation with Goldberg. Goldberg puts me over. So, you know, this is not a disrespectful thing I'm saying because to this day, if he mentioned my name, I'm I'm fortunate enough that, that he'll say something nice about me because right. he has no reason to say anything otherwise, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking shit or anything. I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, yep. So Bill is there. We're staying there, and I'm we're grabbing and I, and I told him, I said, if I go behind him, I'm going to take you down. And he goes, no, you're not. And so <laughs> I fucking, I, I switch his arm. I go behind him and I got him in a single leg and he's on his face. <laughs> and he's on his face right in the fucking ring. Okay. <laughs> so I took him down and he kind of does what you did. He's kind of laughing like that, right? <laughs> yeah. But what happened is this. Arn Anderson happened to be walking by. He's about probably 10 feet from the ring. He eases over to about five feet from the ring and he looks in the ring and I'm, I'm not holding Bill down by no means or anything. I just took him down. Bill's later kind of laughing. I'm later, I'm sitting up on my knee, one knee in my hand, you know, just hold it there, just kind of snickering. And uh, Arn goes, Bobby. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, don't take the talent down to the ground, please. <laughs> so we start laughing again. And so Bill gets up and goes, man, fuck you. And I go, okay, fair enough. I go, you can't let people do that, Bill, because you don't know. I mean, you know, you beat the fuck out of me. You beat whoever you want. I said, but you don't know what that person capable of. So don't let a guy behind you disappoint my story. And I right. said, I think Arn just verified that. They don't want you going off your feet, you know? And he goes, well, what else you got? What else you got? And I said, how about this? And if you watch the match, and I like victim number 67 or something, I said, how about this? When you're standing and getting introduced, you come over near my corner and I'll come across the top rope. So he wanted to get me get something in. That was part of it too. But yeah. um, he certainly didn't want me taking him off the ground, you know. But anyway, so I jumped over the top rope and the match started and I blasted him before him. He kind of staggered for like a, just a register, not a big sell. And I give him the other one. And um, then he gets mad, boom, boom, boom. Jackhammer, you know, the the spear, spear in the corner, jackhammer finish, boom. I go back behind a curtain, Terry Taylor's waiting for me. He snapped my head over at the last second, but I had the long hair, the mullet, and right. I only missed the match, the mat by, uh, you know, just a couple inches. It could have been hurt anyone, but he said, how was it? You know, he take care of you. I said, yeah, he tucked my head. Cause they want to know, you know, they're building this monster up. I said, nope, everything was good. He took care of me. Nothing, you know, hit me just right. Bobby Eaton's waiting on me. He goes, Bobby, okay. Looked like he got you. I said, nope, we're good. We're good. I get behind a curtain. Bill comes back here. He's like, Bobby, thank you so much, man. He goes, remember what I told you? He goes, if it wasn't for guys like you, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I appreciate that. I appreciate it very much. So by the time I get back to where I dressed at, Nick Patrick, the referee of the match, he's already back there because they switch up at Worldwide. They, you know, and uh, Nick Patrick sat where I used to sit at. We, we, everyone kind of segregated themselves at the tapings, and and we sat at the far side. Me and Armstrongs and Nick Patrick and a couple other guys. And uh, <laughs> I walked up and I uh, got my ring jacket and stuff. And Nick Patrick said, "What are you doing here?" I go, "What?" He goes, "Because he refereed the match." He goes, "Man, the last time I saw you." You was on one side of the ring, 
and your boots were on the other. I've never seen him spearing one that hard in my life. I go, he got me pretty good, man. He goes, yeah. He goes, I thought your boots were still out in the middle of the ring, Bobby. And I said, well, they very well could be, but I'm here. And we just had a laugh about it, you know. So uh, the Fit Finley match is just basically uh, – so I hope you enjoyed that because I did of take course. Goldberg. I took Goldberg down at an appropriate time. Instead of getting busted – for something stupid and you know you look up you're in the wrong place wrong time happen to be in the right place right time when Arn Anderson someone you have a lot of respect for walk by and say hey don't don't take the talent off the feet you know because <laughs> yeah. I've done that uh, and not not because but only because he told me I couldn't I was trying to show him it's not just me people can yeah you know, that's all and it wasn't a shoot it wasn't what trying to hurt him nothing I was just saying if you get yourself in a position you're vulnerable yeah, you know, as I was saying, so don't yeah. do it. I was trying to tell what Arm was telling him. I was trying to smarten him up. You don't want a guy like me taking you down on national TV when you're fucking going to the top, man. That's it. You know, and he was like, "I don't think you can." I was like, well, okay, we'll see. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Fit Finley, that little fucker, man, he's just a just a buzz <laughs> off a guy, just eat right through you, you know. Uh, just uh, nothing but respect for Dave Finley. Um, the uh, the only thing about that match, you know, he's going to work and he's just going to work. And, um, uh, he does a thing, uh, same thing like Eugene Gata does. Uh, he gets behind you and does that kick to your back. Yeah. And you're going to be stiff for a couple of days, man. Cause fit lays that kick in there, but he believes in the business, you know, and that's one of those things he just don't pull back on. Now he's not trying to kick your fucking head off or something. He's kicking you in a safe place with his, you know, pad on, uh, that that's, you know, memorable and also knowing what a tough guy he is and he's been around the world and uh, a top talent that was that was a, a snug match but a very good match for the match it was and and sadly to me um it didn't last get the last you know long time you had five minutes and then you both got a minute of music so now there's three minutes and yeah. you know you're getting about two minutes out of it and you try to when you're doing those things you try to get the best two minutes you can so i'm throwing my forearms or giving them my knees and the stuff that i do good knowing also i'm gonna take the stuff he can do good because that's it's not a house show where you can work it all out and then i'll get this in then you get that in we'll go here go there no it's all condensed and you're like you're staying right on them you know uh, but he stayed on you to the finish. Um, so not a not a glorious match per se because of time restrictions. But but we got our shit in that needed to get in to get the TV angle across for what it was. Two talented guys working for a worldwide audience, and and most of the people that follow the program price. Oh, that Finley guy, he's tough, man. You know, oh, this kid here, keep your eye on him. But uh, he's probably gonna get beat today, you know, kind of thing. Uh, Tokyo Magnum, completely different deal. Um, I had been to Michinoku, of course, at that point, and I had a shirt on that uh, Sasuke or someone from the office had given me. I had several of them, and one of them I just had to be wearing one day uh, down here in, um, in Orlando, and they had the deal with New Japan, of course. And I remember walking to the commissary, and usually God, I saw a shirt, and, oh, please uh, start talking to me about the shirt. And I'm like, you know, introduced myself. He's like, I'm Eugene, you know? And so we started talking because I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. We just two guys. It's like two guys from different places of the world meeting in, in Universal Studios as tourists because we was going to commissary. Right. That shirt he knew, right? And yeah. I knew he was one of the boys. I didn't know it was Eugene Gata, but we started talking. That, that was pretty cool. Kind of the same thing with Tokyo Magnum. He was a, 
he was back there and he's kind of being a little bit arrogant, you know, just like it, not a prick, not an asshole, but he was kind of like, I'll understand English when I need to kind of thing, you know? <laughs> and so it's no big deal. You know, I'm there to work. I'm not there to bust balls. I'm there to do my job, you know? So, um, I go over a couple of things and, and, um, he's like one of the Mitch Noku wrestlers, you know, he's a smaller and, um, he liked to do his stuff and that was fine, but I'm like bigger and stronger. And I worked with guys like him. And so I'm like, um, I'm not letting you, we're going to work. It's business only, but, uh, you know, don't fuck around. So, uh, we, we get out there and, um, start having a match and it's going okay. And, uh, he's a good little worker again, nothing disrespectful, not like that. And, um, I get up, uh, over to the ropes and he starts like shaking his dick in my face and like doing this little, you know, gimmick deal. Yeah. And I was like, well, I've had about enough of your shit, buddy. I mean, I'm going over. That's not yeah. the point. The point is I'm feeling him in a ring and I'm like, I know how light he is and I know I can hurt him, but I'm not there to hurt people. I'm not there to be a tough guy. I'm there to do my job, but also I'm not going to let him fucking embarrass me, you know? Yeah. So, cause he's getting a little bit smart, you know, right. in the ring. And I'm like, this this is this is not the time and place to play games. You know, if we're over in Japan and miss no shoe spot show or something and we're having fun, yeah, but not for worldwide TV. So um I do at one spot and, and a lot of people really like it. And I got it from Japan actually. Um I get up on the top rope and let them stand up above me. And then I grab my at the thighs and jump out to the middle ring and drop one knee down. I don't know if you've seen that. I go to one knee and then I make them nut shot their knee. Yeah. My knee in the middle. And I, he did that and I took him. I said, okay, you're going for a ride. <laughs> and that's my, just at that time, my size and strength, you know, I just pick him up, jump out. When I had two good legs, I could jump out off that turnbuckle, <laughs> drop down on one knee and his balls come across my other knee and you're taking the bump, you know, and that's it. One, two, three. I come back to the war room, Arn Anderson's waiting on me. And he's like, uh, Hey, Bobby, you look like you tried to get a little smart on you out there. I go, <laughs> Uh, he was just trying to have fun, I think, Arn. He said, no, I think he was uh, I think he was trying to be a little cutesy. And I, I wasn't trying to bury the guy. I said, well, I guess I took care of that, then, didn't I? He said, <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear. He said, you you did the right thing. He said, you took it home when you needed to. I said, thanks, boss. You know, guys, try not to bury the kid, but Arn knew what's happening. Yeah. He's, he's, he's an agent. He knows what the fuck's going on. But he like, yeah, he goes, you did the right thing. I said, okay. I didn't want to bury the kid. I want to say, well, I had to do what I had to do, but he saw it. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. I I your question. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I just, I just thought those set of circumstances were interesting. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for sharing. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna again start skimming through some of these matches through okay. to the end of 1998. Uh, Chris Adams on May 5th in Springfield, Illinois. Kidman on May 19th in Portland, Maine. Uh, you make your Thunder debut finally on July 1st against Brian Adams in Columbus, Georgia. Yes. Um, finally on Thunder. I mean, you, you've been in the company for a little while now. Uh, were you hopeful at some point they will give you an angle? Yeah. Um, Did you speak up about that? Yes and no. So that Thursday Thunder, the Sunday prior to that, I had worked Brian Adams in Orlando at a worldwide taping. 
Right. He had just finished up with um, WWE or WWF, whatever. And he was going to come in as part of NWO. He had just done something with Brett like the night before. Um, I'm not sure what took place, but yeah. Brian, 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 and my name was on the board to be his first opponent on worldwide. Okay. And um, so he comes up to me. He's a big 6'10 guy, you know, and been around. And he comes over to where I'm dressing at. I'm just bullshitting around. Like I said, I have a couple buddies there. And, um, he says, hey, you know, we, we talked, you know, and professional. And um, he goes, uh, so I'm going to do this and do this. And, you know, this is some of the stuff I'm doing. I'm like, you know, big, strong-looking motherfucker. You, you probably can. But I'm thinking, you know, someone's told him something or someone hasn't told him something yet. So, um, cause he's just kind of distant, but he's just like, I'm going to do this, you know, kind of, but not as an asshole. He was, he was professional. When he did it. So he leaves, he's gone 15, 20 minutes, maybe. And, uh, he comes back and he goes, Hey, um, can I talk to you again? I go, yeah. And he goes, man, I heard you was trained by Dean Malenko. I go, yeah. He goes, man, him, Eddie Guerrero, they, they couldn't shut up about you over there. They told me not to worry about anything and to come over here and get a match from you and do what you said. <laughs> and I said, I said, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, man, I didn't mean to come off that way. He goes, listen, they want me to go over strong. He goes, so um, if can you make me look strong? I said, well, yeah, that's what I'm here for, man. He said, well, I just want to do this one spot. We'll see what you think about it. I weighed about like two, 220 at a time, whatever. He goes, I'd like to see if I can just pick you up. Can I do it? I go, yeah. So he picked me up from a cold standing he picks me up and he picks me and goes presses me like three fucking times and it sets me <laughs> sets me back down yeah sets me back down he goes okay i think we can do this he goes well what you do if you'll hit the ropes and come off and let me press you and do a press slam i go i can do it easy for you man you just fucking did it three times and he goes well i just like to get that in and he goes what do you do and i go i said well i do this high knee where i'll kick you here and i said now listen you're a big guy if you don't want to go down just hit the ropes and bounce back because when you do that, I'll be looking straight at you. It means I'm gonna give you a drop kick or if I'm sideways, I do a spin kick. And I said, I'll kick you right here. I said, put your hand up to the side of your face. I said, that's the three things I do. So it's a knee, depending how you take that knee. If you feed up to me, it's a drop kick. If you feed away, it's a spin kick, but that's all three of them. Then I go for a pin, kick out. And I said, didn't get back on me or I'll miss something. And so um, he said, yeah, I got it, I got it, you know. So we got and Vincent is the uh, or Virgil or whatever he's called at that time. Mike Jones um, yeah. says uh, he's the manager. You know, here we are on uh, worldwide TV and we go out there. And um, so we have the match. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> I go and spin, I go and give him the knee. He fucking took a big bump. Instead of just hitting the ropes, he takes then he comes up and I spin kick him. He's about 6'10, like I said. So he, I boom. Then I drop kick him and he goes down on all of them, right? And then of course he gets the win. And then, you know, they do the gimmick with the money thing. Uh Virgil putting the money in my mouth, whatever. So uh, I come through the, the the curtain and Terry Teller going, he goes, Bobby. How do you get all these big fucking guys to take bumps for you? <laughs> I said, I don't know, man. I just work. If they want to go down, that's fine. I said, I told him he'd have to. He said, man, he goes, 
oh, you fucking shooters are all like. He said, you told him something. I said, no, I told him to fucking do what he wanted to do. I, this, I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick you about three times. You do what the fuck you want. And Terry's just like, he's just laughing. You know, and that's all true. I mean, you know, so so then Brian comes in the back, like, oh, man, oh, man, thank you know, thanks me, puts me over big time. So after Monday, they're at Nitro, I'm not on it. On Tuesday, I get a call to be at Thunder, um, wherever it's Georgia, whatever. Yeah. So I get to the building early, and I was told to be there early. I get to the building early. I'll tell you something about that. They're doing sound checks and all this, you know, and getting ready to set up for the show. Not very many people's in the building at all. And they got, have you already seen Apocalypse Now where they got the loop of uh, Lance, bring back my board when they steal the, surf, the surfboard, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Robert, Robert Duvall's voice is on a loop going, Lance, <laughs> bring back. So in that night, they had Mike Dick's voice on a loop talking about Mongo McMichael. And he's going, Mongo is the kind of guy, and he's it's on a loop, and they're playing it for like, the, they're playing that in between music. So every couple of minutes, this loop comes on, this is Coach Mike Dicka of the Chicago Bears, and it's I, getting chills. When holy fuck, I'm I'm ready to play a Super Bowl, you know, because it, it just give you that, you know, you're there for sound checks and shit, and it just so freaked me out because I was like, I was getting chill bumps, you know, like this is Coach Mike Dicka, and he's yeah. just starting. So anyway, point being, I get there, and um, I just find an empty locker room. I put my shit there, and I'm just sitting there. Well, here comes Brian. Uh, he walks in. I shake his hand and um, we talk for a minute. He goes, but I just really want to thank you for the other day. Doesn't say anything, but he, he kind of hinted at something. And so um, he goes, you care if I lock her with you? I go, no, right here, man. Because the whole locker room's open. There's four or five locker rooms, but this is the one I'm in, you know. And there'll be other guys in there, don't get me wrong. But um, he just... He goes, man, you went to catering yet? I said, no, I've just been listening to this fucking dick of thing. I'm just chilling out, you know, and I'm still not catching on. He goes, well, I'm going down catering, man. Maybe I eat with you. And I was like, okay. So I think the guy may have invited me to eat with them. I'm not sure. But then I sit there for a second and it dawns on me. I'm like, I'm on thunder. And I just wrestled him Sunday. I'm the reason he's the reason I'm here. That's who I'm working tonight. I caught on. So I immediately got up. Went down to catering, and he was sitting there eating by himself. And it wasn't like I said, a lot of people weren't in the building yet. I was told to be there early, so I, I, that was another thing. When, when someone told me to be there early, must have meant something, because, you know, normally you would be there early, but not as early they told me to get there. And so uh, I said, hey, I get my plate and stuff. And there's only a few people around again every year. The, the building's relatively empty, other employees and a couple guys. And uh, I hadn't even seen anyone from the office at that point. And... Um, I grab my food. I go, hey, man, can I sit with you? He goes, yeah, have a seat. And I go, hey, I just called on. I said, thanks, man. He goes, you're welcome. He goes, I want it to be good tonight. And I said, man, it will be. I said, whatever you want to do. He goes, I want to do that exact same match, Bobby. He said, this is my debut on Thunder for NWO. He goes, um, I want you to do everything you did. The only thing is I probably won't go down on a couple of those knees or kicks. And I said, brother, you ain't got to. I told you you didn't have to the other day. I said, I don't have to do them if you don't want to. He goes, no, I want you to do them. I want to fight someone, you know, so do the kick. Do that big spin kick. Get your shit in. He goes, I I'll probably just bounce off the ropes, though. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, man. And I said, I really appreciate you getting me on here. He said, 
man. He goes, after that match Sunday, he goes, I just started asking around. He said, they need to put you on this program more. He goes, maybe mm -hmm. something will happen. Maybe it won't. But I wanted to thank you. And I was like, just two gentlemen discussing business, you know. And we ate, you know, went back. And like I said, we locked her together. So matches, you know, start happening, this and that. And we just talked and bullshitted until it's time for our match, man. And um, we went out there and had that match. Pretty much the same exact match, except for when I gave him the knee. He hit the rope, fed out, and I, I saw the way he was coming. So I spun around, kicked him. Saw the way he was coming, drop kicked him. Kicked out stronger instead of giving me a two count. He kicked out on one. Got up, does his finish in the back. Thank you, thank you. And I'm like, man, fuck, that's an extra payday for me, an extra booking, a lot of exposure, you know. And yeah. um, hopefully get some TV time built up, you know, they're going to do something with me. But, you know, um, politics and uh, chiefs and Indians, you know, just sometimes too many people running around, uh, don't know you, do know you, um, people trying to help you like that. And uh, I, I appreciate what he did for me. You know what I'm saying? It took me a it took me a little bit of time, like I was telling you about the contract. Mm. You don't know sometimes right away. The same thing at Benoit. You're just clicking around going, because that's the nature of the beast of the business. Most people are like, want, want, want for me, me, me. Hooray for me, fuck you, Jack, you know. Uh, no, he wanted me there because he knew I'd make him look good and do my job. And also, in doing that, lift me up some, you know. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of how that happened, and I, I appreciated it too, very much so. That's a that's a hell of a story, there, man. I, uh, Bobby, I was just like skimming through things, and then when I mentioned Brian Adams, I could feel there was a spark a sparkle in your eye. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. hang on, let's. I'm going to segue into this because I feel like there might be something there. Boom, we got something really meaningful. Good, that's fantastic. Uh, I'll continue on my uh, skimming through to get to yes. 1999. Uh, Mike Enos in Macon, Georgia on July 7th. Uh, the 13th of September, 98 against Raven on Worldwide. 22nd of September against the Cat Ernest Miller in Amherst, Massachusetts. Glacier again on November 17th in Salina, Kansas. This is what I wanted to get to. Before we get to 1999, you make your Nitro debut. The 30th of November, 1998. Not a dark match, but this is from my research. Maybe you have worked on Nitro, but the 30th of November, 1998, in Chattanooga against Wrath in a 28-second classic. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I don't, I don't know where you got 28 seconds at. Really? To, That's what? It, yeah, no, I, no, I believe you because, because honestly. <laughs> um, it was, it was, let me just build it up to it. Okay. Okay. I'm surprised you got 28 seconds out of it. Um, and, and, and again, there's, I'm not doubting your, your time, but here's my time. Okay. So I'm going to go in to work in Chattanooga on nitro with Booker T. Oh, in Knoxville. Correct. Right. Is that, is that Chattanooga? Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Yeah. Chattanooga. Okay. Supposed to go about seven minutes, get Booker T over, have a good time. I know I can do it, right? Of course. Get there. Word is um, someone says, Bobby, you don't have enough TV time. Like, where the fuck am I going to get it at if you don't give it to me? On Nitro. So um, don't, uh, don't put them with Booker uh, and you're giving them too much time for Nitro. So that came back to me from Terry Taylor. Right. 
So Terry said, you know, I know who the person was that said, you know, that's because that's Bischoff's time, you know, uh, to say, you know, Iknayat or whatever. So Booker, Booker come over and actually said, Bobby, man, I'm, I, I wish we could have went together. You know, we, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you could have done it. He tried to lift me up and he ends up doing Lash LaRue and, and Lash done his job, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, point being, I'm, I was a little bit let down and Booker like, hey, we'll get another K, you know, Bob, we're good, you know. And uh, like I said, some of these guys you talk to, you just talk to grown men, talk like you and I are, you know, you just know how to take someone. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just a little bit bummed about Booker. I said, but it's good, man. Just, you know, you, you have your match, whatever. So Terry's like, um, so I got you this match uh, against Raph. Now Brian's over there; he's over changing clothes. I knew him as Night Stalker in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Okay, of course, yeah. As a matter of fact, the first two people when I went to Charlotte that night for my tryout, the first two people I met when I walked in the door was James Mitchell, you know, Daryl Darren Van Horn, and Raph. They were there uh, by the door where you actually enter at. They had ordered some pre catering, and they has ordered. They must have ordered a. They must have knew a restaurant Charlotte they like to eat. That's what I was getting at because they were eating separate. So when I walked in, I basically walked in on a meeting and I was like, hey, Bobby, man, you what is going on? I said, I'm here for a tryout, dark match, whatever. Oh, that's cool, you know. So anyway, no heat, nothing like that, Raph. Um, good dude. So uh, um, <laughs> Terry comes to me, and the reason I remember this night so vividly is because uh, – he says, so I got you. It's going to be about three-minute match with Raph. And he goes, um, I'm not sure how much you're going to get in, though, because apparently Raph just got beat by Kevin Nash like the day before. Oh, okay. okay. So he goes, yeah. he goes, um, they need Terry to just yeah, he goes, I go, I go, I have no problem with that. He goes, I don't know what he's going to give you uh, because um, – uh, he just got beat by the boss. And I got I got you, no problem. Terry Taylor took about two steps away. Brad Armstrong, Scott Armstrong, Steve Armstrong are all standing right here, okay? I'm just lacing my boot or looking up, whatever. Terry takes about two steps, turn backs and walks away, and he goes, Bobby, you're the most underused piece of talent this company has. And I turn around, I mean, I, I was like, I felt embarrassed. I'm going, wait a minute. Here's Scott and Steve, and there's fucking Brad Armstrong, one of the best. Yeah. He just told me that in front of them. I kind of like, you know, made me feel good. But Terry just turned back and looked at me and goes, you're the most underused piece of talent in WCW. And so he walks away, and I'm like, they start complimenting. They're like, Bobby, that's the deal. You know, that's cool. So Raph's over there getting dressed, whatever. Brian, we get time goes on. We get ready. And uh, we got like three minutes. He goes, uh, we'll do this, this, and this. What do you want to do? He goes, I want to get that pump handle. That's my finish, pump handle slam. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got three minutes. I go, okay. So we get up to the curtain. And, well, first of all, I, Rocky King, uh, who I always talk to, he's like, what's wrong, Bobby? I was like, man, I went from fucking Booker T for seven minutes to Raph for three minutes. And I'm just like – Man, I just just kind of he goes, Bobby, did your check come? I go, Yeah, yes, sir, mm -hmm. it did. He goes, Do your job, man. He goes, you know, just do your job, brother. And then and I was like, ah, okay, you're right, man. You got me. So I get up to the curtain and uh fucking Bischoff's in the ring with Malenko and Benoit and he's just talking, talking. Nine o'clock and it's going past. 
and someone's yelling, they're, they're going over, they're going over. And I'm hearing them. I'm in a grill position right behind a curtain. Brian's right behind me. Paul Orndorff is right here in front of me. Okay. I, I'm looking this way. Orndorff's right here. Brian's right there. So they're going over. They're going over. Two minutes, three minutes. Paul turned around. He got his earpiece. He goes, guys, you got less than a minute. Fuck. Fuck, that's it. I almost, <laughs> I almost, I thought, man, I'm going to just fucking walk back. Fuck this live show. I'm going to walk back, get my shit, and walk out of here. And I thought, yeah. I can't because I get a check every two weeks from FedEx, and I'm from Turner Broadcasting, and i am got a good job. Just shut up yeah. and do your fucking job. So I said, Paul, I said, we got less than a minute. He said, I said, what do you want me to do? He said, Bobby, all I do, if I was you, I jump in, I kick him. Uh, give him a knee, kick him, do something to be aggressive, to show you're being aggressive. Brian, go to your finish. And that's why I said I wouldn't share his 28 seconds. So it must have been right. the music and everything, because when the when the bell rang, basically, <laughs> and Brian was right there, you know, he knows. So when I I can't remember if I gave him a straight kick to the gut or a high knee. Either way, I kicked him, uh, just a small cell. He done so I don't know if he hit me or whatever, but basically he no, I think he kicked me back. Bent me over, done the pump slam, one, two, three. That's why I said I thought you might. Honestly, I would say maybe five seconds, <laughs> but it must have been counting music and and us right. getting to the ring to get twenty eight. But yeah, that's what it was, and it was really it was professional. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't my fault. No. Uh, he was doing what he was doing. I know if we could, I could have got eight minutes with Brian, but they weren't going to let that happen. If they weren't going to let it happen with Booker, mm. but uh, I would have loved to have gotten three with them. And then that was basically what a squash. Now, remember when I said they was going over, it's 9 o'clock, and they're going over, tick, tick, tick. So after the match, uh, I'm not mad at anyone, nothing like that. I'm just thinking, fuck, man, I could have done, mm. you know, so much more. Scotty and Steve Armstrong, myself, we go to Applebee's. We're sitting there, and uh, uh, the end of Raw is going off because the show, you know, I was middle, like I said, about 9 o'clock. So by the time I – get changed we're ready to go out the building and eat and uh we're at the, at the uh after be like the bar and they, they've got raw on you know tv and um i'm sitting there and i'm like oh man i wish i could have done more and this and scott said bobby you know what time you was on i go yeah top of the hour pretty much and he goes you know what happened at nine o'clock tonight i go no he goes every fucking one in america turned off nitro and switched to raw no one probably even saw you get beat. And I was like, <laughs> fuck, I never thought about that. You're right. You're probably right, man. And I kid you not, unless someone uh, knows that or looks it up, they it never got mentioned to me. I thought I'm going to go home and everyone's going to think I got squashed. And that, I came home the following week or whatever it was. I was this little small restaurant and um, this kid come up to me about 15, 17 years old. And I thought the way he come up to me, I, I could tell he's a fan, but also I thought, oh, he's going to say, man, you got beat by a rap, you know, be some smart ass something. Dude, the kid come up to me, he goes, man, are you Bobby Blaze? And I go, he goes, man, he goes, when they announced you from Ashton the Cucky the other night on Nitro, and I was so happy, man, that was great. And he didn't say anything about getting beat, winning, losing nothing. It was just great that some of his hometown was on TV. Right. And I, and, that's, and that, to this day, I've never had anyone come up and say, hey, man, other than during a professional interview, someone bring up, like, what happened with you and Raph? What happened to your Nitro, you know? 
that, that was the only person that ever come up live and said something to me. And it was because I was from their hometown and they recognized right. me. And I thought that's cool because what Scotty said at nine o'clock, everyone went to raw. They flipped that channel. So very few people saw it, but again, <laughs> Brian, Brian's a, uh, was a tremendous talent and had such good size and such a good look to him and stuff. I'd have gladly done three or eight minutes with them, but also, um, if I only got three seconds with them, I know I gave him a kick and I almost pretty sure he just gave me a kick back pump handle suplex one, two, three, no problem. As a professional, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's, people went over. I know I got called out earlier tonight that, you know, I wasn't going to get eight minutes or seven minutes, whatever Booker T it's just, it, it's up and down. That's that business. Um, mm. you know, stick around this business, 15 minutes, it'll change, you know, kind of thing. So, um, uh, I'm sure Brian would have much rather probably had a get three or four minutes with someone than just have to go because that's his time too, you know. Of course, of and course, that's his time too, you know. The longer he's out there, to, you know, uh, get his shit in, get his stuff that's over, it. and look yeah. better, you know. And so, that's what uh, he, it is that's what it what is. He did every week. That's what he did yeah. every week. He he, because like when I interviewed him, I talked about man, like your moveset, you had grown so much. You were always getting your stuff in, but at the same time, he's always letting his opponent get a few things in too. Yes, yes, yes. As you alluded to earlier, you don't seem like anybody unless you beat somebody. Right, you know, right, right. As opposed to just running through people, you know. Right. Doesn't really mean as much, and it makes the person they beat not look as good. But if they get a little bit in, they had to fight for that victory, so it looks a bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, totally know where you're coming from there. And we're getting to 1999 now. It's your final year with WCW. Not to rush through anything here, um, but again, I've taken up so much of your time, and I appreciate your time so much. These stories you're are well. fantastic, fantastic. Um, but you are busy, busy on Saturday night, early 99. In the first two months, you work Scott Putsky, Alex Wright, Judo Suwa, Dave Burkhead, another unsung hero from Saturday Night Days, Perry Saturn, Jerry Flynn, Lash LaRue, and your first two months of 99. You get to Thunder on February 18th against Scott Steiner in Salt Lake, Salt Lake City. Um, how was it working with Scott? So, yeah, all those other guys, um, you know, some good in there. Um, so what happened was I had went to – I had been in Tampa – I think for a nitro and then for a TV taping. And I didn't do the nitro, but I did the TV taping like a Sarasota. Um, so when I wrestled Pusky, just to back up a second, sure, they brought me into the office, Terry Taylor and did, and they said, hey, we got this new idea for you. This is Terry Taylor. He said, got this new idea. We're going to make you, it's right when Rob Van Dam's like doing like Mr. Monday Night. So right. said, Bobby, we're going to maybe let you do this deal where you're like Mr. Saturday night. You start to okay. get some victories, start getting some victories on Saturday night. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And he goes, by the way, can you go out there and put Scotty over? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> uh, so don't start tonight. And he goes, now nah, you two guys can have a really competitive match. And uh, I had room with Scott on the road. We got stranded somewhere in like Syracuse or somewhere. And, uh, we didn't really know each other, but I'm just saying sometimes 
shit happens like oh we had to split a room you know whatever so um and i'd seen his work and i knew who his, knew who his dad was didn't know him obviously and so yeah. i'm like yeah i have no problem putting scott over he's standing right there what i'm gonna say and he goes just make it 50 50 <laughs> have a good match you know and um i'm like okay so there was so i'm like okay the next time i think i wrestle alex right after that terry is gone he went he went to new york for a brief time so i i see the board that's me and alex right and I know Alex is supposed to go over it. So I go to Arn. I go, Arn, can I speak to you a minute? Right. Yeah. 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 Come into the office. And I said, so Terry told me I was going to be a Smith Saturday night. And I said, last week I got beat. I said, now I'm going out here um, and wrestle. And I said, uh, uh, you know, going to get beat again. I said, is this, was this a rib or what? He goes, Terry's no longer here. He goes, oh, shit. Yeah. I go, yeah. I go, yeah. Okay. And he goes, just do your job. And, uh, you know, like you always do. We're just talking. He goes, who you got tonight? I said, Alex Wright. And he goes, oh, man, you and Alex, you know, you'd have a – that's you just got to have a good match, Bobby. He said, just keep doing your job. Don't give him a reason to fire you. You know, like, we're just talking. Like I said, I said, okay. So that happens. Then um, the Perry Saturn deal, that's when Terry comes back. So, you know, I can still see nothing's going to happen other than I'm going to wrestle on these shows and um, do my deal, you know. So – but I did a TV taping. And I, I think when I wrestled Eddie again, uh, he had a, had an argument earlier that day with uh, a Bischoff where uh, Bischoff uh, threw some coffee. So when when I got with Eddie at night, completely different than when we were in Erie, he comes out and he says, Bobby, I want you to beat me up and stay on me until the finish. He said, if I want anything, I'll take it. And that's all I was saying. I knew something was wrong with him. You know, uh, he was down. They was in arguments. This was before, you know, them guys are all starting to get heat. Him, Malenko, and Benoit, they're all, you know, that shit's starting to happen. I don't right. know. I'm just saying. There's stuff going on I don't know about. And so I thought, well, that's a different Eddie. Now, we still had a good match, but I just, I got a lot more in, but I just beat him up a little bit, you know, to the finish. Um, and I didn't hurt him beat him up. You know, so I just, I stayed on him and got a lot of offense that I shouldn't have gotten because, it's kind of against what he was saying, like you beat someone. So he, he, he went, but then um, I don't know what happened. Everyone's going to Salt Lake City. And uh, I flew home. Like, okay, well, then I'm home. By the time I get home that night, I got a late phone call that I'm supposed to be in Salt Lake City the next day and an e-ticket will be waiting for me. So instead right. of flying from Tampa to Salt Lake like I was supposed to. I said, well, I must not be on Thunder this week. They flew me home. Well, apparently someone made a mistake or someone made a request or whatever, because then I had to fly to Salt Lake City and I wrestled Scott Steiner. So Scott, what they what happened was DDP and him would get ready to do a hospital match, a stretcher match, okay? Yeah. Well, someone made an audible call that after TV on Tampa, they didn't book me out there, but someone on TV in Tampa for the taping, they was like, you know, Bobby Blaze would be a good fit to set up for the pay-per-view coming up for DDP. So I didn't know at the time. I just think I'm just flying out there to Salt Lake City. What the reason was because I was supposed to make Steiner look good on Thunder so he could have the stretcher match with DDP on the Sunday pay-per-view. Right. I didn't know at the time. But when I get there, I get smartened up. And so – um I'm like, that's cool. You know, I'm going to get some Thunder experience, whatever. And uh, so Scotty and I start talking again. I always spoke to these guys, uh, very respectful and whatever. And um, I said, uh, he, he goes, Bobby, he goes, uh, so I'm going to um, 
just get on you, a couple of suplexes, put you in a Steiner recliner, uh, and then we'll get you out to the stretcher. You cool with that? And I'm like, yeah, you know. And he had seen Brian Clark pick me up, or Brian Adams pick me up, you know, over his head a couple of tables. I'd like mm. to do a spot where I pick you up, slam you, you know, just stay on you. Best. I was like, Scott, whatever you want to do, you know. So um, I said, the only thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to take off my shirt. I said, I'm not. I said, brother, you got this body. I said, hey, I'm just leaving my blaze shirt on. He said, that's <laughs> fine, man. You know, I want to get the exposure for my name. Yeah. But also, I'm not going to take my shirt off against his body. And then Buff Bagwell's, <laughs> Buff Bagwell's the other one out there with the bibbed overhaul with no shirt, and he buffed the stuff. You know, fucking ain't a beauty contest or a bodybuilding contest, you know. But I, ain't, I'm not even entering it, you know. And he goes, "That's fine, man. Whatever you want to do." But on the match itself, the only thing he told me was, uh, "He goes, so when I'm, I'm gonna do a ground and pound when you're down on your face." He goes, "I'll take my elbow," and he goes, "If you're laying this away." expect me to hit you this way, but no, the next one's coming. So just turn and I'll hit you in the back. So he wasn't going to hit me in the face, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for heads up. He goes, yeah. He goes, this is in the back. Don't worry. Um, I'll make sure, you know, I'm looking like, okay. So we go out there and and he's just on my shit and does the deal with that. Took care of me. Just, just hit me up in there. And then, um, uh, puts me in a Steiner recliner matches over pretty much squash, but then, uh, but I knew he was taking care of me though. And I knew he struggled a little bit to pick me up for whatever reason. I didn't come off right or whatever, but um, he wasn't as easy as Brian did. Anyway, so I sell to the stretcher. They put me on a stretcher. He comes over, pushed me off the stretcher because he's got this stretcher match on Sunday. So I know my deal. I'm playing a role, you know. But when I go off the stretcher, um, he starts stomping the back of the stretcher, okay? So I got a pad that you're laying on. It's on me first. And then the metal's on there, he's stomping. So it's making it look very, very impressive hitting that metal. But as I'm selling like the second or third kick, my leg goes down between the railing of the, the uh, safety rung for the fans can't come in, the security yeah. railing. Well, he's up there holding the top of the rail and he's looking down, he's kicking me and it's crossed my knee because he wants to put me in a hospital, right? Because that's what he's going to do to EDP. I feel my knee get trapped in there and that metal um, part of the stretcher is starting to come down inside of the rail, the way it's flipped. And he, I look, I look down at my leg and he uh, apparently, he sees my eyes divert. He immediately looks down, he sees where it's at. And instead of giving it that one extra kick, he just turned around. I was like, ooh, cause he would have broke my leg probably legit. Oh shit. Because if he had to kick that metal, it would have went those next few inches against my knee. I'm not saying it would have broke it, but it very well could have. But he saw, he had me damaged enough as it was with a couple of kicks that came before that. So uh, uh, when, I, when he saw my eyes, he knew something was up. And he looked to where I was looking and he pulled back and just walked away, you know, done his deal, whatever. And I was like, oh man, I'm glad he caught that. So they put me on a stretcher, take me in the back around another way and stuff. He's back there waiting on me. And uh, I said, man, I said, thanks for catching out on that stretcher. He said, I saw it. He said, right there on your leg. I said, man, thanks. And he goes, you're welcome. 
I go, thanks for the match. I could beat the fuck out of me, you know, and he's laughing. He goes, yeah, I told you. And he goes, the only thing is, how come you didn't get up very high on that thing? I said, brother, I, I saw me the fast. I thought you were stronger at the way. I said, I only weigh 220. He goes, well, fuck, you didn't help me. And, I, you know, we're just laughing kind of. And I was like, well, I tried, you know, I said, but I said, the point is, I said, you got the stretcher match over, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, thank you. And then Buff was thanking me and it's all good. I go around a the corner. There's some of the guys, some Mexican guys and, 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 you know, guys that are, you know, have already worked with, like, they thought he killed me. I was like, Bobby, Bobby, you okay? You know, goodbye, some amigos. You know, then I'm like, yeah, man, it's good, it's good, good, you know. But uh, yeah, he beat the fuck out of me, but very safely beat the fuck out of me. You know what I'm saying? And uh, then the, the thing about that was the local news even put it on that I had had a match that night in Salt Lake City. It's like Ashland, Kentucky's own Salt Lake, <laughs> was in Salt Lake City night against a former Michigan wrestler and, and WCW star Scott Steiner. And uh, folks, he is all right. Uh, Bobby Blaze is all right. He got carried out on a stretcher. So they're buying it. Local media is buying it. We just got word <laughs> and Turner Sports, WCW, you know, Bobby Blaze uh, uh, got carried out on a stretcher. But he will be okay because I knew a couple of sports and announcers and, and the main, but the guy that announced it, was the main newscaster. He come in at the end of the podcast, the end of the broadcast and said that after sports was even off. And I was like, that's getting over, man. So, so sometimes, you know, get that ass whooping, you know, pin me, pay me, have booth for travel. You got to get that ass whooping, but you got to get that pay too. And if you get anything out of that, the bonus is, uh, you know, oh man, get over on local news and, and uh, got a national television coverage. And, um, you know, um, that's what I was there for. Absolutely. Uh, and, ag yeah. and again, if, if, it, if it were more real and you look at the situation, this guy's a, a collegiate wrestler for the University of Michigan, built like he is. Well, who the fuck you think is going to win that fight anyway? It's no <laughs> contest. So, uh, you know, thankfully it's a work. <laughs> you know. Absolutely, so. bro. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for sharing that. It's great. Uh, yeah. It seems like no, no matter what I feel, bring... man, because it's just a work to me. It's just a work, you know. Yeah, so it seems like no matter what match I bring up, there is a story behind it. Bobby Blaze, this 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 interview is on fire. No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to skim through some more matches here before we get to your the, the end of your time in WCW. Uh, Scott Norton, March third, Disco on March 16th. The win over Johnny Swing on Worldwide on March 30th. You're winning some, you're losing some. You work with Vampiro on the 13th of April, Hugh Morris on May 25th. You work with Bobby Duncan Jr. and Kurt Hennig, uh, teaming with uh, a friend of the show, Lenny Lane, on June 22nd. Got any Kurt Hennig stories for me? No, it was, uh, well, a couple, actually. But that was the only time I got to share a ring with them. And it was just, uh, it was cool, man. We just... Got to do, I, I done a spot with both of them. That was it. You know, I got to do a spot with Bobby Duncan and Bobby uh, and, and, and Kurt. Uh, the only thing about the, um, when I first got to WCW, uh, and I think Kurt Henning is one of the greatest bumpers of all time, one of the greatest workers of all time. Mm -hmm. He's tremendous. Uh, you know, he is Mr. Perfect, you know. So, um, but yeah, he, um, uh, when I first hired in there, um, I got flown to uh, kind of like at Sandy, uh, Salt Lake City deal. I just had finished up somewhere, and next thing I know, I'm come home and I got a message to be in San Bernardino, California. I'm like, well, 
I don't know who's booking this shit down there, but they, they don't, you know, travel and booking needs to get together. I found that out right away, you know, <laughs> long as a check shows up, but damn, why are you, know, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I go to San Bernardino and, um, I put my stuff down and it just so happens Kurt Henning has his stuff down beside mine. And, um, uh, of course I'd met him. And so he actually, he hired back in the night of my tryout match. He'd come out, uh, they just bashed Flair's head in the door the night before. Oh uh, yeah. 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 So anyway, Henning come out. Uh, but anyway, so this is a couple months, months too late, whatever, but, um, his stuff is right there beside mine. And, um, I had my match. I come back and someone has uh, put locks all over his bags and locked them to the fucking gimmick to the to the to the locker that's available. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> oh fuck, man, this is heat. Someone's in trouble, and I'm sitting right here. And so, um, and I'm not going to stooge anyone out because I didn't see anything happen. I don't know who done it. I later found out who done it, but I didn't know at that time. And I'm going, I'm changing my shit. And I got a concussion that night. You know, I got hit pretty hard. And I'm just trying, I'd already seen a doctor and I'm getting ready to go back to LA. And then I go from LA, I got to fly fucking half, you know, across the country again, whatever. But anyway, um, Kurt comes up and looks at his bag and he gives me a serious look. He goes, who did this shit? And I go, man, I don't. I don't even know. I go, I, I had my match. I don't even know. Cause if I knew I wasn't going to tell you what that's between them. Yeah. And he, he kind of lightened up. He, he, he kind of laughed. He goes, that's okay. He goes, I know who done it. He goes, I've been, we've been at this for 15 years back and forth shit. He goes, <laughs> I know who it is. And I go, okay. I'm, as long as you know what me, man, I said, it was, I don't touch people shit. Those just so you know, I don't touch anyone, anything that's not mine. He goes, no, it's good. It's good. You know, and to come to find out with something, him and Mon- Mongo had done it. Uh, oh, right. <laughs> they had been locking each other's stuff and messing with each other. So that came out like the next week I caught up with them. That is ribbon, you know? So I was like, man, I'm glad he knew who done it because, you know, um, I didn't want any part of that, you know, kid, but that, that's my only really Kurt Henning uh, story that I, well, really I that. interacted with other than, you know, working that match was just uh, the rapid crap thing they were doing to of course, West Texas yeah. rednecks or whatever, and just got in there and got out, you know, and, uh, uh, Lanny, you know, he was in there trying to just get his push to at that time, uh, just coming in. I don't know how, I don't know how long he had been there, but he was, you know, up and coming and, uh, they just put two guys together. And, um, I think he was more of a tag with Lodi or whatever, uh, you know, their deal versus me and Lanny being together, but that's just the way it happened. Oh, of you know? course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Um, um but no, thank you for sharing that. And it's always Kurt Hennig. It's always something to do with the padlock with him. I love yeah, those kinds yeah, of stories. Yeah. Um, uh, getting through again through 1999, Mikey Whipwreck on August 8th, Disco Inferno on August 17th, yourself, Adrian Bird and Dave Burkhead against uh, Chris Adams, Dave Taylor and Stephen Regal. Um, you guys were by DQ here. I assume Sid gets involved. This is when Sid's powerbombing yeah. everyone. And then, of course, the 2nd of September, yourself and Adrian Bird losing a handicap to Sid. Uh, this is all leading up to September 28th. Uh, you, you work with the – oh, sorry. Did you have anything to say about the Sid thing? Uh, well, uh, the couple of the road agents had changed, and so some of the booking had changed mm. and they're getting Sid over. And Sid came in, um, you know, being pretty cool to everyone, uh, being professional, laying people out and stuff. But then um, as par for course, he started to get a little bit reckless there with some of the talent. And, um, you know, he was dropping people. I saw him drop Adrian. 
Uh, I was supposed to take a power bomb. He laid me out flat uh, and I was trying to roll away and he grabbed me and gave me a choke slam and dropped me basically on my fucking head, you know, but um, shit, I mean, I know it's not ballet, but you're supposed to take care of the talent, you know, um, not the fuck that was, a battery maybe, I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, just um, the, as you can see, they start putting me and Adrian together and just some stuff that don't make sense, you know. Of course, yeah. Uh, we got to make, we got to wrestle the English guys and I love that and they, uh, bit them, oh shit. Um, William Regan came to me, yeah. he came to me for the match. He said, Bobby, have a short arm tonight, have a short arm in that tag match. Cause they didn't want me in there. They knew it was going to beat the fuck out of everyone. Right. And I had that much respect and then, uh, the Bisco, on the announcing, when he caught it back, he's like, you know, putting me over because I'm the smart one not getting in the ring. He's oh, right, he gets in there, he, he does something because I got in there beating like Adrian up. And um, then, I, then he tags me. When I go in, uh, Regal says, Sunset. So I get something on him, right? And yeah. I immediately tag back out. <laughs> they go back to beat whoever up, you know, and then Taylor's in the ring, right? And uh, he's like, so like, again, he goes, scoop slam me. And I slam him, you know, and he goes, get out. <laughs> so he made me look good <laughs> while I was in there. Cause just for those hot seconds, you know, <laughs> yeah, makes, makes you look good, you know, but um, yeah, just a lot of changes. Plus I knew my contract was expiring, you know, okay. you know, so, you know, you know, you pretty much want to do your deal on the way out and uh, right. we'll see what <laughs> getting, out of water see what happens you know so i understand sir and uh i wanted to bring it to uh, your final match in wcw from my research uh you take on chris benoit for the television championship in rome georgia this is interesting isn't it like that that first big great match that you had in wcw and it's coming full circle with your final match as far as my yeah. research is concerned on september yes. 28th uh when did you know it was time that your time in WCW was over and, and how did you feel about that final match that you had? So after the Sid match, I had a concussion mm. and um, I had some um, torn uh, oblique and um, a concussion when I, by the time I came home the next day. So I had to go to, for my doctor's office, he immediately sent me to the emergency room to do some testing and stuff. So fortunately, you know, everything just other than getting, you know, stoved up a little bit, whatever. But, uh, so I had to have a two week clearance, you know, before you go back on the road. And I actually knew what day my contract was to end was like the 15th. But if you work over that day, if you work one day over, they have to roll it over for 90 days, you know? So I knew my contract was coming up and I knew I had went to, I went to Lexington, Kentucky on a day off when they were at Rupp Arena and I had a talk with Kevin Nash, who was doing most of the booking. And I was like, you know, are we going to negotiate another contract? I had went down to uh, Smyrna, Georgia there at the office and had a talk with, uh, after I wrestled Vampiro, it was, uh, that was a really good match, but I had a talk with Paul Orndorff and he was like, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. What are you making? You know, keep, you know, nothing but positive vibes that way, but people could also see some people are there just hanging on to their last checks. So like at a nitro, instead of a hundred or a universal, instead of 150 being there, you know, hundred people showing up at a, at a nitro where 60 people are showing up. Now it's down like 30 people, you know, it's just like lowering the numbers and you can see people getting their pink slips all around you. Um, so I, I went from here 
uh, and they fly you anywhere over a five hour radius. If it's within five hours, you drive, you know, or if you go to a central location, you drive that five hour radius. And that's kind of the way it works on plane tickets. Well, I was booked in Virginia, Roanoke, Virginia, and um, I get to the town and there's a big windstorm, very, very, very big windstorm. So people are getting flight delays and this and that. But Jimmy Hart's there, uh, sweetheart of a guy. Uh, you know, we're, I'm trying to help everyone keep the job the best I can. He's like, Bobby, I don't have you on medical clearance. And I'm like, uh, I got cleared, man. I got cleared like two weeks ago. Um, I should be ready to go. And he goes, well, I can't let you work unless it's an emergency. He goes, just take baby. He goes, man, help me get some talent together here. He said, man, people are calling in. They're stuck at these airports, blah, blah. So I hung out with Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy in the back. You know, me and Jimmy Hart's like, I'm like, I'm reporting to him like, so-and-so's here, so-and-so's here, and we had to get this match together, and uh, he goes, he goes, Bobby, I, I, we got enough, he goes, I can't use you, you're free to go, man, he said, I'm sorry you'd have to drive that far, I'm like, we're good, don't worry, you know, thanks, and and this and that, so I knew something was up then, because I wasn't on the booking sheet, Right. but then by the time I got home, well, a couple of days later, not that exact time, but I, I saw, I knew I was over the day of my contract, so I knew they had to pay me, so I knew that part, and then um, when I went to Georgia, to I was on like whatever his day it was, the 28th, I knew I was past my contract, so I'm getting paid for the next three months no matter what happens. Okay, and I cool. Chris. And Chris was having a match with, uh, I think, I want to say DDP. I could be wrong. Or no, maybe it's Steiner. Yeah, maybe Scott Steiner. Anyway, yeah, I think it was Scott Steiner for a pay-per-view coming up. So we went to the war room. And again, kind of had an idea of someone saying, make it 50-50, like we did up there in in Toledo or or whatever. Uh, They would like, uh, Chris has to go over strong. He's got pay-per-view of Steiner. It's going to be a 70-30 match. Chris, just stay on him. Well, that don't go so well for Chris. Yeah, of course. (laughs) We we leave the office, and Chris goes, Bobby, it's 50-50. My chops will be stiff tonight and watch, you know, my finish. I said, yeah. So it wasn't a barn burner, but it was still a good hot match. We chopped each other, you know, fought and then took the, you know, but it was more like 60, 40, maybe, you know, him. Um, but he wasn't going to just eat me up. He, you know, too much respect for that for the business and myself. And so uh, then I came home and I had, uh, again, back home, not that day, just saying this time period, I had tickets to fly to New Orleans to do a TV the following Tuesday and it was sitting on my office desk and um, I get a phone call from JJ and um, he's like, Hey, Bobby, and I saw these people going, they went, now mm-hmm. they're down to 75 people to 75 people. They're down to 60 people. And from 60, they go to 42. Well, that's where I'm at. I'm in that cut there from 60 to 42. So I'm one of the final 60 people down to 42. And that 42 went to 25. And those 25 were the guys that either Vince bought out or they stayed home for those couple of years till they resigned. So I was way down there on the list as far as getting let go. Uh, but of course, your name is just on a, um, a piece of paper of how much money you make and how many days a year you work. And someone comes in as a businessman that don't even know this, don't know who Bobby Blaze is. He's making this much money. He's worked this many days, uh, scratch, you know, and that's what they're yeah. doing, uh, you know, because they had nothing to do with the wrestling business. They're just, they're turning employees trying to of save course. money. So anyway, but I was honored that I made it that far. Um, 
and maybe there was they were maybe they was going by asses instead of bees instead of Bobby Blaze maybe went Bobby Smedley maybe that's why I made it that far too I don't know <laughs> just saying but uh, JJ was real very professional saying hey Bobby just want to let you know it's the hardest part of my job and I could tell he was on speaker too and I was I was being courteous I was a little bit hot but I was like no I get it JJ you know I, you know whatever and um, so uh, uh, he said you'll get a uh, you'll be getting a slip in the mail the next day or two, you know, well, lo and behold, FedEx showed up the very next day. So it'd been sent, but he made a call. It'd been All sent, right. which is no problem. He'd been doing his job. That's what he's supposed to. Yeah. And I said, well, JJ, I'll just tell you this. I said, uh, I said, uh, he goes, but I really like you to make TV. Um, uh, Fort, Ger Fort Gerardo, Missouri. You no, know, I don't know. I had to find New Orleans. I can't remember. Several towns in New Orleans. God, much you make TV if it's outside New Orleans. Fort Girardi, maybe, Fort Girardi, Missouri. Uh, anyway, somewhere over around New Orleans area. So I said, I'm not going to be at TV this week. And he goes, well, I really wish you would consider that. You know, we're going to need bodies for TV. And I go, JJ, you told me I'm terminated. I said, I just want my last checks. I knew I had some royalty checks coming from the EA Sports video game I was in. Um, I got to be in Mayhem, one of 60 yeah. characters. So, um, you know, I knew I had money coming from that. And I knew my contract rolled over, so he owed me for at least the next 90 days of that. And I just, I wasn't being an asshole. I just was like, look, um, you said I'm terminated. I know I am. And uh, I'll just uh, kindly send these tickets back to the office. And he goes, yeah, if you're not going to use them, send them back. And um, sorry to hear you're not going to be at TV. And I said, that's just the way it is. Like, we're good. Thank you. Appreciate your service. Hung up. And I was, you know, I was hot. Don't get me wrong. You know, I had me a few beers that night. <laughs> but um <laughs> Uh, next day, the, the paper came, you know, and then I honored my part. I mailed an airline ticket back, and then I kept in touch with a couple guys that were still there, and uh, someone told me, said, man, you all be glad you didn't go to that TV tape, and they said, there's about 900 people in that big-ass building, and they said, they weren't hardly anyone to even put matches together, and I was like, well, I'm glad too then, and so that's just kind of how I, you know, heard it, and of course, I did get my pay, which I was very thankful for. And I got my royalty check that I was owed. I was very thankful for. So uh, overall, you know, it was a very, very good experience to be on worldwide TV and, and work for such a, uh, I'll call it a good company at the time, you know, because the Wrestle Wars and the Monday Night Wars and a lot of publicity, done a lot for my career. Um, I don't look back at the wins and losses because uh, it seemed like it balanced out pretty good. And that's exactly what I went with. Uh, you mentioned the Alex Wright, the, one of the Alex Wright matches on there, we had a little issue there, got it straightened out early on my contract. Um, just a misunderstanding. I, I kicked out of his German suplex on two. I noticed that was very close. Okay. Right that was, there, uh, yeah. that about got me fired, but I went in and I manned up. Um, I talked to Taylor and Arn and Flair was sitting, Flair was on a couch. Arn was like, Flair was snickering on the couch. Arn was looking at me like this. And then Terry was like trying to get it out of me. And he, so he basically said, well, so Bobby, listen, we're going to have, you got to take the finishes because we're going to have guys put you over and they're going to lay down for three seconds. And in turn, when we put you over, you know, or they put, you put someone over, please keep your back there for three seconds. He goes, it's not a territory where you have to kick out and stay strong on that third mm. count. This, later take the third count and i said that was just between me and alex i said it wasn't it was it, it, no big deal it won't happen again you know and um so it, it didn't and um but yeah i thought oh shit right you know but a lot of people that didn't like alex um and i, I it wasn't i did or did not like him i had nothing to do with this mother's shit but um the bottom line was uh 
I would like to go out to England. Robbie Brookside was there. And as soon as he came up to me, he said, I'd heard from someone else that Robbie Brookside said, because he must not like Alex very much, said, if you're running – and Bobby, Robbie was there. He just didn't do a lot of TV. Yeah. And he said, if I ever see you, I owe you a beer. Well, that got back to me. So I went over to England. I was in this dressing room with Isle of White, and here come Robbie Brookside. And I had my face. I'm looking out here, but I knew he was coming up the stairs. I'm looking out the window, like ignoring him, right? And I'm with uh, Joe Kimball and uh, Chad Collier. And uh, I know Robbie's the next one coming through the door. I'm just sitting there like, yes. And he starts talking, hey, chaps, you know, and starts talking to them too. And I got my back to him. Now, he knows I'm going to be on a tour, but he don't know that's me sitting there or not. He just right. – I turn around I, before I turn. I said, "That must be Robbie Brookside, and that motherfucker, from what I hear, owes me a beer." <laughs> he goes, "I hear us, you know, uh, what?" He said, "You know, German, uh, duh, what?" Like that, and I turn around, and he goes, "Oh, Bobby Blaze!" You know, we give each other a big hug, and I'm like going to be over for like next thirty days, and have to wrestle him a lot. You know, he goes, "You got it, mate. I give you a beer." You know, so we had beer. You know, uh, the net after the matches and stuff. But yeah, it's pretty cool, but. But that's another story just that I tell because I, I kicked out of a, some guy's finish on national TV about costing my job, man. Right. Because uh, anyway. I, I watched that match earlier tonight and I was like, oh, like it <laughs> felt like the German suplex finish came out of nowhere because you just had this, uh, you well, had your comeback against him all of a sudden. He hits this German and then uh, you, you kick out well, and you roll out of the ring. That's those matches that happened. Uh, that's one of those matches that happened. You've got three minutes. It was for TV. It's tape. And I swear to you, no sooner we locked up and we went to a corner and Alex threw a, I guess, European uppercut, maybe forum or uppercut. And whoever refereed at the time, to go, time to go, time to go. Oh Alex starts fucking panicking. Alex starts panicking. Go home, oh, go home, panicked. go home. Okay. And when he does it again, he, um, he blasts <laughs> me and hit me in the jaw really good. And I'm like, fuck this motherfucker. But I, but I knew I had to go. I knew I had to go home because it, it was time. And so um, after he blasted, we rolled out to the middle. We went to do the German suplex. Well, I can't just jump up and start kicking the shit out of guy. And it's not uh, his his. It's not his uh, place to say you know time to go home or not because the referee was the one saying you know we we thought we had three minutes and we're in a match in the middle of one minute. He goes go home, go home. I kept my shit together. I know how to go home in one minute, you know, but he already hit me and sold me to the corner. So I'm there wide open for him, but he, he panicked and fucking just jacked me, you know? And I was like, I can't just run across and hit him because he wasn't in position. I can't take him off his feet because that doesn't make any sense. So let's just go to his finish. And then I did what I did, you know, and I wasn't trying to be a prick about it. I was trying to make a statement, you know, yeah. uh, I know when to fucking go home. Don't have to hit me in a fucking face like that you know, or we'll have a problem. And, and it wasn't a problem. I mean, it could have been because in the back we discussed it, dude, you can't. And I knew what I was there for. And them guys from the power plant, they, you know, some of them, some of them really good and had experienced stuff. But if I'm there to make you look good, let me make you look good. You know, I was like, I know we had a minute out. If you wouldn't have rushed and, and guys like Pez Watley and Arnold tell them, if you listen to Bobby, you know, it'll yeah. be okay. Just, just follow his lead. So I knew how to go from that corner to the middle of the ring in one minute and still make it come back and make it look good. But that's not what he wanted to do. And I'm there new and I'm like, okay. And then again, I talked to Terry with uh, Arn and, and Flair and we get it all straightened out. So that's good. And Alex, I had no heat or anything. I just got her and wrestling again there and um, easier match. And timing was better, 
you know, yeah. no heat, nothing like that, no hard feelings. Of and I, I wasn't mad, wasn't mad they even hit me in the jaw that way. I was just mad that calm the fuck down. Let's go from A to B. Let's take the finish, then go home, you know, go home. So that's all it was. But it got me some free beer out of it and a fun story <laughs> out of it, you know. So absolutely. It is what it is. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that story, my friend. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh Wanted to bring it to after your time WCW, you work on the independent circuit a bit. Uh, you know, uh, so this is 90, nearly the end of 99. October 17th, 2004, uh, for Mason Dixon Wrestling. This is in my research, your final match. Correct me if I'm wrong, at the Blackberry Festival in Ravenswood, West Virginia, Buddy Rose and yourself wrestle, uh, and he defeats you via disqualification. Is this your last match in wrestling or or is my research incorrect and there was well, another final match? What was that date? What was that date again? October 17, 2004. Okay. So I went back to college, university to finish my master's degree. I had finished my bachelor's in four. I did stop in 2004. I don't know if that was my last match in 2004, only because in my mind, um, I went to Mullins, West Virginia, right outside uh, Beckley, West Virginia, and I wrestled Chris King. And then I was scheduled to be on a JT Lightning show the following day on a Sunday. So it seems like um, right around that same time period, um, I took one more, I took two more bookings, but only made one of them. And that was in Beckley, West Virginia. Now I do recall those um, Blackberry festivals up there in Ravenswood because I worked those every year for several years for a promoter up in that area. So um, you're, you're, what you're finding out there, I think is probably 99% correct, but there's a chance that I may have done one more match after that. Okay. Within within that month or so. And then when yeah. I came home, I called JT lightning and, um, I wasn't going to make the Cleveland show the next day. I was just like, I've had enough. My, I'm finishing my degree. My back's fucked up. You know, I'm, I'm got a family. They're getting a little bit older now, spend more time at home. So yeah, that, that, that festival up there was always really, really fun to do. Um, and, and buddy was easy to work with and fun to work with. So that very way could have been, uh, especially documented, but I'm pretty sure I had one more match. And I want to say it was against a former student of mine uh, named Chris King. Um, I went up and done some TV uh, up there, but that, that again, it could have been in September or it could have been November. Uh, so yeah, I'm, okay. not, I'm not all the excellent. Uh, you've done your research, man. You did excellent job. I uh, kept you. it in order and everything. No, thank you. So I, I would not argue that your information is probably correct. In my mind, I might be like, oh, it could have been a month after or a month before I know I wrestled one more time around that time. So, uh, but yeah, we'll accept that, that, you know. Hey, uh, <laughs> See, sometimes, yeah. sometimes, Bobby, the, the, the internet can be incorrect. Like uh, when I interviewed uh, a mean Mike from Disorderly Conduct, uh, we found out that there was a plethora of issues with the internet and, and the information yeah. on there. Uh, me thinking that he had, wrestled at this point and, and this was his final match. He's like, no, 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 that never happened. Yeah. So sometimes the internet can lie. Yeah. Is, is what I I'm trying I to say. I did have one more match. Uh, and I know it could, I know it could lie because I'm going to ask you something uh, a little bit being petitioned. So how close are you to Austria? 
okay? Because someone had went on that Wikipedia thing and they had said that in 93, I toured, toured Austria. And I'm like, someone either can't spell Australia or they don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so at one point I was like, I've never been to Austria. So I know, and then, and then and some, you know, they put those things on there, you know, that. It's, yeah, I no, it's, it's funny. Yeah, it's, one of my buddies was actually reading it to me. He goes, hey, I thought you was in Aust- This has been about 10 years ago. He goes, hey, I thought you was in Australia uh, in 93, not Austria. I said, where the fuck you get that? He says, on Wikipedia. I said, do you know how to change that? He said, yeah. I said, change it. It was Australia, you know. So <laughs> it like that happens. Yeah, because um, we interviewed Lance. Stuff. We we interviewed Lance von Eric a, a few weeks ago, and I uh, talked to him about his uh, final tour in Malaysia, and he's like, "I'd never wrestled in Malaysia." So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I got to wrestle in South Africa, and um, apparently, he got to wrestle over there quite a bit. I think he lived there mm. quite a while when I, when I read that book, Lance. That's by right. So, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, I got to go over to South Africa. Woo, that was crazy. But uh, another story, another time. So. Anyway, what you got for me, boss? Bobby, I want you to have the opportunity right now to take the floor and plug every. You've already plugged your books, but plug them again. Yep. And also okay. your podcast, anything else, the wrestling school, like teaching students, yes. everything you have in, in the bag. What's going on with Bobby Blaze? Tell everyone out there right now. Okay. Right now, my only social media I use, I have used to have Facebook. I used to have Instagram, but that's not my deal. I just... I have Twitter. So if you follow me, I'm at Twitter at BobbyBlaze744. That's my only, you know, social media account I deal with. Uh, BobbyBlaze744. Um, you can go to Bell to Bell Blaze. That's a joint account on Twitter. That's in conjunction with uh, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, uh, that co-host the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast. We had a new one drop just this morning. It's every Tuesday morning it comes out. Um, so... My books are available on Amazon. You can go to tinyurl.com backslash blazebook1 and get pin me, pay me, have boost the travel. Or again, just go directly to Amazon or you can go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 and it'll take you to, I kicked that on to the educational wrestler. Or again, you can go to Amazon directly. Also have three little eBooks on there that you can purchase. Um, one's a little Christmas story, one's a little naughty naughty story, and one's actually called Yard Time, which is inside of the second book, but it stands as a, a, uh, a standalone story because we done a show at a federal prison one time, and a really fantastic show. But again, um, gonna reach out to me, get me up on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744. I'd love to hear from everyone. Uh, it's positive vibes only. I do links, I do motivation, um, a lot of pro wrestling, books and authors. Also, I've been helping at the FTC. It's a, a failure to conform. They've opened a, uh, I've done some business with them before. They have some upcoming promotional shows now that things are starting to open back up. I've been helping with some of our students at a, it's called the Art of Grappling. And I've been going over there a couple of days a week. I've got some really promising students that are learning a professional wrestling style. Now myself, I do not get in there and try to wham bam and do all the stuff I could do back in the day. But I have my brain and I have a couple other people that are very willing to learn. And also some younger people I've taught in the past that are right now teaching the Malenko way because I do it in a system as for your basic training, how you start this and, and then how you start getting your bookings and things like that. So I'm, I'm involved with the art of grappling and I have to, you know, send a shout out to them. Uh, and I, and, I, and if you're in wherever you're at, 
if I could help a young person, if they ask for my help uh, in a locker room or whatever, you know, can you watch my match or whatever? I gladly do it uh, because I want to get back to this business. I feel like for the blessings I've had in this business, uh, uh, ups and downs, the hardships, the good times and all that, I feel like I'd be doing an injustice to myself if I don't give back to something that's so good to me. And also if these young students, um, I would be doing an injustice to them if I didn't try to help them in some way to say, you know, if you do it this way, you're improving your chances of, of getting somewhere and, and being a better wrestler or a better prefer, professional. Or as Malenko taught me, maybe you learn something in life that, you know, hey, uh, make you a little bit better person. You know, not that I'm a good person, just saying, you know. Um, <laughs> He might pick up a good trade or two, just saying. But again, um, I'm at I'm at uh, Bobby Blaze 744 on Twitter. There is a YouTube page um, channel, rather. Uh, the person running it uh, sadly passed away a couple of years ago. But there's got about 1.8 million views on the tinyurl.com/bbbbbvideo. Uh, uh, video. It's just the Bobby Blaze uh, podcast video. There's a whole bunch of uh, uh, Videos, top 10 toughest guys in the wrestling business, top 10 baby faces, top 10 heels, top 10 buildings to work in throughout the world. Uh, there's just, uh, it was a whole bunch of top 10s um, that, uh, and then it's got, like I said, a gentleman's agreement with myself and Dan Severin. Um, and it's got several matches on there. I don't know uh, what, what all's on there really. It's just a lot of stuff. I know that. Um, and man, it's just a, pre uh, a pleasure to be on your program. I do appreciate it. Um, I, I, so I'm so glad to, to, to be honored to make a new friend in Australia because I loved your country so much. Um, I would have loved to have come back uh, through the years. It just didn't work out. And who's to say maybe if the world's opening back up, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'll get over there again. Who knows, man? Um, we would have had to see, and thankfully, world is opening back up. I hope our things, you know, are better there too. Um, they seem to be getting a little bit better here. Um, of course, who knows with everything? In fact, the world's crazy at the damn time, anyway. You know, <laughs> so uh, just get up and, and take a breath and be happy, man. You know, absolutely, Bobby, absolutely. And and this brings me to my segment five second frenzy, Bobby. Okay, we got to. We've we've gone nearly four hours now, I believe. Damn. But, this is what happens. The time flies when you're having fun, Bobby. Okay? Yes, sir. And five second frenzy. You've got five seconds to answer each question. Even if you don't make the five seconds, it's, it's okay. Most wrestlers can't answer questions in five seconds, but right. we'll give it a red hot go here. Uh, first question on five second frenzy, Bobby, who is your favorite wrestler of all time? Terry Funk. Excellent answer. Who was your favorite opponent? Oh, man. Um, Chris Candido. Excellent. Another great answer. Who would you say, and what would you say would be your favorite match you've ever had? What's one match you look back on being like, that is the, that's the essential Bobby Blaze match? Chris Benoit match from uh, Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. On Saturday night. Excellent. Yep. Thought that might be the answer uh, going into this interview. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that match when we're done with this. Uh, favorite book? Favorite book, The Great Gatsby. We've had that answer before, actually. Fantastic. Favorite TV show, Bobby? Oh, man, I've got a couple. Um, 
I'll say uh, tough, tough. I know I'm going five seconds. I've got, I've got my top five, but I'll just say uh, Sopranos. Oh, bro, right here. Yes. Yeah. I used to, I've, yeah. I've seen the series three times through. And Myself I, as well. <laughs> I'm so obsessed with it that I, I would actually um, have dreams that I was in in the in the whole crew hey hey Tom, how, i've how, done that really I, I, yeah. hey Tom, how you doing t how you doing uh, <laughs> bobby favorite film favorite film uh taxi driver 1976 oh brave great choice uh favorite musical artist um shit i'm i'm such a fan of, of several music uh Artist, I'm looking at a fucking Dark Side of the Moon poster on one wall here. Uh, I'm a huge Doors fan. Ah, um, oh, yes, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably just go old school. I'll go Doors and then Pink Floyd. Oh, man. I know the lyrics to almost every Doors song, one of my favorite bands. I know I'm wearing a Guns N' Roses shirt tonight, but the Doors, yeah, one of the first bands that really uh, just turned me on, my friend. So right, I, I'm man. digging it. I'm digging your answers, and I and I know the Doors of perception, you know. <laughs> that's it. If you ever make it to Australia, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking cook you a barbecue. We can have some beers. I'm gonna listen to the Doors. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> favorite place to eat on the road, Bobby. Oh, fuck. Uh, Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> we get that answer a lot too. Um, Denny's and Cracker Barrel also get yep. a, a good shout out. Uh, what is your favorite alcoholic beverage? Oh, man. Um, I'm sitting here looking at a Miller Lite beer uh, mirror. So uh, I go Miller Lite, although being from Kentucky and whiskey and bourbon, um, I'd I, I generally would drink some bourbon in, in the winter months or something. I have a shot or two or whatever, but generally um, I, I'm a beer. I'm, I'm a Miller Lite guy. I drink me a few Miller Lights, have me a shot or two, and I'm good, you know. So, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds like a good evening right there. Uh, the second last one on Five Second Frenzy, Bobby Blaze, is one of my favorite ones because we get a very a, a wide array of answers for this. It is your what is your favorite female body part? You like to you want to go check out a woman. What's what's something that you always tend to go to first? I'm a leg man. Okay, I go to legs. But I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll it's no secret. I love a girl's got pretty feet. Okay, <laughs> and a good ass. So I'll take legs. I'll take ass over breast every day. But but let me ask you this. Do you know what you know what perfect legs are? Mm -hmm. Perfect legs are perfect legs are feet on one end, pussy on the other. <laughs> it always it always leads to the glory, the glory land. That's right there. Yes. The, the promised land is what I meant to say. But yeah, I'm... so legs, <laughs> legs. Also, let me say this. Eyes. I'm a big into eyes. I want to see a girl's eyes. If I'm looking at a girl's eyes, that can just lead to so many different things. Uh so, I know yeah, what you mean. Legs, body part, body part, and legs, you know. So anyway. Excellent, excellent. I'm sure you uh, know a little bit about someone called Stacy Keebler. That's probably the, <laughs> the best pair of legs I might have ever seen in my life. Uh, last one, Bobby Blaze. I think I know the answer here. It's your favorite curse word. <laughs> Fuck. Motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck me running backwards. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it is the most popular answer on the show. Yeah. But I could tell throughout the interview, 
the F-bomb is certainly a popular <laughs> one with one Bobby Blaze. But Bobby, yeah. thank you so much for doing this interview with me. What a This is nearly four hours and, and it's been so fun the whole time. I've My face is hurting from smiling so much. Good. And <clears throat> before I sign off, what I want to say is this. I told you before that I'd seen so many episodes of WCW Saturday Night. Yes. And there are two matches out of that whole time that I always remembered. This is from 95 to 2000 when they stopped doing the show. I remembered Len Denton one-on-one with Eddie Guerrero, and I remember Bobby Blaze versus Chris Benoit. Those two wow. matches, and that's, dude, that's a long show. That's two. That's a two-hour show. That There might be 11, 12 matches in every show. Two matches that I remember from that, period of time those are the two that i remember so that's the first thing i wanted to say the second thing i wanted to say is is that i live in the most isolated city in the world perth western australia so for you to have had the reach for me this guy right here living here to have been like fuck bobby blaze is fucking good at what he does you you reached this far in the world so that is an incredible achievement and also the fact that you were assigned to one of the major companies when wrestling was at its hottest, whether if you most of your matches were on Saturday night or not, it doesn't matter. You were still there. You were on Thunder. You were on Worldwide. You were on Pro. You were on Nitro. You were a part of one of the biggest companies during the hottest time in wrestling. So saying all of those things, I hope that you are incredibly proud of everything that you accomplished in the wrestling business because, again, from the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, I know who you are and I am proud of everything that you achieved, my friend. Man, it's good to hear that and I'm honoured that you said that because sometimes I have to be reminded be reminded of those things because I tend to just play it down. Um, but thank you so much and um, I am proud. Um, and you've made me proud by just recalling some of these things. And and like you, I, I started to say something a second ago. My face is hurting from smiling so much. So I think that's a good. I think that's a good thing. You know, between friends that we've made friendship here and yeah. good conversation. Because I've I've honestly, uh, my face, my cheeks right here are hurting from smiling. And that's a good. <laughs> that's a that's from the heart, man. That's love. You know what I'm saying? That's that's good. That's that, that's the good stuff we want. You know. So that's cool. So thank you for the smiles, man. And the time that you took out of your busy, you know, schedule to, to interview me and have, and have a conversation really, you know, and, and also for doing your research, man, it's very well, very well researched out very well. Thank you, Bobby. I really appreciate it, my friend. And if you ever are uh, uh, seeking a guest on your own show and, and you, 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 you can't find anyone, look, I'm the bottom of the barrel right here. You can, you can pick me up <laughs> and I'll do your um, show. Uh, honestly, we, we just started doing um, a guest. We've just, we, just uh, we didn't have one this week. We won't be having this one this week. We have one more guest scheduled, but we've only had maybe – we just went and we only had like maybe five or six guests uh, just in, you know, that's just, we had a different format, but now okay. we're starting to get guests. So I'll definitely kick that around to Jeremy and, and let him know that we have someone willing to come on to the show <laughs> and we have fun on the show, man. So no, uh, no problem. That's good. Yeah. No, I'll definitely, no. I'll definitely consider it. And if Jeremy, now the thing is, it's going to, we start taping our show about this time. It is right now, 2 p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time because Jeremy's on California time, and right. I think you're 14, 14 hours ahead of me. So, you yeah. know, if you can handle it at that time for about 45 minutes, we'll definitely consider it, man. And we don't do video. We do audio only. So that might make it easy, too. Anything so. for you, Bobby. Anything for you. No, that means I can just wear my pajamas for it. So that's yes. fantastic. But again, yeah. Bobby, thank you so much for your time tonight, my friend. And I feel like we're going to be friends from here on and we'll always be in touch. So thank Absolutely. you for, for speaking with me tonight, my friend. My pleasure. You have a great evening. You too, sir. And thank you, everyone out there watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I finished a bottle of red here tonight. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, Californian Fairy, my new friend, Bobby Blaze, and we will see you next time. Thank you.